Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with TELUS. This is being recorded live and broadcasted live on May 21st, 2021. The time right now is 10.18 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. We have a free roll which started 13 minutes ago, which means you still have 12 more minutes to get in. It is a $100 free roll where... is in the regular prize pool, and then there's a $50 bounty. The biggest prize you can win is by knocking out Shoeshine Box, who gave $50 for this bounty, and he gave the $50 for the main prize pool. So I very much appreciate the $100 donation from him, and go for him. Try to knock him out, because if you knock him out, you'll even do better than the guy who finishes first. Now, ideally, you'll knock him out and finish first, then you will get the biggest prize because first will pay 25, second will pay 15, and third will pay 10. So if you knock him out and finish first, you'll get 75 of the $100 in the pool. So good luck. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Go to pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll, all lowercase, to understand the rules for getting paid. Pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll. You must know and follow the rules in order to get the free real cash money that we give away every week here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Remember, there is no other poker podcast or live radio show like this. No other show in the world that is poker-based has ever given out this much money or given out money this frequently as we do. So it's something unique to this show, and most of the money comes from our listeners. In fact, almost all the money comes from our listeners. We have some very frequent contributors, such as attorney Eric Benzamokin, but we also have many others who contribute, like Shoeshine Box is the one who gave it tonight. So thank you to him, and go play the free role. You can get in with late registration If you are not validated on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com, if you're not validated yet, you will have to wait until that happens. You need a separate account there from the forum, but you also need a forum account in good standing in order to qualify, among other things. It's not hard to qualify, but you need to understand the rules and requirements as far as being eligible for the free money, which is real cash money, which we give away each week. And I will send you by Zelle, by Cash App, by Bitcoin, if the fees are low enough, by Bitcoin Cash, which always has low fees. And I can do it by bank transfer to certain banks. Zelle is another one. And you might be able to think of some other methods of payment that can be done online, I can probably send it that way too. So if you win, send me a PM on the forum, Dan Space Druff, or you can email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, or you can text me at the text number I will give out shortly, but I really prefer the PM on the forum. That's where I tend to keep track of it more. The others I have to kind of dig up if I remember, because I do the payouts kind of in bulk. If you don't get paid for a little while after you win, don't panic. I'm not going to forget about you. It just happens every so often because otherwise it's kind of a burden to have to do this every week. So I just kind of do them all at once when I have some time. So don't count on this money. I've had people upset that they win something and they say, oh, I'm waiting for this money to bet on something or for my poker bankroll at micro stakes. And I go, no, 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 no. Don't count on it. No, it's coming to you, but it may come to you right away. It may come to you in weeks. It may even be months, but it won't be that many months. <laughs> it's usually usually weeks to maybe a month until I pay you. Just putting that out there for full disclosure. But I do always pay you. And 
you can see full disclosure. There's a thread that keeps track of all the payments of all the people who win and whether they got paid. And if they didn't get paid and they didn't ask to get paid, then after six months, I may or may not roll it back into the pool depending upon necessity. So make sure you claim your money within six months. Now, if you claim it and I just don't send it to you within that time, which wouldn't be likely unless you request it kind of near the end of that six-month period, then that's fine. As long as you request it before six months are up, you're guaranteed to get paid. Anything past six months, you may or may not get paid. And if you don't, I will not keep the money in my Jew wallet. No, 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 no. I will roll it back into the prize pool for others to win. But it's all out there. There was some skepticism a few years back of what's happening to the unclaimed funds. And I tried to insist that I'm not uh, getting rich off of unclaimed funds, that uh, if there are any unclaimed funds, that uh, it just happened because I forgot they were there and nobody ever stepped forward for them. And I threw $400 back into the pool just as an approximation of maybe what I ended up inadvertently keeping because nobody claimed it. And then from that point forward, which has been for a few years now, I've been posting every winner and whether they got paid or not. So it's fully transparent where all the money's going. I I don't want to keep a penny of this. I want this all to go back into the pool if it doesn't get claimed. And that's what has been happening. But I would prefer if you just claim your prize, either claim or redonate it if you want to. But nobody's under pressure to redonate it. If you want to claim every penny you win in the free roll, it's yours and it's money you won and you deserve it. So again, 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third, and $50 bounty on Shine Box. Thank you to him for that $100 that he donated. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 702, or seven, we actually have two phone numbers. Let me try that again. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the main number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That's what I started to give at first, but that's the wrong order. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary telephone which sits on top of Mount Charleston in a cabin I have there and forwards to me wherever I go. I've posted a picture of the phone before. It is a real phone. You even saw the number written on it. It was not a Photoshop. I guarantee you that. It's an old 70s black rotary phone. It has call forwarding. It forwards to me wherever I go. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. It is a separate line into the show, but you cannot text it because it's a rotary phone. It cannot get texts unless you remember getting texts in the 70s. I don't think you do. The call to listen line is a number that you can't talk to me, or I guess if you do, I won't hear you because you'll be talking to past me. Well, not always, but either way, I won't hear you. It's a way to listen to the show live and also to listen to the streaming reruns, which air whenever we are not live. It just picks a random show and runs it. The call to listen line is a very simple thing. You just call up and listen. It's a phone number. It's a regular phone number. And it does not ever buffer. It does not ever freeze. It does not require the internet or a data plan or a smartphone or a computer. No, 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 no. It's very simple. It does not require any kind of advanced or semi-advanced or even 1980s technology. You can use uh, technology going back before I was born because any phone that can dial the United States can use the call to listen line. The phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. You can also call the alternate one, which is just the second one we have in case the first one malfunctions, 641-741-1095. Both are always running and probably up about 99.5% of the time. So between the two of them, you should be able to find the one that's up about 100% of the time. 
And over a million minutes have been listened to on the Call to Listen line. I kid you not. I exaggerate not. That's the truth. And as long as you don't have T-Mobile, it's totally free if you can call the U.S. for free. T-Mobile charges one cent a minute because it's considered a high-volume number, which I guess is a kind of flattering that they think that about the Call to Listen line for my show. But I wish they didn't think that because then they wouldn't be charging. This started when they realized there's a lot of calls coming in from T-Mobile to the call to listen line. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're going to start charging for this. I don't get any of the money. If I did, then I may not be that unhappy, but I get a big zero there. The chat room is something you can use to chat during the live show. Just press the chat button kind of in the top left of PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a form account in good standing to get in there. And there's people only chatting during the live show. So if you're not listening live, don't bother. You can check it out, but there's not going to be anyone there. You might be able to scroll back and see a little bit of the chat. Trader Ruski, we'll see if we can pick him up uh, at some point if he wakes up in the middle of the night, as he sometimes does. Same with Brandon. They kind of just appear in the early morning, middle of the night sort of thing. If not, I'll just go at it alone. We have been picking them up the last several weeks, if you've noticed, especially if you listen to the end of the show, you'll hear a lot of banter between me and Brandon and also Trader Ruski, and they kind of just appear without warning. So I expect that again tonight, but when I say I expect it, I don't mean I'm requiring it or that I'll be mad if it doesn't happen, just that based upon recent shows we've had, that what has been occurring. And Brandon, in fact, told me this week that he has very much enjoyed being on radio and that uh, he would like to come on again this week. So I guess it depends if he wakes up and sees it. I texted them both about it, and we will see if they appear. If you want to listen in the archives, we have various ways to listen. We have iTunes. We have Google Podcasts, iHeartMedia, Spotify, Bullhorn, which is an app you may not have heard of, but it actually has its own call to listen line if you want to use that to listen to the archives, or you can just listen normally in podcast format. And uh, you can also listen through the TuneIn app, which has both a way to listen to the live show and the streaming reruns and the archives. So we have two entries on TuneIn, one for what's broadcasting live and one for what's uh, in the archives. And then there's the Stitcher app which is another podcasting app that has been around for over a decade. So a lot of different ways to listen to the show. We have the MP3 file of the show that you can either play or download. Almost every device can play an MP3 file without any external player being installed, meaning you just click the link and it plays. There's also an internal player. So if you go to the Radio Archives forum of PokerFraudAlert.com, you don't even need an account. You can just log in. Uh, you just go to PokerFraudAlert.com without logging in or log in if you want and go to the Radio Archives forum and you'll see all the shows listed there with a little player, which works on almost every device, or you can just click on the MP3 uh, link and it'll work that way as well. You can even download the MP3 if you like. A lot of different ways to listen to the show. If you want something else, if you want another way to listen, let me know. And if it's easy for me to do, then I will do it. And if it's not expensive, I will do it. Otherwise, I will not do it because we already have a lot of ways to listen. I've given you a lot of options here. I mean, how many shows? I don't think there's a single show out there in the poker community or in the gambling community, for that matter, that gives you this many listening options. Can you think of one? I'm talking about live and in the archives. Think of all the different options I give you. 
I don't think there's another show, even ones with a much higher budget than this one, because this is a low-budget show, because we don't run ads. I run the Eric Benzamokin ad because uh, he's a friend of the show, but uh, we don't have sponsors here. So it's a low-budget operation. It's a very low-budget operation, and I do all the work myself. So we don't have much of a budget, but I do make sure you have a lot of listening options because when I try to listen to podcasts and radio shows, I find it incredibly frustrating when I want to listen and I've got to do it their way, not the way I prefer to. So I don't want you to think that about my show. Right now it is 1030, which means your opportunity to get into the free roll has ended. I actually started a little bit late tonight compared to what I wanted. We always kind of start late here. I won't deny that. But we started even later than usual because uh, I had some construction projects, some minor construction projects going on at my house over this past week. It had been stuff that built up over the past year and a half when we couldn't do it. Just kind of stuff that I was just about to get to when COVID started and that plus stuff that came up during COVID times, and we had a lot of stuff to do around here. So uh, I had some contractors over here. They did various things. Uh, One of the things they did is going to be nice for me during this show. Something I always found frustrating, especially in the winter, was regulating the temperature of the Poker Fraud Alert radio studio. See, the heater in this room is pretty powerful, and it's nice during the winter, And it it does get cool where I am. I'm in Southern California, but I'm in a part of Southern California that's really one of the coldest areas in the winter in Southern California other than the mountains. So it does get at or below freezing sometimes during winter. And even when it's not, it tends to be in the 30s or uh, low 40s when I'm doing this show, which can make the room cool if there's no heater running. The problem is the heater is very strong. And uh, in this particular room, it's very strong. And uh, if I run the heater too much, then the room becomes blazing. So what I find myself battling with in the winter is that if the heat is on, then I get hot. And if it's not on, I get freezing. So what I started doing, and and to adjust it, of course, I'd have to stop the broadcast and leave the room. And I don't want to do that. It makes bad radio. So instead of putting a pause on every time I'm adjusting the temperature, what I would do is I would just uh, blast the heat before I start. It would be a little too hot. Then it would cool down as the heat is off. And then uh, during a break, I'll blast the heat again and again let it cool down. But I I never quite had the right temperature. And then in the summer, we kind of have the reverse with the air conditioning. So I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could control this remotely? I mean, here we are in 2021. I should be able to do this type of thing remotely. Like in the 80s, I'd be stuck. In the 90s, I'd be stuck. But This is 2021. I should not have to battle with this where I have to physically get up and walk over there to change the temperature. So one of the projects I had done was to uh, get a thermostat in there that I could control with my phone. And this way I can turn up and down the temperature to my heart's content during radio without ever leaving this chair. And normally I could do this myself. I would have put the thermostat in myself, but it required a a wire called a C-wire that had to connect to the furnace which uh, was more than I wanted to attempt to do. So I waited until the contractor came here and he got that done. And now I can do it. I can control with Wi-Fi my thermostat for this room. Very exciting stuff. But I did make one mistake here involving the studio during all that work. When I was uh, 
having them do some other job, they said they needed an extension cord, a short, kind of a short, like six foot, eight foot extension cord. And I looked around and I said, I don't know, it's, uh, I have some old ones here. And I go, oh, wait a minute, I have a good extension cord. It's the one I use for radio. And I figured, okay, I'll give him this extension cord and then I will go and uh, buy another one before radio. Well, needless to say, I forgot to buy another one before radio. <laughs> so here I was about to start radio and there was no extension cord and uh, I was unable to power my computer and unable to power the audio equipment. So, yeah, okay, that's it. Okay, okay, that, okay, okay, enough laughter at me about this. One laughter is enough. <laughs> Jeez. I decided that what I was going to do was uh, do something temporary. So I had to do like a power shift to a power strip and put the whole thing like in a daisy chain to where I can manage to power everything. That's not going to be the permanent solution, but that's until I go out and get another extension cord. So I kind of messed that up. I said, okay, I'm not going to forget this. I'm, I'm really going to remember to get this extension cord before radio, and then I didn't. So that wasn't very good. All right, here's the agenda, then we'll get going. The top story tonight is about Chris Moneymaker and PayPal. And it's a pretty obnoxious situation. Not obnoxious on Chris Moneymaker's part. He's done nothing wrong. But PayPal, PayPal is getting worse than ever. They're getting more customer hostile than ever. And it appears that they have graduated to actually outright stealing from people. That if you break their terms, it's not enough that they close your account or make it difficult to uh, withdraw for a while. That was what they had done for the last two decades. But no, now they actually find reasons to steal your money. This hasn't happened to me yet, but Chris Moneymaker said this happened to him, and immediately other well-known poker pros chimed in and said it happened to them as well, including Ryan Feldman, including Mike Matisau, and various others. And those three said they got hit for over five figures each. Chris Moneymaker and I were discussing this privately. We discussed this privately a few months back when they suspended him and also when the most recent incident occurred where they outright just took his money and told him he's never getting it back. I asked him to come on this show and he said yes. So I was very excited. We're going to have Chris Moneymaker on the show for the first time tonight. But unfortunately, uh, he had a very busy day. And at first I was going to pre-record it and play the pre-recorded segment on here. But then... Uh, we weren't able to hook up at the time when each of us were available today. So the way I left it, he's very busy tonight, but I said when he's done with what he's doing, if he still has some energy and... Well, I wonder who this is. Could possibly be him. Caller, you're on the air. Hello? You're on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Hello? Well, you know who I think that was? I think that was a scammer. I think that was the Nigerian scammer. <laughs> Remember the Nigerian scammer we had on here? He still thinks the radio number is Brandon's second number. I shouldn't have said it was Poker Fraud Alert Radio. He probably didn't understand it. Anyway, Chris Moneymaker said that if he does have any energy after whatever he's doing tonight, that he will call in. I told him we're on like super late. 
Like some people feel weird about trying to call in at two or three in the morning, especially if they're in a different time zone. It just feels odd. Like, oh, how could I possibly call in at this time? But no, I said, we're going to be on like really late. We're always on really late. So if you have the energy to do it, come on. So he may come on later to discuss this, but we will discuss this anyway as our top story. And if he happens to come on and we can talk to him about it personally, then that'll be great. Otherwise, uh, we'll have him on at a different time. He has said that uh, he'll come on this show, not just about this, but in the past, uh, he had said he would come on and just talk about just general stuff from his beginnings with winning the WSOP main event all the way up until today. He has a pretty interesting story. He's an interesting guy, very nice guy, soft-spoken, nice, not arrogant at all. He had a lot of appeal to the public because he was an everyman, and after winning, he was still an everyman. And that's something that people like about him. He never let all the fame get to his head. So I've always liked Chris, and I've always gotten along with him. And we'll see when we can have him on this show, if it's not going to be tonight. So anyway, he and other poker pros have apparently been victimized by PayPal, a company that I have hated for the last two decades. I, I've, I've hated them since one when I first had an incident with them. I'll explain the whole thing when we get to that topic, which is our lead topic this week. Then I will give you an update about the Mike Postle defamation case. And you may say, Druff, wait a minute. I thought that was over last week. Well, for me, it was over last week. But Veronica Brill, she still has the same hearing that I just had last week. She has hers coming up, or it was actually supposed to be completed on May 19th. However, Something happened, and it was not on May 19th. So I'll tell you what occurred, and when when you can watch the same sort of hearing with Mike Postle, and this time it'll be with uh, Veronica Brill's attorney, Mark Randazza, I'll tell you when you can watch this and why it has been delayed. A lot of cash and chips were stolen from Chad Power, who is a Las Vegas area poker pro, he also uh, runs a staking operation for poker. There was a little bit of controversy about that a while back involving Kate Hall. Uh, this particular story has nothing to do with Kate Hall, but someone followed him home from the casino and his home was burglarized of... One million dollars. Yes. Yes. One million dollars of cash and chips was stolen from his home. So we'll tell you about that story and whether or not the perpetrator has been arrested. I am sure you have heard by now about the cryptocurrency crash of this past week. It's a big story. In fact, even those who are not into cryptocurrency have probably heard about this. If you're watching the news, it has been mentioned. This is not just a story within poker or within the crypto community. There was a full cryptocurrency crash where just about every cryptocurrency crashed pretty badly. So we will discuss why it happened. I'll talk about its impact on the poker community. And we'll discuss where crypto might go from here. I won't claim to know for sure. Mr. Tickle, who listens to the show, already made fun of me on the forum that I predicted something incorrectly last week when talking to Brandon about uh, how far cryptocurrency had already fallen by that point and where it was going to go from there. And he made sure to point out where I was wrong. So thank you, Mr. Tickle. But I'm going to give some predictions anyway, even if Mr. Tickle makes fun of me again. 
A Connecticut man won more than what got stolen from Chad Power. He won $1.35 million in a lawsuit against Foxwoods, a very large Indian casino in Connecticut. But the interesting thing to me is he won it in their own tribal court. So we'll talk about that case and why he was awarded something over a million bucks. What happened there? A better accused Barstool Sports, which uh, the Barstool, actually the Barstool Sports book, which is a division of Barstool Sports, and he accused them of punishing him for winning. And he went on a rant, which I will play you, that Barstool Sports only wants you as a customer if you are a loser. And if you are a winning sports better, even if you aren't actually winning at the moment, but you appear to know what you're doing, that they are not welcoming at all and they punish you. That was this guy's claim. So we're going to play his claim and then I will honestly evaluate his claim. And remember, I don't just automatically jump on the bandwagon and go after the easier target. The easier target is the casino, the sports book, whatever it is, whatever the big cold entity is, that a lot of people have had problems with over the years or maybe lost money to, and people love to blame. I always like to look at the facts and decide what is right and wrong. So in this case, I did that, and I will give you my analysis. I do that every single time when one of these complaints comes up. There's a lot of people who just knee-jerk support the individual against uh, the cold corporation that people could picture would screw the average guy. And in some cases... That is the right analysis, and sometimes that's what I'll come to also, but sometimes not. So I always like to try to think of these things independently and not try to look for the result I want to look for. So we'll talk about that when we get to that segment. I'm going to give you an update on the Laurel and Diamond Lounge situation at Caesars. Brandon mentioned it briefly last week that Vital Vegas had reported that those were going away. So I have more information. I will give you an update on that. I also have an update on Greyhound Racing. If you remember, late last year, a listener really wanted me to cover the Greyhound situation in Florida. This was before it was banned. It was uh, when it was on the way to getting banned. But a guy wanted me to talk all about the Greyhound Racing industry. And I said, okay. He sent me an article. And at first, I, I wasn't all that excited about it. And I said, yeah, I'll get to it eventually. And he kept kind of pushing, you know, have you read the article yet? So when I read the article, I thought, oh, wow, this is interesting. So I covered the Greyhound racing industry and the flaws in it and the abuse that some of the dogs have suffered. And I thought it made a good segment. And it was something that I learned new things about. I didn't know that much about it prior to doing that segment and researching it and reading that article. But I have an update on the Greyhound racing industry And I will tell you that when we get to that segment, which is our last one before the coronavirus news. Actually, it's not. There's a bonus topic. The bonus topic is NBA Top Shot. I'm going to go over what has happened with that. Remember how excited I was and how excited so many other poker pros were about NBA Top Shot? And then you stopped hearing about it. So why have you stopped hearing about it? Well, I will tell you why NBA Top Shot has stopped being such a fad so quickly. There's a reason for it and why it didn't have to be this way. That's our bonus topic that I didn't list there. 
Then we have some coronavirus news, including a segment we do every so often called What Would Druff Do? Where somebody asks me a question where if I were in their shoes, what would I do? This one has to do with COVID. It'll be our last segment of the night. So that is the information. By the way, I was also a bit late because the Giants are playing the Dodgers and the Giants somehow had the best record in the National League. Or not just National League, all of baseball, which nobody expected. It's still early, though. But the Giants versus Dodgers ended up being a very meaningful series that when the season started, you would not have expected would be a super meaningful series. But it was, so I I wanted to watch the game and time kind of got away from me. So between that and the extension cord madness, uh, we started later than I wanted. But oh, well, it makes the free roll uh, pool smaller, not the prize pool, but the pool of players smaller when it starts this late. But so be it. Okay, so we're going to get going. I'm going to start off with the Chris Moneymaker and PayPal situation. Before I get into what happened with Chris Moneymaker, I'm going to talk about my own history with PayPal. So let's go back to 2001. And at the time, PayPal was best known as a service that you use to pay for things on eBay. They were, uh, I don't think owned by eBay yet. Eventually eBay bought them, but I don't think they were owned by eBay at the time. But that was... All I had heard of with PayPal is that you have to use this to pay for things that you buy on eBay. However, I wasn't a big eBay guy, so I really didn't have much interaction with PayPal when it was in its early days until 2001. Peter Thiel, you may have heard of him, he was uh, one of the people who established PayPal. Uh, Currently, Peter Thiel is best known for the guy who destroyed Gawker by bankrolling Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against them, where Hulk Hogan won a massive hundreds of millions of dollars settlement over something they published, over a sex video of him they published, and that destroyed Gawker, literally. Gawker ended up having to uh, sell because it uh, couldn't even afford to pay that judgment. And that lawsuit was bankrolled by Peter Thiel, who was a closet homosexual, and did not want to be outed. And when Gawker outed him, or they were about to out him, and they asked him for comment, and he warned them. He said, hey, if you guys bring this story, I'm going to make you pay for it. You're going to be sorry if you bring this out. Do not bring the story out. And they did anyway. They said, too bad, I don't care. And that's what could happen. If you're messing with a billionaire, which he was at the time when this happened, I'm talking about not when he first started PayPal. I'm talking about, I think it was in 07, when he was already a billionaire, and they outed him as a homosexual. And he said, okay, I'm going to go after you guys. Maybe not today. I can't stop you from publishing this story. And he knew he was gay, so he couldn't sue them for that because if they published the truth that he was gay, then uh, there was only so much he could do. But he said, "If if you guys out me like this, then I am going to get back at you one day. And he did. He did because uh, he saw the opportunity with the Hulk Hogan lawsuit, which he thought had merit, and he put his money behind it, and Gawker lost. So this this is why you sometimes have to think twice before you mess with billionaires, because they really have unlimited funds to put into really destroying you and can do so legally. So that's what happened to Gawker, and that's what Peter, Peter Thiel is best known for at the moment. Elon Musk had involvement in PayPal. 
PayPal started as a company called Coinfinity. And this has nothing to do with Bitcoin, but it was called Coinfinity. There was no cryptocurrency back in 98. And then Coinfinity merged into X.com, which was an online banking company that was founded shortly after PayPal. It was founded in January of 99 by one Elon Musk, who we're going to talk about again in this show. This story about PayPal with Chris Moneymaker has nothing to do with Elon, with Elon Musk because he's no longer involved with PayPal. Anyway, eBay acquired it in October of 2002, I see here. So I guess it was after I had my first incident with them. But let me tell you about my first incident with them, and you'll see how much similar it is to what is happening right now to various poker pros. So with a different ownership, and 20 years later, it's the same, which is pretty unbelievable. You think with so many things having changed with online payment services and all that in the last 20 years, you would think that there's no way a similar experience could happen with this company with different ownership, but yeah, it did. So listen to what happened to me. In 01, online poker was in its infancy. That wasn't the first year of online poker. The first year was actually 98, but still most people were not playing online poker. In fact, the poker boom had not even started. If you asked someone in 2001, who is Chris Moneymaker? They'd say, huh? If you asked someone in 2001, what is the World Poker Tour? They'd say, huh? If you asked them, hey, did you see that poker on TV where you could see everyone's hole cards? They'd say, huh? Because that didn't exist in 01. Poker was something that people just didn't play unless you had a kind of niche interest in it. People knew about poker. People knew there were card rooms, but people didn't know much about it. And uh, not that many people played. There was no poker craze in 2001. But that's when I found poker was uh, actually at the end of 2000, I got Lee Jones' book, and this is before he was involved with Poker Stars. In fact, Poker Stars didn't exist yet, but I got Lee Jones' book on Low Limit Hold'em, that is Low Limit Hold'em, not just Low Limit Hold'em, but Low Limit Hold'em, so I wasn't reading about No Limit. It took me a few months to actually start playing, so I first played in January of 2001, and within about a month, I thought, hey, I wonder if there's an online version of this. I had not heard that there was. I just kind of wondered if there was. So I looked it up, and I found a site called Planet Poker. And Planet Poker conveniently took PayPal. Back in those days, PayPal had not yet banned uh, using PayPal to fund gambling. So that was not the problem. It was actually allowed to fund online poker or any online gambling site with PayPal. They had not prohibited it yet. It, they, they were going to very soon, but it hadn't happened yet. So... That was the way I was loading money onto Planet Poker and then later onto True Poker, which I joined in the middle of 01. Well, True Poker ended up being the problem because on True Poker, I loaded like 1500 bucks on there and it was fine. And uh, then I ran it up, then I cashed out, then I went through a downswing and I needed to load money back on. So I go to load money back on and something's not working. True Poker kept saying invalid email address. Whatever it was, it just was having a hard time interfacing with PayPal, and I was getting very frustrated. I started getting a feeling that the error was actually on True Poker's side, that somehow True Poker was showing that the transaction was invalid when in reality the transaction was working fine. I even called PayPal. They said they couldn't see a reason why this shouldn't work. So I uh, 
was emailing with True Poker, and finally True Poker admitted that the error is on their end. They said they can't figure it out, but for some reason, my then-current PayPal account just absolutely was not working with their system anymore. It once did, but for some reason it kept keeps getting rejected, but every other transaction from other people are going through. There's just something wrong with my account, and they, they can't figure it out, and they'll work on it, but it could be quite some time until they solve this. So I thought, ah, oh, shit, what do I do now? And I said, oh, wait a minute. Hey, guys, uh, do you mind if I deposit using a different PayPal account? They said, no, go right ahead. Not against our rules. That was what True Poker told me. So I said, okay. So I made a second PayPal account and loaded up whatever money I wanted to load up on there. And uh, it worked. And yeah, it turned out it was just that account that was having trouble. Keep in mind, my PayPal account was in good standing. There was no issue. It was just really a technical issue between PayPal and True Poker with my particular account. Very weird, but that's really what it was. So I thought I was fine. And uh, then about a month later, I loaded on some other money to my PayPal to uh, buy something else. I think maybe on eBay, whatever it was, I was actually like preloading money on my PayPal. It was actually easier to do that way. I forgot why that was, but it was easier to preload money onto your PayPal than to pay directly like through your credit card like people do now. Maybe that wasn't even available then. This was again in the middle of 01, 20 years ago. So I think I had like 140 bucks sitting in my PayPal. One day I get an email. The email says that I have violated the terms of service of PayPal by having two accounts. And that as a result, both accounts have been suspended. I said, great. I only did this just so I could deposit into True Poker because they were having a problem with the first account. So I said, okay, you know, I, I'm going to call up PayPal and explain this. Remember, I was not breaking any terms of service by depositing to a gambling site. It was just a matter of, uh, that I had created a second account, and apparently this wasn't allowed. I didn't realize it wasn't allowed. I, I thought it was okay. I didn't look up if it was okay, but I kind of assumed it was okay. I hadn't seen anything like really clear that it wasn't okay. I couldn't really think of logically why it would have been so bad if I was still on the system in good standing and I made a second account. I could see why they wouldn't want it if I was in bad standing and made a second account. But here I was in good standing. I didn't think it would be a big deal. But their bot caught me, their bot that looks for like similar details, and it, it caught it, and it suspended both accounts. So I thought, okay, I will call them up and explain it and say, you guys are welcome to close the first account, and let me keep the second account, and we'll be good. And I thought that would be that. Well, first problem was that I could not find the phone number for PayPal. I searched and I searched. I went through their website. I could not find the phone number. I couldn't find the phone number by whatever search I did with search engines at the time, with Google, which I think existed then, and with whatever else. I could not find that either. I tried to resolve it through email because it did say what I needed to do to resolve it. So I figured before I call, and since I wasn't able to find the phone number at first, what I decided to do was just follow their instructions. So it said that I need to send them a utility bill which uh, matches my driver's license. And I go, oh, shit. What do I do here? Because my driver's license had a P.O. box on it, which, by the way, is a good idea. If you don't have a P.O. box on your driver's license and you have a P.O. box... I would suggest getting one. Why? Because when you show your driver's license to someone, sometimes it's someone you wouldn't want having your home address 
for example, if you get in a car accident with someone, you may not want that person having your home address. And they'll have it if you uh, have to exchange information with them. Or sometimes there's businesses that require your license and you may not want them having your home address or being able to look it up if they have any problem with you. So it's always better to have a P.O. box on your driver's license. But occasionally there's some downsides to it. And this was one of them where they wanted a utility bill which matches my address on my driver's license. And I don't have a utility bill matching a P.O. box, obviously, because my P.O. box does not have utilities. So I figured, okay, I will send them both and explain to them the problem. In fact, the good thing was my utility bills were actually going to the P.O. box. It's just the service address was obviously not the P.O. box. It was actually where I lived, which at the time was in an apartment. So I uh, sent the utility bill. I sent the driver's license. I explained how they don't match because the driver's license is a P.O. box. And I even said, take a look there. It says... uh, you'll see the billing address is the same. It's just the service address is not. So I figured, okay, that'll be fine. Well, like three weeks passed and finally I get an email back from PayPal. They go, oh, finally, they unlocked my account. Email back from PayPal says, you failed to follow instructions. Please send us a utility bill which matches your driver's license. So that was not good. Back to square one. So I sent them back an email saying, please read carefully. I put at the beginning with asterisks before and afterwards. Star, 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 star. Please read this carefully. And I explained once again why they don't match and what they can look for to see at least a partial match and that this is the best I can do. And to me, I was thinking this doesn't make any sense. What if your utilities are in your roommate's name? Then what do you do? Why do you have to have utilities in your name to unlock your account? There's got to be an alternate way to do it. And they weren't providing one. But I thought, okay, maybe they just read it too quickly. And now that I'm putting star, 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 please read carefully that they will handle it properly this time. So I wait another three or four weeks, get an email back. Please respond with a utility bill and a driver's license, which have the same address on them. (laughs) Completely ignored everything I wrote. I was in an endless loop. I would try to explain why I couldn't provide it, and they would send me an email back saying, please provide this to unlock your account. So I was stuck. The only thing I could possibly do to unlock my account would be to go down to the DMV and get a driver's license with that address on it, with a home address on it, wait for the new license to arrive, and then send it to them. But I was not going to do that over a matter of $140. Now, what was funny is at one point I loaded up $1,500 to send to True Poker. And had that been caught in there, I probably would have done that because I wouldn't have wanted them to keep $1,500. But over 140, I wasn't going to jump through all the hoops they wanted me to jump through. So on this third email, after this third email where again, they're telling me the same stupid thing, I said, okay, obviously I need to talk to a human being. I've got to research a phone number. So I researched it and somehow I came up with a phone number with a weird 402 area code, which wasn't what I expected for PayPal. 402 is Nebraska. And PayPal was based in the Bay Area. I'm not sure why it had a 402 phone number, but that's what it had. So I called up the 402 number, which I'm surprised they even had people answering the phone at because they don't publicize it all. In fact, they made it really, really, really difficult to find. I found it on some third-party website where it was buried in a bunch of stuff. It was really not meant for people to find. So I'm surprised anyone found it. But anyway, I found it. I called it up, and I got a human being. 
And I actually got a human being in the U.S. So I explained the whole thing to that person. I explained exactly what was going on, why I couldn't send them a utility bill with a service address matching my driver's license because my driver's license has a P.O. box. I explained why there were two accounts. I told them I'm perfectly fine with them shutting down the first account, which had a zero balance anyway. I said I'd love to just use my second account as my one and only account, that I will never violate this rule again. I will only have one account, that I didn't do this maliciously, that you'll see I didn't commit any fraud, and that all I'd like is just to unlock the second account with $140 in it and let me use it, or at the very minimum, if they want to kick me off, let me get access to my funds, and then they can kick me off. And after I explained that whole thing, the woman said back to me, well, it's not our fault that you can't follow instructions. (laughs) seriously that's what she said to me she got very hostile with me saying that I'm calling up demanding that they bend because I can't follow instructions and I said I am following instructions I just do not have a driver's license that matches a utility bill as far as the address is concerned because my driver's license has a P.O. box and P.O. boxes don't have utilities Well, that's your problem, she says back. You're the one who needs to correct that, not us. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I say, so you're saying I cannot get access to my money? You're going to steal my money unless I can produce a utility bill that matches my driver's license address, even though my driver's license has a P.O. box? Yes, she said. Until you do that, you will not get your money. I couldn't believe it. I said, this is a horrible company. I figured this couldn't be legal, what they're doing. It's one thing to do a know-your-customer procedure. It's one thing to force the customer to prove that they are legit. But they have to have some sort of alternate resolution. I asked her, okay, let's say I had a roommate and the utilities were in his name. Then what would I do? Again, it's not our problem if you can't produce the documentation, she said. So if I had a roommate and the utilities were in his name, again, I would be screwed and not be able to get my funds. This is back in mid-2001. So I was super pissed. So we had a big argument, and I got nowhere. Ended up hanging up on him. Realized phone support was not going to help me. They kept repeating the same dumb crap over and over and blaming me. Obviously, email was getting nowhere. So what did I do? Well, I did a credit card chargeback because I loaded it on with a credit card. PayPal, being as disorganized as they were, did not respond to the chargeback in 30 days, as sometimes large corporations don't. By the way, that's a trick. If a large corporation ever screws you, you can do a chargeback, and they are required to respond within 30 days, and often they're too busy or disorganized to do it, and then you win by default. And I've, I've used that a number of times in my life. I've never cheated any company this way, and I don't encourage you to cheat anyone, but I'm saying if you get screwed and there just seems like no way out of it, and you're like, okay, I guess the only way to get the money back is to sue them. No, uh, you can actually charge it back and there's a good chance you'll win because they are often too disorganized to respond to the chargeback and then you win by default. So that's what I did and I won by default and then PayPal got the bad news and they eventually realized I charged back to get my 140 back and they shut down my account and that was that. So I was off PayPal for quite some time. Then a few years later, I got a letter, not from PayPal, but about PayPal, from a lawyer. A lawyer had identified me as one of many people that were victimized by PayPal in this exact way. And the class action lawsuit that had been filed 
really seemed like he was talking about me. I know it wasn't personally about me, but boy, it was incredibly similar to what I had gone through. It talked about how people's accounts get shut down by automated systems for flimsy reasons, that they make it intentionally difficult to find a phone number to call to speak to them about it, that they ignore emails or respond with form letters that do not address the concerns of the customer, and that even if you do reach someone by phone, they are completely stubborn and uh, find every way they can to try to keep your money. I thought, yep, that's 100% true. That's exactly what happened to me. So I, I was part of that class automatically unless I opted out of it. And I ended up getting a check for like $80 for the whole thing, which is actually one of my better class action results. After that, I, I made an account on PayPal later on, and they didn't ban me for signing back up, so it was fine. But uh, that was my first incident with PayPal, and I was off there several years because of what happened there. Not my fault. I tried to do everything to prove who I was. I tried to explain over and over they just weren't having it. And I thought, wow, this is really shady. It really is like they're trying to do all they can to steal my money. They hide behind terms of service that are unfair and perhaps illegal. And they find every possible way to hold up my money and to be very uncooperative to where if I don't do their exact things they're demanding, including things that are impossible or incredibly difficult to do, then they keep my money by default if I can't do those things. So I thought that was incredibly shady, and I've hated them ever since. Now, you may say, well, that's 20 years ago. Stop holding a grudge. But I've seen over and over where PayPal abuses its customers. What they eventually came to do was something different, and this has started uh, a long time ago, not quite in 01, but a long time ago, they came up with a new procedure when they would determine that an account was not following terms. What they would do is they would lock the account from taking the money out in any way for six months. So you could still log in, you could still see everything, but you could not withdraw the money and you could not send the money anywhere. You could only just log in or refund the money. And you'd have to wait six months during that six months, anyone that had uh, sent money to you would be able to claim it back as a chargeback. And then after six months, whatever was remaining in there, provided nobody charged back, then you would be able to withdraw at that point. You may say, well, that doesn't sound that bad. Well, it is because what would happen is you would get your account locked in this fashion by a bot that would even look for words that the bot didn't like. And you could really maliciously get someone's account shut down by sending them a penny or a dollar or whatever and write something in the description where it looks like something that's prohibited there. And then it would automatically get shut down by the bot and there'd be no way to appeal it. Even if it was malicious and you could prove it's malicious, you have nobody to complain to. There's no email address to write to. If you call, you get people who... Try to be helpful, but they eventually tell you honestly that they have no visibility into this and no power over this and that they can't hook you up with anybody who does have such visibility or power into it. So they really say, I'm sorry, we can't disclose the exact reason you got closed down. 
just that we see you violated the terms and we don't have anyone to refer you to to appeal because there is no appeal. The decision is final. I'm sorry, sir. I understand why you're so upset, but we're just not given the access to do anything for you. That's what these people say, and they're not lying to you. These, these reps you get when you call PayPal really have no power, including their supervisors and managers. Uh, the only people with the power to reverse this are not customer-facing, and you can't reach them in any way, directly or indirectly. So once that decision is made, it is in stone. So your account is locked up. Now, a few people like Matt the Rat have had success writing to the executive office, but most people who have tried to write to the executive office have not gotten anything reversed, and they either get ignored or they get back a letter saying that they're choosing not to take any different action. So for the most part, if you get shut down in this way, whether you violated terms or whether you're accused of violating terms when you really didn't, you're stuck. And then they're going to hold your money hostage for six months. There's no way out of it. So let's say you need that money. Let's say you just want that money. You cannot get that money. They will actually hold your money hostage for six months. Imagine if a bank worked this way. Imagine if you were money in the bank, the bank just decided you broke a term of service. And you go into the bank and say, hey, what term did I break? I'm sorry, we can't tell you. Well, okay, uh, who can I speak to about this? I'm sorry, there's nobody to speak to. Okay, well, can I speak to you? No, not really, because I have no information and I have no power to reverse this. Well, can you at least let me email someone? Nope, I don't have anyone to give for you to email. Is there a way I can submit an appeal? No. So what can I do? You can wait six months for your funds. Imagine if they told you that at a bank. They wouldn't even tell you what you did wrong. No appeal form. Nothing. You think that would fly? You think they could get away with that? Of course not. You have a right to your funds. Now, if the government freezes your funds or something like that, it's a different story. But the bank cannot just decide they're going to hold up your funds and not let you have them because they, quote, say you broke terms. Somehow PayPal thought they could. And in fact, they've been doing it for a very long time. Now, I found one way around this, and that is the refund trick. Now, the refund trick only works if you know the people who've been sending you money well enough to where you can trust them to pay you in another way. The refund trick is that since you can refund anyone you want that has paid you previously, that you go through the list of payments that you have received and you refund those people. So now they get some of the money that's stuck and then they pay you another way. Maybe they send it to you by Zelle or Cash App or whatever, or they just give you cash. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. Just someone you trust enough not to just take the money and run. However, if it's someone who's bought things from you from eBay, you can't do that. Or if it's just some shady person that you really don't trust to give you the money back or someone you have no way to contact, then you can't do that. But if you can find enough people in your list of people you've paid to where you can get refund the money to them and then have them pay you back another way, that's a way out of it. And when that has happened to me, because I've had some of these BS shutdowns, these six-month suspensions, I've had some of those in the past, since 01. I'm not talking about the 01 thing when that didn't even exist. That's what I did. Like I would go through the list and i say, oh, okay, well, uh, Trader Ruski sent me some money uh, I see six months back. I'm, I'm going to refund him because I can totally trust Trader Ruski to pay me another way. So if I find people like him, or even just others I trust, even when it's not quite as much as him, but others I trust, then I can do it. And since most people who've been sending me anything on PayPal are ones I can at least trust somewhat, I've been able to get out of it and either get my balance to zero or near zero, and I end up uh, 
not worrying about it. But uh, not everybody's in that spot. It depends who's been paying you. And even if you can figure out what I did here, that doesn't make it right what PayPal's doing. It's just a loophole to get out of it. It's just totally unfair. They should not be judge, jury, and executioner with your funds. And by the way, they do this no matter what the term is that you're breaking. Now, if they're suspecting you of scamming, it makes sense to hold up your funds for six months to see if any of the victims come forward to claim their funds back. But they will sometimes hold your funds up for six months if it has nothing to do with scamming. If it's anything they think is a slight breakage of their terms, even nothing to do with fraud or scamming, they will hold it up for six months. But that's not a new story. This has been going on a while. I've talked about this before on this show. So if that's all that was happening, I wouldn't be making a big segment out of this on a show on May 21st, 2021. The reason that I am making a big segment out of this, the reason that I wanted Chris Moneymaker to come on, and hopefully we'll be able to find him tonight. But the reason we're doing all this tonight is because they have graduated to a new tactic, and that is outright taking people's money. And that is really one step too far. You thought it was bad before what I described. Now it's really bad. A number of months ago, Chris Moneymaker went on to Twitter and complained that PayPal had frozen his money. He claimed that he was receiving money to collect for a fantasy sports league. I'm not talking about daily fantasy sports. I'm talking about a traditional fantasy sports league, which is legal, that has always been legal. In fact, when they passed PASPA, in 1992, which prohibited any kind of sports betting in the U.S. except in Nevada, there was a carve-out for fantasy sports because fantasy sports was not seen as gambling and fantasy sports was something that people would typically do for a full season. So there usually wasn't a lot of money at stake. It was usually just a bunch of friends or coworkers who knew each other who wanted to compete in fantasy football or baseball leagues. So there was actually a carve-out in the law making fantasy sports explicitly legal to do anywhere. So you could not get in trouble for running a fantasy sports league, for collecting money for a fantasy sports league where there's a prize. Even though it definitely has an element of chance, even though it kind of resembles sports betting in a way, it has always been legal for this reason, as long as there's not any kind of rake taken or anything like that, as long as you pay out what you took in, minus whatever expenses, like if you need to pay... If everyone needs to pay a little bit for the league management software, that's fine. But just as long as nobody's taking a rake and profits from it outside of the winners, then it was legal. It always has been legal. So this is fantasy sports I'm talking about, not daily fantasy sports, which was an offshoot of that, which took advantage of the fact that fantasy sports was legal. And that was the loophole they used to create something that really much more resembled gambling. And we're able to get away with it. And that's why we have these huge daily fantasy sports sites in existence today. That's a little history lesson on daily fantasy sports. But this isn't about daily fantasy sports. This is about just regular fantasy sports, which has existed for decades. And Chris Moneymaker took a collection from the other members in his league for fantasy sports. And I assume it was probably 12 people sending him $1,000 plus whatever, maybe for expenses. So... uh, I believe they sent him about $12,000 and a little bit more. 
12,200-something, I believe, is the total we're talking about. And he was holding it until the season was going to be over, and then he was going to distribute it. There, there always has to be a player who holds it. So he was the guy who was uh, elected to hold it. By the way, I do fantasy sports. I do fantasy baseball. I'm actually the guy who holds the funds. So I'm not committing any violation of the law by doing this. But I always tell people, if you send any money on PayPal, make sure not to put anything in the description. And this is exactly for this reason. So I don't have people put in there for fantasy sports or otherwise I could get my account closed. Not by a human being, but by a bot. And then there's no way to appeal it. So I always have people leave the description field blank. Otherwise, that bot catches it and it shuts down your account. But a lot of people don't know this. I have a ton of experience with PayPal, but a lot of people in poker did not, and a lot of them got the shaft because of this. So Chris Moneymaker is one of those people. I'm not expecting him to have known this, by the way. I'm not blaming him in any way. So he did what most people did, and he told people to send it to him on PayPal, and probably a lot of them put stuff in the description you know, for fantasy sports, whatever it is. The bot caught it, and he got his account frozen. So... He was asking what he could do about this. He asked about this a number of months ago on Twitter. I responded to him and said, well, you can do this refund trick. For whatever reason, he didn't do the refund trick. Maybe some of the people he was playing with, he wasn't sure if they'd pay him back another way. I don't know. I didn't want to pry into his business. It doesn't really matter. The bottom line was he didn't do it. He decided to wait out the the 180 days, which PayPal told him that all he has to do is wait it out, and if nobody charges it back, then he will get this after six months, after those 180 days pass. So I guess he figured that uh, he understood my advice and thanked me for it, but uh, I guess he elected not to do it and just to wait the six months and to get the 12K back that way. So the six months just ended, and listen what happened. This is just so obnoxious. This is so maddening to hear about. It pisses me off, and I was not a victim of any of this, but I, it pisses me off just to hear about this. Chris Moneymaker s- tweeted on May 18th, so PayPal froze my account last year and said I could access my money in 180 days. Well, they straight up stole the money out of my account. And then he sh- provided a screenshot. Listen to this screenshot. It's obscene. It is insane. I mean, it's just insane. It says, PayPal, April 14th, 2021 transfer. What kind of transfer? It says paid with PayPal cash plus balance. That's just basically what his uh, cash balance was of PayPal, $12,228.55. So wait a minute, who did he pay? Who is this transfer to? And it says, note, $12,228.55, PayPal posting date, April 14, 2021, payment to PayPal. What? What? PayPal? Why is it going to them? And then it says, PayPal's damages caused by acceptable use policy violation. What? They are fining him $12,228.55 for damages, they say, caused by his, quote, policy violation. Can you believe this? Chris Moneymaker was not scamming anybody. Chris Moneymaker was not running a sportsbook operation. Chris Moneymaker was not selling drugs or doing anything illegal. Chris Moneymaker was 
holding fantasy sports money for his league, which is legal. You could walk into the police station and say, I want to let you know people sent me $1,000 each for a fantasy sports league. And at the end of the season, I'm going to distribute it according to who won. The police would say, okay, why are you telling us this? They wouldn't arrest you. It's legal. What he's doing is legal. Now, if PayPal doesn't like their service being used for this, that is fine. They're not required to allow this. But how can they steal his money? How can they steal his money? They're claiming damages. What damages? How did they get damaged? Who got damaged? Nobody complained. It's not like one of the people that uh, sent him the money said, hey, Chris is scamming me. That never happened. They just decided to call it, quote, damages and are keeping the money after telling him, wait six months, and if nobody tries to get the money back, if nobody accuses you of scamming, then we will give it back to you. That's the same way they've handled it for everybody, including me, for many years, which already is wrong. But now they kicked it up another notch, and they're outright stealing the money at the end of the 180 days without warning and calling it damages to them. I see that in the screenshot. This happened on April 14th, 2021. Wow, that is insane. That I had never seen before. But maybe you will say, well, how do we know we can believe Chris Moneymaker? I mean, sure, he seems like a nice guy. Sure, he seems like someone who is probably telling the truth, but you never know. I mean, those main event winners, look, uh, Greg Raymer seemed like a great family man, and then he was busted going to prostitutes. So, you know, do we really know these likable main event winners? Maybe there's a sinister side to Chris Moneymaker. Well, I'm here to say that is highly unlikely. Ryan Feldman, another person with a good reputation in poker, said back, same exact thing happened to me. They took 25K, exact reason they gave. I still haven't gotten it back. So Ryan Feldman, exact same story. Stole from him the exact same way. Mike Mattisau. Happened to him too. He said they took 11K from him. He also said, my attorney told me if you read the fine print, they're allowed to steal our money. It's criminal, but we can't do anything. By the way, I don't know about that. There might be a good lawsuit here. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? They have written damages into their acceptable use policy, into their terms of service. Chris Moneymaker also tweeted on that same day, if you have a PayPal account, they can literally steal your money for thousands of reasons and offer you no reason why. True, that's happened to me. Here's their response after stealing my 12K. We can certainly understand where this type of situation would be concerning, they wrote. If an account holder violates our acceptable use policy, we may hold funds for up to 180 days, debit the PayPal account for up to $2,500 for each violation, and take legal action against the account holder to recover additional losses, which we've incurred. (laughs) So it's not bad enough that they're assessing a $2,500 fine per incident, but they also are saying they can sue you if you don't have enough funds to cover it. So if they think you've damaged them 15000 and they've only been able to confiscate 12000 they might sue you for the other 3000 Can you believe this? And they don't explain how there's $2,500 damage. Where, where's the damages? They don't even have human beings processing this. It's a bot. A bot goes through, 
catches the words fantasy on there or fantasy baseball, fantasy football, whatever, automatically shuts down the account and holds it shut down for 180 days, where are the damages? Who damaged them and how? How does each violation account for 2,500 in damages? Why not say it's a million dollars per, per uh, incident? Why not say it's a billion? Seriously, like how, how did they come up with that number? How can they claim that these are the damages and how can they just take it from you? It's actually better if they were to sue you for it, but not take it. So if they were to let Chris take his money and then sue him, it would still be reprehensible, but at least a court of law would be deciding whether they'd be able to get the money and probably they would lose. But here, they are acting as the judge. They are acting as the jury. And they are acting as their own collection agents, and they are just taking your money they happen to be holding. It would be like if you say, hey, Todd, can you hold this money for me for a little bit? And I say, sure. And you hand me $12,000, and I'm holding your $12,000. And then uh, we get into an argument, not related to the 12000 but you know, we just get into some kind of unrelated argument where uh, we have some kind of bad blood between each other, and we're no longer friends. And you come to me and say, hey, um, can I have my 12000 back? I say, no, uh, I've determined you've damaged me by your words, which have hurt my feelings. So I'm keeping your 12000 You think I could get away with that? You think if this went to court, I would win? Of course not. And if this was exposed that I did such a thing, do you think everybody, you think 100% of people commenting on this would call me a scumbag and would say that I was a complete asshole to do such a thing? Of course. Because you can't just decide that somebody has damaged you and keep their money. Now, it's one thing if somebody scammed you and you find a way to get the money back from them without them knowing and you basically collect back what they stole from you. That's a different story. That's fine. If someone scammed me out of $1,000 and uh, I happened to find a way to steal back $1,000 from them, yeah, you bet I'd do it. But uh, we're not talking about that here. We're talking about a fine, a punishment. They're actually punishing Chris Moneymaker for violating their terms for the awful offense of collecting money for fantasy sports. That's seriously what happened here. But uh, Joe D., who is a lawyer who both listens to this show and reads the forum and posts on the forum, uh, he posted, they probably added that $2,500 damages provision for, quote, each violation into their terms of service as a legal basis to keep the funds. Still awful and should be challenged in court. Yeah, I agree. It is something like that. That they have decided, you know what? We're not going to just suspend people for 180 days. We're going to suspend them and then we're going to assess them very high damages per violation to where for just about all of them, we will be able to keep all their money. The damages are going to be so high and as long as we can say multiple violations occurred, then we can keep their money. So like if, if they determined you violated their terms 10 times by receiving 10 people's funds for fantasy baseball or football, well, that's 25000 right there. Something like that. And they did it to Ryan Feldman and they did it to Chris Moneymaker. And there were others that came out on Twitter that said it happened to them. Now, somebody who doesn't like America's card room brought up something that I want to address as well. Someone named Random Guy, who I guess is just some random guy. His name is actually Random Guy on Poker Fraud Alert. He actually registered this month. 
He wrote, I hope Moneymaker doesn't hope to get any sympathy since he takes money from the winning poker network, which is ACR, and they have confiscated funds from an account or two. Well, here's the problem with that logic. Chris Moneymaker does not run America's Card Room. Chris Moneymaker is a guy who is promoting America's Card Room. Now, if America's Card Room was an outright scam, like Lock Poker became, and he was still promoting them, then I would see this guy's point. Because if you're promoting an outright scam that is stealing people's money, that anyone who deposits on there is going to get their money outright taken, uh, then if Chris were to continue promoting that despite being told about it and being made aware of it, then I would say, yes, the guy deserves no sympathy. But that's not the case here. Uh, America's Card Room, despite all of its flaws, and it has a lot of flaws, uh, it does have a good reputation for paying people. I'm not saying they're perfect, and there are some accusations against them that I think some of which have some credibility, and they let bots run wild there and weren't doing anything about it. There's been a number of issues over time with America's Card Room. They're definitely uh, not without flaws, but they're not a scam room, and promoting them is not a sin at this point. Because the truth is, there is no online poker room that isn't in the legalized market. There's no unregulated online poker room right now serving U.S. players that doesn't have something that you can fairly criticize. For example, Bovada and Ignition, which I play on, Trader Ruski has boycotted them because they stole 160 bucks from him. And they did. And there's no question they did. So he boycotted it, and I support him for doing so. I totally understand why he has quit them and gone to ACR. So there are incidents like that that occur on these big rooms. But uh, the truth is that these are currently still the most trustworthy online poker rooms that are not in the regulated market that are accessible for U.S. players. So it's either you kind of deal with the uh, idiosyncrasies and some of the small injustices in these rooms, or you just don't play. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that's the way it currently is. But these are not outright scam sites, and there's a huge difference. So I don't blame Chris for taking the ACR job. Like, look, uh, Vanessa Cade took the ACR job, and I covered that on here. And this was before she won the big tournament on PokerStars. So it wasn't because of that that she got the job there. But I never said that she shouldn't take the job because ACR doesn't have a spotless history. When you take a job promoting one of these sites, as long as for the most part they've been operating okay, especially these days, then that's good enough. Yeah, it would be great if these sites had no blemishes, but it's just not realistic. And you can sit on your high horse and say, oh, well, I wouldn't take the money. I'm sure you wouldn't. You know, If they offered it to you, I bet you would. If I were to be offered to be a sponsored pro on one of these existing sites... Of course, it would matter how much money it was. But uh, if I got offered a lucrative contract to promote one of these sites and I was convinced they're not going to have payout issues or anything like that, I I would probably take the position. I would want to have some sort of uh, connection to the ownership to where they would listen to real legitimate complaints and I would want some kind of influence in getting these resolved. I wouldn't want to be, after being known as the anti-poker fraud guy for all these years, to be representing a site that screws someone. And even if it's kind of an outlier situation, 
to where that person is just ignored and too bad. I would like to use my position if I were to represent such a site to kind of help people out in this spot. But aside from that, I would take it where I would never have taken a penny from UB when it had its scandal or Absolute Poker when it had its scandal or Lock Poker, any of those. And if I, if I was representing one of these sites and this was happening, I would quit no matter what it said in my contract. Chris Moneymaker has done nothing wrong taking his position at America's Card Room, even though they haven't been perfect, just as Vanessa Cade did nothing wrong by taking her position, just like every other sponsored pro on America's Card Room has done nothing wrong. So that's I don't think that's a fair criticism. Random guy can think what he wants, and he's welcome to his opinion, but uh, I don't think that's a fair criticism. Chris Moneymaker just got outright screwed here. And still, that, that really doesn't have much to do with it either. Like, you can say, oh, he doesn't deserve sympathy. Okay, well, you know, maybe you don't like Chris or you don't like him being part of ACR and you think he deserves no sympathy. Okay, don't give him your sympathy then. But he has my sympathy because he got outright screwed by PayPal here. They stole his money from everything he's presented. It looks like they stole his money unless there's something he's not telling us, which I doubt. It looks to me like he's being very straightforward and honest and presenting what they sent him and explaining everything that happened. So I would be very surprised if it turned out that he was hiding something from us. So I think he's telling us the truth, especially because others have come forward and said, yeah, it happened to me too. So who do you think I trust more? Chris Moneymaker, Ryan Feldman, Mike Matisau, all with the same story, or PayPal, who hasn't even denied this? I think you know. So this is really, really bad. And I hope that Chris Moneymaker does sue PayPal. And he said he wants to. But I hope he does sue PayPal. I hope these other poker pros sue PayPal. I hope that PayPal gets their ass handed to them in court and has to pay a lot of damages for this. In fact, I want them paying damages to anyone they have done this to, not just the ones we've identified on Twitter not just poker players, but I'm sure there's tons of people around the United States who have been screwed in this exact same way. And I want to see PayPal in court, and I want to see PayPal paying through the nose back to these people that they screwed in this fashion. Boy, this pisses me off. And in case you're one of these terms of service monkeys who says, well, it says that in the terms... He may not like it. It may be kind of unfair, but you got to adhere to it. First of all, that's bullshit. This is something in the terms that uh, is just not fair, not ethical, and may not even be legal. And second, if you're going to have something non-standard like this, it needs to be disclosed to where it's very clear to everybody using their service that if they hold cash on PayPal, that PayPal at any point has a right to be judge, jury, and executioner of your funds and just take them. Not freeze them, but take them. And if they don't make that 100% clear, if there's not a pop-up box, not with a 20-page terms of service where it's buried in there, but not a pop-up box saying, wait, before you create this account, please be aware we can confiscate your money at any time for any reason that we deem a violation and we can keep your money up to 2500 per violation and sue you for any money beyond that. 
Do you still wish to hold cash on this site? If someone says yes at this point, okay. But I don't think you will find even 0.01% of active PayPal users who are aware of the fact that this could happen, that they can get their accounts frozen, they could be not told what they did wrong, they could have no ability to appeal, and that PayPal can take their money at a rate of $2,500 per, quote, violation with no process to appeal it or question it, that they can just take it. They can just decide you're wrong and take it. Who the hell are they? Are they a court? Are they a government body? Are they law enforcement? No. They are just a corporation that you have given your trust to to hold your money. And they have the nerve to think they can just steal it from you. What a bunch of bullshit. I hope they lose their ass in court over this one. Not just involving Chris, involving all of this. If every company deserves to get sued and lose and be smacked with punitive damages, it would be PayPal here. This is disgusting. It gets me angry just to talk about, even though they're not holding any of my money hostage. Reminds me of Lock Poker. That was an obnoxious scam, which I extensively covered. I was on Lock's ass more than anybody, and yet I never had a penny stolen from me by Lock. But they just pissed me off so much by all their actions. I wanted to expose them, and I did. And I'd like to think that I am someone who had a hand in their demise. And I know they hated me. I know that they were very unhappy with everything I was doing. I know that Jennifer Larson, the owner of Lock, bitched about me to people. But too bad. Frickin' PayPal. Wow. By the way, you may say, well, what about Venmo? That's kind of similar. Maybe uh, Chris should start using Venmo. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Remember, we've been covering another story in recent months that Venmo, there is some sort of flaw where people can get hacked and there's no way to stop it. That even when Vanessa Selps realized that they were in the process of trying to hack her, she couldn't stop it. And say what you will about Vanessa Selps, and I have a lot of criticism for Vanessa Selps, and I do not like Vanessa Selps at all, and she does not like me at all, and we pretty much see the world in a completely opposite fashion. But one thing I will say for Vanessa Selps is she is intelligent, and she understands all of these things, and she could not stop it. Why? Because there was no way to stop it, because people, someone, whoever this is, whoever this criminal is that's been stealing from poker pros, has found a way to get into any Venmo account at will, and they do so by first sending some sort of weird request for a small amount of money to the victim. And then from that point, they've found some way to get into the account without having to guess their password or hack their password or fish their password or anything anything like that. They can just get in, and you can't stop them. You can see it's coming like Vanessa did, and there's nothing you can do. And Vanessa actually shipped her money over to her wife's account, thinking, okay, I bet they're going to get into mine. At least they won't get my money. And then they saw that, and then they went and hacked her wife's account and stole the money anyway. And then Venmo support either doesn't answer you or sends you form letters or is completely unhelpful. And there's still tons of poker pros waiting for a resolution. I think Shannon Shore is like one of the few people who managed to get resolution, but very few people did. There's still a lot of people who lost money, very prominent poker pros, including Daniel Negreanu, Eric Seidel, and many others, 
who just outright got money stolen through Venmo, through this flaw in their system that they will not admit exists. So, hmm, you can try to use Venmo and then get hacked by this person who's just picking well-known poker pros to hack and just gets into the back door and takes their money and Venmo won't help you. Venmo won't even acknowledge it's happening. Or you can go to PayPal where they'll just outright steal your money. So they're both the same company, by the way. So you can get your money stolen by hackers and Venmo won't help you. Or the service itself, PayPal, can steal your money. Great choice. (laughs) Very sad watching this sort of thing happening to poker pros. Very sad. It's one thing if it's happening from within our own community. We have our scumbag scammers out there who victimize people. And we'll always have that. People who are trying to stay in action and then scam people. And we've had so many stories about that that we've told over time on this show. And that's inevitable. There's always going to be assholes out there scamming people. But wouldn't it be nice if we could trust the large corporations who handle our money not to either outright steal or have a flaw in their system that allows others to steal and then they won't take responsibility for it? Wouldn't it be nice if they could just be good stewards of our money and not either take it or allow others to take it from us through no no fault of our own? Wouldn't that be nice if that existed? This is crazy. I feel like I'm living the twilight zone with this stuff. I mean, I thought PayPal was bad before. I thought they were shit for the last 20 years, but boy, this is... This has taken it to a new level. They've really kicked it up a notch here. They have really, really kicked it up a notch here. And it's just maddening. And believe me, you can try to search for a way to blame these poker players that have had their money taken, and you won't be able to find one. I guess the only thing you could say is they didn't know to tell people sending the money to leave the description field blank. But how are they supposed to know that? I know it from experience, but you can't expect everybody to know that. But that's really the only thing they did, quote, wrong. And it wasn't wrong. It was just from not knowing how to avoid this hammer coming down on you, this unfair hammer coming down on you. So you can't blame any of the victims here. It's not even like one of these scams, like the thing with Daniel Coleman recently, where he got scammed in a super obvious way and people were shocked that he fell for it for about a million bucks or more. But at least that was an individual who is alleged to have done this to him. But this is a large corporation. Why are they doing this crap? Does PayPal not make enough money to where they have to steal from people in this way? Now, by the way, I would support such thefts. I wouldn't call it a theft, but I would support such confiscations if it was aimed at scammers. And that's another problem, is that PayPal, for as aggressive as they are against people who are doing nothing wrong, They don't do enough to stop scammers. No, I'm sure they're confiscating some money from scammers too. But good luck ever getting them to put any kind of real effort to stop scams in progress. For example, we talked about a scam on this show, and this was brought up on Real Grinders prior to when uh, Ray Davis had his legal issues, but this is when Real Grinders was a big popular group a few years ago. Uh, We brought up uh, a story of a guy who just decided one day to charge back about $40,000 worth of transactions on PayPal. 
that he had done previous money trades. Basically, he did a bunch of money trades over time for things like ACR money with people on real grinders. Uh, racked up about $40,000 worth. Probably wasn't a very good poker player and lost it all. And then in order to get the money back, he charged it all back on PayPal. And PayPal upheld it all and gave him the money back. And their excuse was, well, everybody has a right to charge it back through their bank. So we have to uphold what the bank's doing. If the guy's doing it through his bank, his bank is charging back to us, so we have to charge it back to you. Well, there's a way to stop this. PayPal could make some effort to contact these banks and go to bat for their customers. They could go back to the banks and say, wait, this is a scam. This person's a scammer. This person did this to about 300 different individuals. This was a premeditated scam. So maybe you should change your mind and not make this decision. Or maybe before the decision is even made, when the banks would notify them about this, they could pre- present this information. But they had this information, but they don't. They just stay out of it and let th- this guy go to a bank. Hey, you know, PayPal, uh, someone hacked my PayPal account and uh, made unauthor- unauthorized charges. And PayPal's like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, I guess that's what he says. Okay, well, uh, we have nothing to say about it. And Bank's like, okay, well, we want the money back. Okay, we'll take the money back. Like, they make no effort to protect their customers in this way. What a crappy service. What a crappy service. And the, the problem is that uh, there really aren't many laws regulating them. So they basically do whatever the hell they want. That's why they are acting as judge, jury, and executioner. Now, you might recall from earlier this segment, I talked about a class action suit in the 2000s where they paid me $80 over what happened to me. So you may say, wait a minute, I thought that would have stopped, right? No, apparently not. I I thought it was going to also. I thought the days of the uh, freezing your account and uh, not giving you an easy way to get your account back and get your funds back, I thought those days were over. But no, 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 no. They were not over. They were not over. They're still doing it. All these years later. I got my class action settlement sometime in the mid-2000s. And here we are in the 2020s, and it's gotten even worse, even under different ownership. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that lovely? So I wouldn't blame Elon Musk for this because he doesn't have any involvement at this point. I wouldn't blame Peter Thiel for this. He doesn't have any involvement at this point. But PayPal's a shit company, and I would watch out dealing with them or Venmo. Now, when I say watch out, I mean do not keep a large balance on there. Always transfer your to, ba- to your bank account. As long as you have something like a checking account, you can always transfer to your bank for free, even small amounts of money. You could transfer a dollar at a time over and over and over again, and your statement will look gigantic if you transfer it a dollar a thousand times, they probably need to bring a, a semi-truck to bring your bank statement over to you, but you could do it and there wouldn't be any fees. There's no fees for these EFTs to your bank account. And uh, some of these savings accounts have fees more than a certain number of transactions, but get a checking account and you can transfer as much as you want, as many times as you want for free from PayPal. So don't just don't hold a balance there. Maybe convenient to hold a balance from there, but don't hold a balance there because this can happen to you. That's one thing. Second, with Venmo, never, ever leave a balance on there because that hacker can get in and steal it and Venmo won't help you. And disconnect your banking info. 
Because if you leave your banking info there, then they can use that to steal from you. Now, there you have some recourse because you can go to your bank, but it's a big pain in the ass. You might as well just delink your account. And with PayPal, just always be aware of this. Always be aware that this can happen. So now they don't leave a balance, but tell everybody sending you money on PayPal, leave the description field blank because it can only hurt you. It is a negative free roll. The description field is not going to help you very much. If you really need a description, then write it down on a piece of paper or, or put it on a notepad or something on your phone or your computer explaining what each transaction is for. But do not have them use the description field. Tell them no matter how tempting it is, super important, leave that description field blank. Don't write anything there. Make sure everybody understands that before they send you money on PayPal. So this way you will not have this occur as often. It won't be as likely that this will happen. And if you do get shut down, do not wait the 180 days like they're telling you. Find a way to refund people and then have them pay you elsewhere because you see what happens at the end of the 180 days. They just take it from you. You may say, well, wait, if I have no money left at the end, maybe they're going to sue me for 2500 per violation. No, they won't. I can't say for sure, but I think it's unlikely. I think they just write it in there to give themselves the right to do it, but I don't see themselves coming after you for this. So just be very careful with PayPal and Venmo for different reasons. I really hope that they end up on the losing end of a court case here. By the way, I think it's appropriate that on January 28th, 2008, they acquired a company called Fraud Sciences. <laughs> Looks like they definitely have been studying the science of fraud. Took them a lot of years to perfect the art, but yeah, fraud science is for sure. They really have acquired a ton of companies in the last 13 years. They've acquired fraud scientists, Bill Me Later, Where.com, Fig Card. By the way, it's not Fag Card, it's Fig Card. Zong. Card.io, Iron Pearl, Braintree, Venmo, Stackmob, Padient, Cyactive, Exum Corporation, Modest Inc., TO Networks, Swift Financial, Jetor, Izet, HyperWallet, Simimity, GoPay, Honey. That was their biggest, uh, that's the biggest transaction they did, by the way. That was $4 billion and Curve. So, by the way, you've probably seen Honey advertised, which I believe is like some service that tries to find you deals online. Just keep in mind who owns them. <laughs> but they've owned Venmo for eight years now. That's not even a new acquisition. I've never heard of this iZettle, but that was acquired in 2018 for $2.2 billion. They actually got Venmo cheap. They got Venmo for 26 mil. So that was a great deal. Some of these others I don't know about. Like in 08, they got this Bill Me Later for almost a billion dollars, and I never even heard of them before. I can't imagine that Bill Me Later was going to end up a titan in the industry if they hadn't acquired them. And Cyactive, uh, well, that was only 60 million. Hyper Wallet, again, I, I really haven't heard of that one. That was 400 million. 
But yeah, they've been swallowing up these payment companies for the last 13 years. And uh, there's a lot to criticize here. They're huge now. How huge are they? Well, they are listed on the NASDAQ. And uh, right now, their revenue is almost $18 billion, And that's as of 2019, probably higher now. And uh, their net income in 2019 was almost $2.5 billion. Their total assets, $51 billion as of 2019. eBay was their parent from uh, 2002 to 2015. Anyway, I hope they lose. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number if you want to call and talk about this or anything else on your mind. Please try to call in between segments if you do want to call. I didn't screw up this time. Last week I left it on Do Not Disturb so I couldn't see any calls coming in and I missed various calls. Almost missed Brandon trying to call in. Happened to glance at the screen and saw he was frantically calling in and it wasn't popping up because I had Do Not Disturb mode on. That is not on this week. So that is good. And if you want to text me, the phone number is 775-372-8355, as always, and I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning. Let's move forward and talk about what is going on with the Mike Possel case involving Veronica Brill. So if you remember, last week... I had a victory in court. I was not actually present there, but I was watching as my attorney, Eric Benzamokin, did his work, did a very good job. Mike Postel didn't do a very good job, in my opinion, and the pre-decision that was put forth by the judge the day before stood, which was that Mike owes me 26500 or so in attorney's fees and $435 in court costs. So that was a nice victory there. That was because I won my anti-slap motion in a way. The case was dropped by Mike on April 1st, but uh, they went ahead to hear the attorney's fees because by dropping the case, it's almost like he concedes that his anti-slap mo- that my anti-slap motion was going to be victorious. So uh, he was unable to convince the judge otherwise. The state requires at that point that reasonable attorney's fees are granted. She did cut down the attorney's fees we asked for from 43K down to around 27K. But we accepted that. That's the way it is. And I still consider it a nice victory. And so does Eric. Eric did a very, very good job on this. And everybody observing this, whether they're lawyers or whether they're just observers who aren't lawyers but kind of just have an opinion... Everybody agrees Eric did a great job. But it's not over because there's a second person essentially doing the same thing. Remember, there are a bunch of defendants, like a dozen defendants, but nobody got served. So the only two people who had any kind of litigation involving my apostle in this matter were myself and Veronica Brill, and that was because we hired counsel fairly quickly before being served and actually accepted service through our attorneys, which we have a right to do, and then filed an anti-slap motion in order to get ourselves dismissed from the case and to get a judgment for attorney's fees. And why do we do that? Well, because you don't want a $330 million lawsuit hanging over your head that you have to disclose every time you want to get a loan or do any kind of major financial transaction. 
you don't want that just sitting there. You want to put an end to it. So since Mike would not drop me off the case, we asked him to drop me off. We offered not to try to bill him for attorney's fees. If he dropped me off early, he would not do so. And so we went forward in a legal fashion to remove me. We were very transparent and honest the whole way of what we were going to do. We did exactly as we said, and it ended up with him owing me about $27,000 for attorney's fees and court costs. So what about Veronica? Well, her hearing was scheduled for May 19th. Ours was for May 12th. I told you about that last week. We had Eric on last week to explain everything. But May 19th was to be the date for Veronica to basically do the same thing. The case was dropped against everybody, and she also had an anti-slap pending, so it was really a very, very similar situation. However, one major difference was the amount of money that was being asked for. We were asking for 43000 and change in total, and Veronica was asking for about 78000 which is close to double. So why such a difference? Well, one of the big differences is who she hired. She hired Mark Randazza, who is a First Amendment attorney. He's a high-profile First Amendment attorney who has been on TV. His name is well-known in the legal community. He is very bombastic and brash, and... She hired him to defeat this uh, whole defamation suit before it got started via an anti-slap motion the same way I did it with Eric Benzamokin. Mark Randazza successfully did the same for Scott Robin of Vital Vegas when the Sahara recently sued him. So he did have some recent success in that realm. In fact, I have to imagine that Mark Randazza does a ton of these anti-slap cases because uh, Nevada has strong legislation allowing this just like California does, though this was a California case filed in Sacramento court. So while my matter was over and the only remaining matter for me is collection, for Veronica, she still had that final step and people were awaiting to watch Mike Postle presumably appearing again in Zoom court and again trying to challenge this whole thing. And everybody was curious, okay, well, if we got our fees reduced from 43K to 27K, what's going to happen with a much bigger attorney's fees request of 78,000? What will that get reduced to? And I asked Eric that on the show, and he said that he thinks that she'll probably get more than we did because she hired a specialist and because the entire matter with her was more complicated than our matter, because she had a much bigger part in the whole thing. She was the original whistleblower, and she had a lot more to say about the situation, and she had a lot more to say much earlier. I didn't get involved until the next week, and in fact, the lawsuit itself only specified three very short posts I made on the forum and nothing else. So that was why Eric uh, guessed that they chose to reduce the fees that we were entitled to, and he was wondering what they would do with her. He thought that there's, it was not that likely they were going to grant all $78,000, but he thought they would reduce it to something that would be higher than what we got for those reasons. Anyway, that's kind of what I was expecting too. But then on May 18th, the day before, instead of putting up the preliminary ruling like they had with ours, where we pretty much were going to get the answer and the next day, both parties had a right to show up to court to challenge it, but usually it stays what the judge has already ruled the day before, the preliminary ruling. Uh, we are expecting to see that there. 
Instead, we saw that the case had been continued. Now, all the continuances up until now were due to Mike Possel. Mike Possel asked for continuances over and over and over again. First one we agreed to, the remaining continuances we objected to, and they were given anyway. Not always as long as he wanted, but he kept getting these continuances. And then it looked like that April 18th was going to be the final date. And then he dropped the case on April 1st. So then that became moot and we had to just ask for attorney's fees. And that was heard for us on May 12th. And for Veronica, it was to be on May 19th. But it was not to be heard on May 19th because the day before the judge said that there's a continuance. So was it Veronica who asked for the continuance? No. Well, if it wasn't Veronica, and if it wasn't Possel, then who asked for the continuance? The continuance was asked for by the court. Well, they didn't really ask. They uh, basically just decided that the court is going to grant itself a continuance on the whole matter. So you're probably wondering why. And why didn't they do that to us? How come our case they heard? How come they decided on the fees that I'm entitled to on May 12th as expected? In fact, they decided on May 11th and then heard from both my attorney and Possel on the 12th, and she affirmed her original preliminary decision, which, as I said, we were fine with. In fact, uh, Eric did not even object. He said that he's accepting the, quote, haircut in fees and that we have nothing further to say on it. And Mike had a lot to say, but... Most of it was not really relevant, and everything stood as had been ruled upon the day before. But how come they didn't do the same for Veronica? Why extra time? It was delayed for four more weeks, all the way until June 16th. goes from May 19th to June 16th. So why a four-week delay when ours was not delayed? Well, I don't know, because the judge did not state why she was delaying it. And people have their theories. One good theory that I think is probably most likely is that the judge just feels she needs more time to go over the attorney's fees very carefully. Not ours, that's already done, but Veronica's. Because theirs are a lot higher. It's $78,000 on an anti-slap case, which is a lot. It's, it's not unheard of. In fact, uh, the Sahara coughed up like $96,000 to Scott Robin of Vital Vegas all for Nantis slap. Now, a lot of that was Sahara's fault because they couldn't accept defeat and kept appealing it and took it to the Nevada Supreme Court and lost there. So they ran up the bill a lot with a lot of, a lot of unnecessary BS. And finally, when they uh, had nowhere further to go and it was clearly lost and they couldn't do anything further to stop it, then they finally coughed up the money, which had racked up uh, you know, almost to $100,000, and that was granted. That was a different state, though. That was Nevada. But it was over the same thing. It was an anti-slap matter, and they paid it. So what about here? Could 78000 be granted to Veronica from Mike Postle? Well, there's some differences here. The biggest difference being that Sahara is a deep-pocketed corporation, and Mike Postle is an individual who may not even have any money or may have very little money. So it's not as trivial to grant a large anti-slap judgment against an individual, especially one that's not wealthy, uh, as it is to a big corporation or against a big corporation. 
So that could be one reason that the judge really wants to figure out what to do here because the number is so high and she wants to go through it more carefully. Uh, It also could be that she just really, really wants to closely examine it. And there's just so much in the billing statement, maybe. I've never seen that billing statement, but maybe the billing statement is so long and extensive to add up to the 78K, she wants to go through it very carefully. It is true that she went through ours very carefully because she explained exactly which portions of the billing that she didn't agree with, and that's why we got our reduction. So she didn't just ballpark it. She didn't just go, ah, you know, 43000 sounds like too much for all this. Ah, uh, let's go with like 26, 500 plus fees. Like she didn't do that. She, she carefully went through it. And not all judges do this, but she did. She carefully went through it and kind of marked which fees were valid and which were invalid and which were, uh, in her opinion, excessive. And then she wrote there in her decision what she came up with. She didn't find anything egregious where she felt that uh, anything was really out of line, but she just felt like, yeah, in some cases, uh, Eric spent too, t- too much time researching it and things like that, which I don't agree with because even though my part in this was not major, the bottom line is he has to research all aspects of this case because it's all very relevant to me and why I said what I did. So I, I don't agree with that, and uh, I know Eric doesn't agree with it, but you know, you don't always get... The, you don't get everything you want in court, as you guys know. And as I said, uh, for the most part, it was in our favor, and we're happy enough with it. And I, I think the judge was good, and the judge was fair. Very, very patient with Possel, for sure. But she, she seemed uh, very competent and fair. And in fact, she was uh, pretty conscientious to go through all of this with such detail. So I assume that's probably what she's doing with... Veronica's billing with what she got from Rendaza and at that point on June 16th then she will give her decision probably the day before on the 15th you may wonder why four weeks well that might show she's really going to spend a lot of time on it it could also be that she just doesn't have much time maybe she's very busy and just doesn't have the time to do this in the near future and needs four weeks just because she's so backed up with other things we don't know that's probably what's going on here. I've seen some conspiracy theories of, of what this means, and someone even said, oh, maybe the judge is angry that someone took a copy of this uh, uh, the court proceeding with, with, with uh, Mike on the May 12th and posted it on YouTube when they're not supposed to and that she's mad about this and this is because of that. No, 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 no. See, this has nothing to do with me or Veronica. There's a lot of interest in this case in the poker world because this is one of the biggest stories ever in poker. So when someone grabbed a copy of that who has no association with anybody, I don't believe the person who did it uh, has any association with anyone in this case. I can't say for sure. It could be someone who knows possible, but I would guess it's probably not. I think it's probably just some random observer of the whole thing. It's definitely no friend of mine, or I don't even know who the person is. If it is someone who's on my forum, they've never told me. So I, I have no idea who posted that. But I don't think the judge really cares that much. I don't know for sure, but that's my guess. I, I wouldn't have posted it. I would not have gone against the court's wishes here. If the court says do not record on, on the broadcast, I'm not going to record it. That's why I wouldn't play it on this show, because that's even though I'm not the one who recorded it, uh, playing it back is kind of equivalent to that. So I said I'm not going to do that. 
I'm going to respect what the court wants. But someone chose not to and put it up on YouTube anyway. I don't know if it's still there. But I, I don't think that's the reason for the delay here because there's no evidence that has anything to do with Veronica. So I think she just wants extra time to look into everything. Is this a positive or negative for Veronica? I would think it's a negative because that would indicate that she is looking for things potentially to remove regarding a judgment against Possel. She's looking for charges to say that she feels are excessive or unnecessary and subtract from the $78,000. Not that I expected her to get $78,000, but I'm saying that I think the longer that she takes, the longer she wants for this, that is for the reason of reducing it more potentially. That's her saying, you know what? There may be a lot to reduce here, so let me look at it. I, I, that's just my guess. I, I'm not saying that that's what's happening. I'm saying that uh, that's my best guess regarding what is going on here. I don't think there's anything that exciting happening, though. I don't see some people are believing this is a, a big thing, and and you wait till you see what comes up, and wait till you see what the future holds, and this is something horrible for Veronica, and this is something that is showing that. Uh, this is not the average case, blah, blah, blah. No, this isn't the average case. There's a lot of weirdness about it, but this is not one of them. I think this is just the court wanting extra time to look at attorney's fees and seeing what to award. It would have been better for Veronica if they did this on the 19th as they were originally planning to. I think the longer they take scrutinizing everything, it's because that they really are thinking of not awarding anywhere close to what they're asking for. We will see. I, as I said, I've never seen the full accounting of this 78000 I All I've heard is the figure. I've never seen how they came up to it. So I can't tell you anything about whether this billing was reasonable or not. I, I really can't. What I can say is we were only given twenty six five plus fees. And even though ours was uh, simpler and I didn't hire a specialist for it, which should bump hers up beyond ours, we're also way below 78000 especially what we actually received. We got basically a third of that. I can't imagine Veronica being awarded anywhere near that 78000 I don't know who that would be going to. I don't know if whatever is won there. Presumably she's going to get something because presumably it's going to be ruled the same thing, that the anti-slap would have prevailed, especially with Mike having dropped it. So I'm assuming that that same decision will come down in her case and that she's going to get some award of attorney's fees, which once that is ruled is required by state law. She explained that to Postle in the hearing for my case. She said to Postle, once we rule that the anti-slap was likely to have prevailed, then state law requires me to award reasonable attorney's fees. I can't just decide whether I do or not. Once I've ruled that this would have prevailed, now state law says I have to give reasonable attorney's fees. I assume the same ruling is going to come down and she's going to have to give reasonable attorney's fees to Veronica. But where's that going to go? Is it going to go to Veronica's pocket? Is it going to go to Randazza? Maybe he made some kind of deal with her that he'll just take whatever he's awarded. Is it possibly just going to go back to Perkins, who already paid Randazza? Because people have asked throughout this whole thing, how is this working with payment? And I'm going to tell you how it can work with payment. I'm not going to explain 
how I'm doing it personally. I'm not going to explain how Veronica's doing it, especially because I don't even know the answer to that one. But I can explain how it can go. Whatever way you want to do it with your attorney, you can do it. So if the attorney says, hey, this looks like a great anti-slap case, I will do it, not charge you, and I'll just collect the attorney's fees at the end because I'm so convinced I'm going to get them. I suspect, though I don't know for sure, that Vital Vegas's whole thing with uh, Randazzo is that way. I don't know if Vital Vegas put up $95,000 to pay Randazza and then got it back. Now, if he did, it's fine because he would have gotten it back, but I don't know if he actually put it up or if Randazza was so convinced that he was going to win this that he said to Vital Vegas, hey, don't worry about it. You don't have to pay me anything. Just whatever the attorney's fees are awarded, I will get. I'm happy to do that, believing that I'm going to receive these at the end. So it's totally legal to do it that way without Vital Vegas paying anything up front and even having an agreement that if no attorney's fees are collected, that Vital Vegas owes nothing. So I'm just giving that as an example. I don't really know what they did with each other. I'm just taking guesses here. So you can do it that way. You can also do it where you pay the attorney as they bill you, and then whatever you win in fees, that uh, whatever you can collect from the defendant you get, you can do it that uh, whatever the court rules is the attorney's fees, that uh, that's what you're going to have to pay, whether it's uh, collected or not. So like uh, if it's ruled that uh, 40000 in attorney's fees is the judgment against the plaintiff, that at this point you have to pay your attorney 40000 and then if you can collect it back from the defendant or from the plaintiff you know, who, who sued you in the first place, uh, then you can get it back that way, but that you have to pay the attorney that up front, but the attorney will accept any reduction that the court gives him and won't leave you on the hook for the rest. So, or you can even negotiate after the fact. There's, there's, no, there's nothing compelling you to have to pay the attorney exactly what they initially bill for this. There's nothing stopping them from writing off part of it I even know somebody who was in a court case, uh, no one having to do with poker, but I know someone who was in a court case where the they had insurance, they're actually their homeowner's insurance, was paying for their defense. They were being sued and that they only paid up to a certain point. I won't get into the whole story because it doesn't matter, but that uh, they'd only pay up to a certain point. And then at that point, uh, the case was still going and there's some additional attorney's fees. And so this guy came to an agreement with this law firm, that they would just accept what the insurance had paid them thus far, which is a lot of money, and uh, and finish it off and not bill them any further. So you can come to these agreements with your attorney. So it, it can be one of many ways. And I am wondering, and I really don't know the answer to this. I'm not just pretending I don't. I am wondering if Bill Perkins really just forked over the money directly to Randassa for all this, and if he would be the one receiving back anything that's collected from Possel, or if uh, Randazza did this and he will get anything collected from Possel. I have to imagine that's not the case here. I think maybe the Sahara and Scott Robin it was because the Sahara was very collectible, but Mike Possel is not the Sahara. And I have to imagine that Randazza is smart enough to know that Mike Possel may be very difficult to collect from for quite some time, and maybe for a very long time. So I have to think that 
Randazza probably got paid or is getting paid from someone other than Possel. And that whatever collected back from Possel from any judgment wouldn't go directly to Randazza, but rather whoever paid him. But I don't know if that's going to be Veronica. I don't know if it's going to be Bill Perkins who said he's going to back this whole thing financially. I don't know. It's a good question, though. And I'm not giving away Veronica's private business. She made it very public that Bill Perkins has agreed to back her in this case. So uh, I don't know what has been paid so far to Randaz and how they have that worked out. But there's a lot of ways it can be. That's why I have no idea what it is. And she has never told me. And, and I don't want to pry and push it. Like, this really isn't my business. So if she wants to tell me, she can. Uh, she may tell me and not want me to reveal it out here. But honestly, right now, I don't know. And I've had people ask me the same question. How is this all working? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm not discussing this out here. I've been an open book with just about all of this, but I'm not going to discuss my private uh, business involving uh, me and Eric. So uh, I'm sure you guys understand that, but I'm just saying there's a lot of different ways that this can be done. And I do wonder, in Veronica's case, who it is that is going to get the shaft if they get a low ruling for the attorney's fees that uh, are going to be paid. Let's say Postle pays them. Let's say they get a, a let's say they get a ruling for the same thing as us for twenty six and change. That's a third of what was asked for. So is Randazza just going to accept twenty six and change, or has seventy eight k really already been paid to Randazza? Like let's say Postle even pays up. Who's it going to? Perkins, Veronica, Randazza? I don't know. That's a good question. It's a question we may never get an answer to, but that's a. I'm wondering that too, in case you're wondering it. Okay, so uh, moving on here. There's always a danger to poker players. There have been a number of crimes over the years, even ones resulting in murder, unfortunately, where poker players are targeted because they are known to have a lot of cash, either on them or at home. And there's even been uh, a main event winner who was targeted in such a way by his own girlfriend, though then the girlfriend appeared on social media not too long ago and told a very different story, so who knows what the case is with that one. But there have been others which are much more clear-cut, where really it's just criminals directly going after people because they have money. There was a nice guy out in England who was a poker pro in his 50s that a girl in her 20s pretended to have interest in him and the whole thing was a setup and then her real boyfriend and her boyfriend's friend uh, came in through a door she unlocked in, in this guy's home when they were both there and these dudes came in and tied the guy up and beat him to death and then stole all his money and jewelry. Very, very brutal story and the only thing this guy did wrong was just trust this young girl who was interested in him inexplicably and didn't question why she was. And the reason was because he was a successful poker pro, people knew it, and they knew he had a lot of cash with him. So I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. I'm surprised we don't have more of these. Because think of all the people who rob liquor stores or other small businesses that don't really have very much cash in the register. People will show up and commit armed robbery for a matter of a few hundred bucks. Sometimes they'll commit armed robbery and end up killing people in the process of a struggle or whatever and end up going to prison the rest of their life or face the death penalty 
all over attempting to steal like 500 bucks out of a register, sometimes even less. So if people will do all that for a few hundred bucks, can you imagine what they would do if they knew that they could target people who really don't have very much security or any at all for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or over a million dollars? Can you imagine what these criminals would do if they knew that? And I'm surprised after all the time that poker has been in the limelight that there hasn't been more realizations of this. Now, we've had some. Some were very high profile. One of the best-known follow robberies was Greg Raymer, where he was followed back to his hotel room, the Bellagio, and two guys pulled a knife on him and told him to come in the room. So they were demanding he go into his hotel room with them, and they were holding a knife to him. And he had to make a quick decision. Does he go in the room with them and give up the money? Or is he afraid that they're going to kill him in there because they don't want him identifying them? And uh, is it better to fight? And it was a tough decision because you, you don't want to go in the room alone with these guys. So he was in the hallway and Greg Raymer decided he used his size to his advantage. So he, he pretty much threw his body into them and... Uh, knocked them down for a second, and then he started screaming, security, 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 and then these guys got scared and ran off. And it took a while, but they were both apprehended. One of them died some years ago, by the way. That was the best known following the follow uh, after the game robbery. But there's been many with much worse results. And what was unusual about that one was that it targeted someone who was not a really easy target. And by the way, uh, what Raymer did, the fighting back and successfully knocking these guys down with his size, that's exactly why they usually don't target people like Raymer, because they want to be pretty sure that uh, a fight back isn't going to happen. So usually these follow-home robberies are committed against people who are either very elderly or female, or both. So they love to go after old people or women, especially small women. Like they'll see some small 105-pound Asian woman walking out from the high limit section. That's a perfect target because they're not afraid of the little 105-pound Asian woman fighting them off. Even if they've got the weapon, they, they don't want someone who they think has the ability to fight them off at all. If the person wants to do something stupid and not give up the money and, and wants to fight with them, that's the last thing they want. So they say there's so many targets coming out of there that are a sure thing that are going to have a real hard time fighting back that they tend to go after the really low-hanging fruit, which is good for me. When I've walked out of commerce, which, by the way, I don't carry money out of commerce. I've got a box there, so exactly for that reason. But still, uh, not every criminal is going to know that there. And when I walk out of commerce, I'm always looking around, but at the same time, I feel a little confident in that I'm not the type they go for because I'm not really elderly. I'm not young, but I'm not elderly and I'm tall and I'm a dude. So they, they look and they think, okay, we don't want to go after the dude who's over six feet tall. Not that they're scared of me, but they know there's a much higher chance that they'll be able to stop any kind of struggle from a little 105-pound Asian girl or someone who's 80 years old than from me. 
So for that reason, they typically wouldn't target someone like me. They typically don't target any men who uh, aren't really elderly. So for that reason, I don't feel as afraid walking in these lots as I would if I were female or very, very old. But occasionally it still happens. But I'm surprised it doesn't happen more. I'm surprised people are not followed out way more. I'm surprised there aren't uh, organized gangs that go after these people because it can be very lucrative. They could get a lot of money this way. I'm surprised this isn't far more common. I'm surprised there's not far more burglaries of poker players' homes, even if they don't want to have robberies where they actually have to confront the person and force them to give up their money and pull guns on people if they just want to break in when they know the person's gone, like poker players travel all the time and in fact make it public where they're traveling because you can see what tournament they're playing at you can see they've gone across the world to play a tournament in england and you say okay well i know whose home is open right now and has nobody there and provided they don't have anybody else living there you can just break in pretty easily and steal money that they very easily may have left behind so i'm really surprised we haven't seen a major epidemic with this as opposed to the occasional crime of opportunity But it has happened. It has happened again, and a lot of money has been stolen this time. Now, the good news was nobody got hurt. The victim here was Chad Power, who is a high-stakes poker player, and he also does a lot of staking. You may remember there was a controversy a few years ago involving Kate Hall and Chad Power, which is pretty interesting. Chad Power was staking Kate Hall to play, and she was playing kind of like... low to middle limits. And I think she was doing okay, but she told him of a high-stakes game that was going and that she thought it was a good game and she was invited to the game. She just didn't have the role to play in the game. So she said to Chad, who's you know, he was, she was playing under him, basically the agreement was any of these cash games she plays always has to be under him. She can't just pick and choose the harder ones Chad's backing and the easier ones she's playing herself. So they had an agreement, which is very common, that all the games she plays are going to be under him. So she said, hey, can I play in this cash game, this high-stakes cash game, and can you back me for it? Can you give me enough of a bankroll to bring there? So he said, okay, fine. She convinced him that it was a good spot. So she went there, and she got her ass handed to her. I think she lost like 60 k Some people claimed, by the way, that she wasn't quite right when she was there. Maybe she was on drugs. Maybe she just wasn't in a good state of mind. Whatever it was, some people said that she wasn't playing well and seemed kind of out of it. But... That aside here, she lost 60K. She admitted she lost 60K or something like that. I don't have the number in front of me, but something like that. And she had an agreement with Chad Power. And again, this is a few years ago. She had an agreement with Chad Power that she's basically going to be playing under him for eternity until one of the following things happens. Either he releases her voluntarily or until she pays back whatever she's down. So if she's up, she can quit any time. But if she's down overall, she has to pay him back the remainder of what she owes to not be under him anymore. Or she can quit poker entirely. So she's not forced to keep playing. But if, she, if she's going to keep playing, it has to remain under him unless she either pays back what she's down overall or unless he just says, you know what, screw it. I'm releasing you. I don't want you playing for me anymore. So that was the agreement they had. Some people said this was unfair, this was not equitable, that he got her to agree to something that's non-standard. I've heard the arguments on the other side. But anyway, what happened was that after that ass-beating, 
Kate knew there was a problem because she was going to have to go back down to low to mid stakes and to make back that 50, that 60K was going to take an eternity and all that was going to go to Chad in what's called makeup, meaning basically that he keeps all of her winnings until she gets out of the hole. So she didn't want to have to dig herself out of a 60K hole all to go to Chad, so she quit. She said, I'm done with poker. That was it. That's the final straw. I'm quitting poker. So he wasn't thrilled about it, and he was wondering if maybe this was a free roll. Maybe she was on the verge of quitting anyway, and that uh, this was her final shot where if she wins, she gets a nice payout, and if she loses, then it's uh, on Chad and she quits poker anyway. But whatever, those were the terms, and he accepted it. He didn't bitch about it, at least not publicly. But uh, the problem came when a while later, Kate returned to playing and said, I'm no longer under Chad because I already quit poker, so I'm out. I quit, and now I'm coming back. So Chad said, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't say, I quit, now I unquit. As lo- once you unquit, then that reverses the quitting, and you're back playing under me until I release you. So some people were saying this is like indentured servitude. It's not fair to leave her under under him for a perpetuity to make the 60K back. There's a lot of debate back and forth. I, I sided with him, and that's just because I have some dislike for Kate Hall and the way she behaves and thinks she's uh, a fool in many ways. But just looking at it objectively, forgetting who's involved, I just thought that uh, Kate agreed to this. She's not some moron. She She actually is an attorney, so she's not someone who you can say was uh, tricked into signing a contract which isn't fair to her. Either she knew or should have known that these were the terms and that she knew what she was signing. And uh, he had a much bigger complaint than she did because she, she ran off and said, okay, I'm quitting poker after taking a shot at a big game. So I, I was on his side in the whole thing. And I said, look, you, you can always pay back. You're not stuck under him forever. You just have to pay him back what you're down. Then you can go play for yourself, but this isn't fair otherwise. Otherwise, you could say, okay, I quit for five minutes. Okay, five minutes are up. Okay, now I'm playing by myself. Like, so it's, you can't just say I'm quitting and, okay, now I'm unquitting uh, months or, or a year later. That doesn't have to do with this. It's just that's what a lot of people know Chad Power from because that was a big controversy. But he's been around and he's been successful. And in fact, you'll hear that he's obviously successful when you hear what was uh, stolen from him. So uh, he was playing poker, and someone followed him home and was aware that he had money at home. Unlike many of these follow-home robberies that have occurred, this one was that not actually a robbery. It was a burglary. Usually what happens is someone gets followed home, and then the criminal jumps out as soon as the person gets home, pulls a gun or a knife on them, and then steals what they have or even forces them to go in their home and give them all the valuables there. And sometimes it even ends up with the victim being killed. There have been these incidents over the years at various casinos where someone gets followed home and uh, eventually ends up dead, even though they try to cooperate. If you ever suspect anyone is following you home from a casino, and you should be watching for it, by the way, when you're driving, especially if you're a slower driver, the, the crazier driver you are, you actually have a, a bigger advantage in not being followed home because it's hard for someone to keep up with you. So if you're, if you're like the fastest car on the road and weaving in and out of traffic and there's some person that's like right behind you weaving with you that you don't know, uh, then that's pretty obvious. If, if you're a fairly slow driver, 
or even an average driver as far as speed compared to the rest of the traffic, it's a lot easier to follow you because people don't stand out as much if they happen to be going the same way as you do. So uh, either way, you need to watch out for being followed home. But if you even suspect it, don't go to your house. Don't go to where you live. Uh, Keep driving around and make sure you don't go to any dead-end roads. But keep driving around. Try to stay on uh, well-lit, busy streets if you can. And make sure they're ones that go through and don't hit a dead end, as I said. And see if this person goes where you do. And if they just keep following you, quickly figure out where the nearest police station is, which shouldn't be hard on your smartphone. You should be able to look it up. And drive to the police station. And at the same time, call the police. You can call 911. You can call the police's uh, non-emergency number at that same station and tell them you're coming. And, and say, can you, can you have an officer meet me out here? There's someone who's following me. I think they'll commit a crime against me because uh, I, I'm, I'm, I have just left a casino. I think they're going to rob me. And believe me, once you pull into the police station, they're, they're not going to keep following you. <laughs> they're not going to go into the police station and mug you there. They're, they're going to realize that you're, you're onto them and you've gone to the police and they're going to bolt. So that's what you do. You, you go to the police station. But never go to your home. Uh, Chad apparently was unaware that this was happening. So uh, someone followed him home. But maybe because of the reason I stated that he's not an easy target. He's not a little old lady. He's not a 105-pound Asian girl. Yeah, he's a dude, and uh, I, I think he's uh, done some MMA fighting and stuff too. Like, yeah, I, 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 I don't think he challenged someone with a gun or a knife, but uh, yeah, this probably isn't one of the easier people to mug otherwise, so... I don't know if they knew this or not, but uh, whatever it was, this person decided they they were not going to try to confront Chad and try to force him to go into his house. They're just following him home, and then they're going to wait until he leaves. And the belief was that he's bringing money home from the casino. They probably watched him in the casino, and they probably figured he's bringing money home, and that probably the next time he goes out, He's not going to have the money with him. Maybe when he goes out to get something to eat or go to the store, whatever it is. But they're going to wait until he leaves and then they'll break into his house, which is a lot safer because he's gone. There's nobody else there. The money and whatever else he has there that's worth stealing is going to be there. And this way you don't have to wait, risk Chad fighting back or Chad identifying you or Chad calling the police right away or anything like that. That You can get away with the stuff before he realizes it's gone. In fact, maybe if you're good enough, you can even get the stuff out of his house before he knows it's gone at all and he won't notice till next time he goes to look for it. So that, that was obviously the plan here. Anyway, these people uh, allegedly followed him home after a poker session. This was occurred on uh, February 10th. And then they broke into his house and they stole a safe which had at least a million dollars worth of cash and chips in there. Now, you may say, they stole a safe? Apparently, it was a freestanding safe that somebody could just pick up and carry out of the house. (laughs) That doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, maybe this isn't being reported correctly. I've seen it before where... Something's reported, and it's not exactly as the article says, it turns out, what really happened. But if he, if he really just had a safe there that locks, but you could just pick up the safe and walk out with it, then that's not very helpful. A safe is only helpful if it's very well hidden or if it's bolted down in some way. 
where it's at least somewhat hard to take out of the house. If it's something that can just be carried out, that's a problem. So after this happened and Chad got home and found the bad news that his house had been broken into and the safe was, the safe was gone and he had over a million bucks worth of cash and chips in there, he, of course, went to the police. The police reviewed, quote, surveillance video. I don't know what exactly they found on the surveillance video, but they reviewed surveillance video. And they also looked for similar crimes that had occurred over time. And what they found was that there was a man who did something similar, who followed home poker pros in Las Vegas. In 2006, this man uh, followed a different poker player home and stole $15,000 worth of cash and chips. They wondered, hmm, could it be the same guy? Now, what's interesting was the man who was arrested, whose name is Brock Brewer, is only 32. So that would have made him 17 in 2006. So he was a minor when this happened before. But he was uh, suspected of possibly being the one who did this again, which is interesting because uh, it's been 15 years, but I guess it was similar enough and they uh, looked into him as a possible suspect. And sure enough, they started finding pieces of evidence that matched, including surveillance video, which uh, showed someone uh, similar to him. And also his cell phone showed that uh, he was very close to where Chad Powers' house is at the time of the burglary on February 10th, and they even saw his uh, cell phone moving from the Las Vegas Strip to around Chad Powers' house at the time this all occurred. So that's pretty strong. So what happened to the money and to the chips? Well, he may get some of it back because with the cash, presumably with the cash, this thief bought a 2021 Dodge Charger Hellcat and a 2018 Maserati Levante uh, SUV. <laughs> he didn't just buy one car. He bought two. He bought a Hellcat and he bought a Maserati. He thought he was clever by going out of state and buying, this, buying these two cars but it was days after the February 10th robbery and they were paid for entirely in cash. Hmm. They were registered to Brock Brewer's mother, by the way. That's, uh, that's real smart. I'm going to bring cash to a different state. I'm going to steal all this cash. I'm going to bring this to a different state. Ah, they won't get me in a different state. Yeah, and I'm going to buy these two cars and, oh, I'm going to register to my mom. They'll never suspect that. If it's my mom's cars, they're not, they're not going to possibly think that could have been for me. <laughs> what a genius. So uh, it's assumed that when this is all said and done, they're probably going to transfer the ownership of these vehicles to Chad Power because it was with his money most likely. But unfortunately, it looks like they uh, didn't recover the rest of it. I don't know what happened to the chips. The chips are not easy to cash. You can get high-value casino chips, and I don't know how high-value these are. If they were $1,000 chips, then 
probably they could have been cashed in because uh, you can cash $1,000 chips at casinos without a lot of questions being asked. In fact, often they will ask no questions. Anything 5000 or higher, they hammer you with tons of questions to the where I won't even take one of those chips anymore. And I don't do anything wrong. I just I don't want to deal with being treated like a criminal every time I cash in a $5,000 chip. It happened to me once at Bellagio, and I said, I just played 24 hours yesterday and won. You can look on the camera. I don't remember you. I didn't see you there. I was here for many hours. I said, I was right there in this seat for 24 hours. Check the freaking camera. I don't know. I don't remember you there. Are you trying to pull something? Like, I couldn't believe it. So I said, you know what? I'm, I'm never doing this again. I'm never taking a 5,000 chip. I've had people say, hey, dude, you, you know, you're, uh, you're about to leave. I've got this $5,000 chip. And it's like a known player. It's not someone who's going to scam me. Hey, can I just buy these chips off you? And I say, what chips do you have? They're going to give me thousands. I'll do it. If it's a 5K, no. And sometimes people get kind of pissed when I say no. But I go, I'm sorry. I've had a lot of trouble with the 5K chips. So I will not take 5K chips from anyone or anything. But uh, I have to assume that since Power had these chips in his safe, he's not going to carry home a, a, a giant bag of $100 chips. I have a feeling that he probably had as big a denomination of chips as he could get. It's easier to store. So I have to imagine they're probably 5K, 25K, things like that. And those are very hard to cash without a lot of questions being asked. And it's, it's hard to do it because you have to explain to the casino where you got it. You can't just say, I'm cashing this out. They're going to say, where were you playing? When were you playing? They may check the camera. They may have camera footage going back months. So there's a lot of questions. Also, these are numbered. So if the chip was reported stolen, if you uh, remember the number of the chips you're holding and you report it back to the casino, it's stolen, they're going to know right there you have a stolen chip and arrest you. So a lot of times when people get stolen chips, they don't know what to do with them. In fact, remember there was that guy who uh, actually just blatantly robbed the Bellagio not a person at the Bellagio, they actually robbed the Bellagio and took a bunch of 25K chips, which are known as cranberries. And he actually went on 2 Plus 2 under the name Ocean Spray 25 as kind of an inside joke because he's trying to sell cranberries. <laughs> Get an Ocean Spray 25 for 25K chips. So he made an account there trying to sell 25K chips. <laughs> and people were like, wait a minute, that could be the same guy. And they reported it to the police and... Sure enough, they contacted Mason. Mason gave them the IP address. Uh, they say, when I say they, I mean the police. And the police looked it up, and they figured out who did it. And sure enough, that, that was the guy. So not a very bright criminal there. But that was the whole problem, is, is getting rid of these chips is very tough, whereas cash is not. So I have to imagine with the chips, uh, I, I don't know where they are. It's possible that the guy hid them somewhere it's possible he just threw them away when he realized that they're too risky to cash. It's possible he gave them to a friend to hold. I don't know what the hell he did. It's even possible he sold them off to people, to accomplices at a big discount, and either they're still holding them or they've cashed them in. But it looks like they, they haven't uh, recovered chips from what I've seen. If they have, I haven't seen it in any of the articles. So it looks like he may not get anything back from this whole thing and, and good luck in getting this criminal to pay him back as criminal uh, probably have a hard time getting a job at McDonald's when this is all done and keep in mind he's going to be in prison for many years this is the second time 
that he's been caught doing this, and he's also a suspected gang member. I assume he has other things on his rap sheet between 06 and now, so I have a feeling this guy's going to be in prison for quite some time, and even when he gets out of prison, what's he going to do? Like, How's, how's he going to pay Chad back? So, unless they locate these chips somewhere, I think that Chad Power probably is out most of this million dollars. This reminds me also a little bit of what happened to Darren Elias in 2019, but this was worse. Uh, Darren Elias was gone, but his babysitter, only a 19-year-old, was there, and someone came into the house with a gun and uh, searched the house for cash and other valuables. Eventually, they caught the guy, but uh, the babysitter was actually held at gunpoint over this. Fortunately, she didn't get hurt. And, of course, there's been a lot of uh, burglaries over the years, some of high-profile players like Doyle Brunson and uh, Hoyt Corkins. In fact, Doyle's is actually uh, not even a burglary. Doyle's is a robbery where he was actually uh, beaten in a home invasion in 1998. And Doyle said that wasn't the first time. He said <laughs> over his long poker career, he's been uh, robbed a lot of times and, and beaten up. Because back in the old days of poker, it was a lot rougher of a scene. And there weren't as many poker players out there either, so uh, there is not a big list of successful poker pros to victimize. And Doyle was a well-known successful pro, so people went after him. So I I guess if you're going to take anything from this, number one, don't leave a lot of valuables at home. Cash, expensive jewelry, chips, don't do it. Because people may figure out that you have it there. And you don't have to be a well-known poker pro. You don't have to be Doyle Brunson. You can be Joe Unknown Cash Player, who some criminal sees in the casino day after day after day, and noticing you're going to the cashier a lot with a lot of chips, and going, wow, this dude looks like he's pretty good. You know what? One of these days I'm going to follow him home. Or people could see discussion of you winning a lot of money on the internet, or they could see discussion of you winning a tournament. Whatever it is, it's not that hard for people to figure out that you're a winning poker pro. And a lot of winning poker pros have a lot of cash and other valuables in their home. So you do not want to keep this stuff there because you may be the victim of a burglary or the victim of a robbery. And in fact, if there's anything you want to advertise, it's that you don't do this so people know they're not going to get anything out of it. So I'm always pretty clear about that. I not only don't keep these things at home and don't keep this type of stuff on me because I I don't want someone thinking that I'm a target they can get to because I'm really not. The the truth is, if you try to go after me, you're not going to get much. If anyone's following you, don't think, oh, I'm just being paranoid. Don't just think, oh, uh, it's probably in my head or maybe they're just going the same direction as me. Oh, this is not going to happen to me. Don't think that. Just Don't say, oh, I'd rather get home now. I don't feel like driving to the police station. or I don't feel like taking a detour. Or I don't feel like testing this and seeing if this person follows me around other streets. I'm I'm just going to go home. I'm sure it's fine. No, don't do that. Better safe than sorry. These really do happen. You see it right here.
I'm sure Chad Power never pictured this is going to happen to him. So do not drive directly home if there's any sign of anyone following you. Go to the police station and call the police as you're doing it. Also, don't keep a lot at home. Don't think you're going to be clever and hide it. A lot of times these burglars can figure out your hiding places or they can dislodge your safe. So don't think that's going to protect you. Don't think your burglar alarm is going to be perfect and stop it. A lot of times people are so fast they can get in, the alarm rings, they can get in, get your stuff and get out before anyone sees or catches them and you'll never get anything done about it. Always look when you are walking to your car. Do not be on your phone. Do not have your head down. Constantly look around. It doesn't mean you're paranoid. It means you're just being smart. Constantly look around you. That's what I'm always doing. When I walk out of casinos, I'm always looking around me. And if I see anyone suspicious in the area, I don't walk by them. If I see someone starting to approach me, I I walk a different way and see what they do. If they seem to be walking my way when I suddenly change direction, and they suddenly change direction, then I would start running back to the casino. That hasn't happened to me. But if it did, I would do that. So you have to always be of the belief that someone might be there or might be looking to follow you to steal your money, even if you're not the typical victim. Chad Power is not the typical victim. Darren Elias, Darren Elias was not the typical victim, but they were victimized. Now, if you are more of a typical victim, if you're elderly, if you're female, then especially worry. Then you especially need to be careful. But know that if there's people out there who will commit robberies of small markets or liquor stores for a few hundred bucks, imagine what they would do to get tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or a million bucks. Imagine what they would do. People do much more for much, much less. And every time there's something like this, it reminds you. As I said, in this case, the criminal was not interested in harming anybody. He just wanted to steal. But hey, look, Chad looks like he lost almost a million bucks out of the whole thing. Probably when the whole thing's done, all he's going to get is ownership of two cars that he won't even be able to sell back at full value. That's a small fraction of one million bucks. Also, think about what you really need to be storing at home. <laughs> you know, get boxes in places, get them in casinos, get them in banks, wherever. Don't keep, there's no reason to keep a million bucks at home. I, I don't care what your situation You should not be keeping a million bucks at home. So think about that too. Just always be wary of this type of situation. And that you don't have to be known. They can just see you. That, that guy who was murdered in England, they just observed him. That's all. This guy was not someone who was uh, a super famous poker player. He was somewhat known, but they observed that he seemed to be winning a lot. And they decided to target him. And he's dead because of it. I'm not blaming him, but he also should have been aware that as someone who's been seen winning a lot over a long period of time, and when a 24-year-old girl is suddenly interested in him, and when he's just an average-looking 50-something-year-old dude, that something's weird about that, and that he has to be careful. Maybe he should not go anywhere alone with her. Maybe he shouldn't do anything with her at all. And that's something to watch out for, too. We just had a story 
recently on this show, not about poker, but a guy who had just won 60K in a casino at MGM National Harbor. And a girl approached him and expressed interest. And it turned out she was with dudes who then came into the room and robbed him and then shot him when he tried to run away. So if a girl suddenly approaches you and is interested in you and you can't figure out why, you can't figure out why you, why is she just so into you? And why might it have been right after you've won some money or been seen winning some money? Don't just say, oh, no, I, I bet she just thinks I'm a good-looking guy. Oh, I bet she just likes me. I bet she just struck up a conversation and thinks I'm cool. You'd like to think that, but uh, there's a good chance not, especially if you're much older than her, especially if she's very pretty and you can't imagine why she would approach you of all people. Just be realistic. Like, I, I don't think it's likely that I'd be walking through a casino and a girl who's not a prostitute, who's really hot and 25 years old, would come up to me and start hitting on me. If she did, I would think, okay, this is probably a prostitute. If it wasn't a prostitute, I'd say this is probably some angle to steal from me. I would think it's a very low chance that, that a hot 25-year-old is just picking me out of the crowd to start hitting on me when I'm double her age. It just wouldn't make any sense. So you've got to be careful. You've always got to be vigilant about this sort of thing. For the 916, I got a text saying, if those two guys were gay prostitutes, that's referring to the ones who followed uh, Greg Raymer, Greg would have definitely let them into his room. Actually, no. That was something that was falsely going around because the media misreported something. Greg Raymer is not gay. He's not even bi, as far as I know. They had a gay prostitution sting down the street. And what happened was, initially, it was reported that Greg Raymer was busted in a gay prostitution sting. <laughs> and then they had to correct it. And this shows, this, this texter still believes it, because the, he must have only seen the initial article. But what really was the case was there were two stings. There was one involving women that were selling their services and that they decided to set up a sting to get Johns there. And Greg Gramer was one of them. And then they also had a gay one down the street. So Greg Gramer was trying to meet a woman, trying to pay a woman for sex and got busted. He was not trying to pay a man for sex, but it was misreported that he was part of a gay one. And then they had to correct it. But the gay, the correction got a much less publicity than the initial article. So that, that was very embarrassing for him, especially when this happened in the 2000s. There was even there was much less acceptance of, of people being gay at that point. So it, it went around that Greg Raymer is a closet gay guy who's cheating on his wife with male prostitutes. And it turned out that wasn't true. He was cheating on his wife, but not with dudes. <laughs> so that was unlucky. That, that part wasn't fair. That part was pretty bad. Like if I got busted for that and it said I was seeing gay prostitutes, I would, I'd be very, very upset about that. I'd be far more upset than if it was just in the paper that I was busted seeing prostitutes. I don't see prostitutes, but if I did, it would not be gay prostitutes. And if it was misreported, I was seeing gay prostitutes, I'd be very upset about this, knowing it not to be true. <laughs> so, Poor G Greg Raymer here, falsely cast as a visitor of gay prostitutes when he was not. Moving on here, let's talk about the cryptocurrency crash. If you have owned cryptocurrency, you have seen a lot of swings. If you had the discipline to buy Bitcoin 
when you first heard about it, no matter when this was, and not sell it, you would be up a lot of money right now, even with the recent crash. So overall, cryptocurrency has really shot up in value. And if you take a look at the fact that no one knew about Bitcoin back in uh, 2010, and that very few people knew about it in 2011, and originally it started off being worth a fraction of a cent, a small fraction of a cent. And then when I first heard about it, it was worth about $5 per coin. And had I bought a thousand coin, which would have been $5,000, which would have been something I could have easily done and not felt a bit. I mean, I have single pots in poker that are that much. I, if I held on to it, if I had the balls to hang on to it and didn't worry about all the swings, at its peak a short time ago this year, I could have sold those thousand coin for 60-something million dollars. But there are a lot of swings to cryptocurrency. And it's a lot easier said than done to buy in when it's at a lower point and to sell it at the peak. Sure, if you could see the future, you would have bought it at any time prior to 2021 and then sold when it peaked earlier this year. In fact, fairly recently. And you would have made a fortune. And you would have made uh, a tremendous fortune if you did this back in 2011 and never touched it. In fact, Calwatt, he's told a story before that he was actually, he actually had some Bitcoin stored on a computer, which accidentally got thrown away and is in a landfill somewhere. And at the time he told the story, it was worth 100000 what was on that computer. Now I have to imagine it's worth more than a million. We'll have to ask him. I, I, I maybe don't want to ask him because it'll depress him, but he has a lot of Bitcoin that's sitting in a landfill somewhere that he'll never get to. It's a matter of when you buy and when you sell, and it's not as easy as just saying, oh, if I held on. Why? Because you don't know when the top is and this whole thing could completely come crashing down and be worth about zero and you never know when that's going to happen. So uh, when it first ramped way up and ended up at 1,200. People are like, oh my God, 1,200. I've got to sell now. It's, it's not, especially once it started to go down. You're like, oh, I, I've got to sell now. This is the peak. How could a Bitcoin be worth more, more than 1,200? I mean, 1,200, that just seems absurd by itself. So if you told someone it would be worth over 60,000 one day, then they would have totally laughed at you. In fact, you told them it would be worth 10,000 one day, they would have laughed at you. In fact, uh, in 2016, in March 2016, I remember I held 40 Bitcoin. And I sold them for like 400 each. And I was proud of myself because I sold them for more than they were worth at the time. So I, I was, oh, wow, I, yeah, they were worth uh, only 400 per coin. I sold them for 440 per coin, something like that. I was very proud of myself. Imagine if I held on to those. That would be worth millions of dollars now. This is as recently as 2016. This isn't about getting into it in 2011. But it seemed at that point that Bitcoin was, uh, it didn't have much of a future. It had been steadily on its way down for quite some time. It looked like it was eventually headed to zero. And then various factors rocketed it up. And I, and I learned you just, you don't bother to ask. You don't bother to predict. The peak of Bitcoin was uh, 63,000, I believe, on April 13th, which is only a little more than a month ago. It's about like five to six weeks ago now. 
And uh, then there was a crash, which took it down to about 50 by April 24th. So over the next 11 days, it went from like 63,000 down to 50. But then the crash stopped and it got as high as around uh, 58K again at the beginning of May. So it looked like it was recovering. It looked like it had its little crash. It wasn't a little crash. But it had a moderate crash. And then it was on its way back up. And Bitcoin has done that so many times. If you look at the Bitcoin chart, you will see that there were a lot of peaks, a lot of valleys. A lot of times it seemed completely headed to zero, and then it would reverse itself and go back up. Sometimes it would stop falling, stay stable for a while, and then start creeping back up, then start rocketing back up. And then it would hit some kind of peak, then it would fall again, then it would rise again. It's, it's very hard to predict. And if you try to predict it, you're often wrong. Well, there was a factor that caused the most recent big rise. When I say the most recent, I mean the rise that uh, started in uh, late 2020. Let's go back in time a little bit here. On October 8th, 2020, I'm just picking this date out of my ass. Bitcoin was worth $10,909. October 8th, 2020, that's much less than a year ago. That's seven and a half months ago. It's worth 10909 Remember, in mid-April, about six months later, it was worth $63,000. From 10,906. So what happened there? Well, Elon Musk is what happened. Elon Musk became incredibly influential regarding cryptocurrency. Because Elon Musk, obviously uh, tremendously successful with everything he's done. And people really respected him. And the one problem that was consistently dogging Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general was practical use. That too many people saw cryptocurrency as something that you just use for speculation. That it's really hard to buy anything with it other than buying into gambling sites. But that was, that's really the only practical use for it. But for the most part, most merchants don't accept it. There was a brief time in 2017 when merchants started accepting it, but then they got away from that because there was too much fluctuation and the fees were too high and they just, they just decided, F it, it's just not worth the trouble. So Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, they just don't have enough current practical use. So people were buying it, just hoping it goes up and that they can make money. That was really the only reason that most people were getting into cryptocurrency. Yeah, there were some who were staunch believers that it's the currency of the future, but most people who were into it were doing it to speculate, not because they believed it had any real value or that it had any real utilization or even near future utilization. But when Elon Musk stated that Tesla is going to be buying Bitcoin, and then they did, and that they would be accepting Bitcoin for payment, then this really got people excited. Because if Elon Musk, the guy who always seems to have his eye toward the future, the guy who just always seems to have his hand on the pulse of what needs to be done, a, a tremendous innovator. it's almost Some people have joked that maybe he's a man who was sent back in time to 
help us move along in our present time. That's the way some people perceive him. They don't really believe that, but they say that if there's ever a man who that would describe, it would be Elon Musk. So he is saying, hey, you know what? I think this is the future. To prove it, I'm going to buy a ton of Bitcoin and we're going to start accepting Bitcoin as payment for Tesla. So this shot cryptocurrency through the roof. This now legitimized cryptocurrency as a currency with utilization. And it kept going up, 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 up. So Bitcoin shot up and all the cryptocurrencies went up with it. There are many thousands of cryptocurrencies now. There are some tiny ones that people call shit coins. And then there's some small ones. There's some medium ones. And then there's some big ones. The big ones you may know of are Bitcoin, of course, Ethereum, Ripple. Those are among the bigger ones. Uh, a recent bigger one, though, again, this is because of Elon Musk, because he talked about it and he talked about liking it, is Dogecoin. Dogecoin, which started as a joke and was worth uh, like a fifth of a cent two years ago, rocketed up because Elon Musk talked it up. First, the first the Internet kind of just uh, around the same time that uh, GameStop and AMC were pumped up as kind of a joke on the internet. Around that same time, they're like, people are like, hey, let's try to get Doge up to a dollar. And Doge went about as high as eight cents before slipping back down. But then it rocketed back up when Elon Musk threw his support behind Dogecoin. So it just showed you the power he has. He just has to mention that he likes a certain coin and it rockets up. So it looked like the future for cryptocurrency was very bright. Now, this was a great thing for poker pros who had a lot of cryptocurrency. There were a lot of very pro-crypto poker pros, ones who would win money in poker and convert it to crypto. Or in some cases, if they went online, they would actually get the money in crypto because that's typically how you cash out through online poker sites these days. But even if they didn't win it online, they would actually buy cryptocurrency with whatever money they would win live. So there's a number of poker pros who have a lot of their net worth in crypto. And they thought they were geniuses. I mean, look, these people, anything they put into Bitcoin, say, in uh, October, I'm not talking about October 2012, I'm talking October 2020. In the middle of May, multiply that by six. And that's what they have. That's pretty damn good. If you go back farther, let's say you go back to early 2016 when Bitcoin was uh, worth $400, then they have actually multiplied by 160 times. So everybody's very proud of themselves. Very proud of themselves in the poker community for having invested in cryptocurrency and seen the future. And now Elon Musk is validating that future. And boy, was he a hero. Boy, do they like Elon Musk for this. Well, the first crack came at a time they thought that we would see even more of a rise. And that was when Elon Musk appeared on Saturday Night Live. People were preparing for this and figuring that what was going to happen was he was going to mention Doge at some point. That Doge was going to shoot up because during Saturday Night Live, people were going to buy into Doge. And then 
it was going to fall somewhat afterwards when people would sell and try to take their profits. So the prediction was that Elon Musk on Saturday Night Live was going to cause Doge to rise even further. And keep in mind, it was already quite high at that point. I believe it was uh, like around 60 cents at that point. But that it was going to go even further up and then maybe fall back to where it was after people sell off the immediate profits. Everyone's waiting for him to punch Doge up, have people buy even more, and then some kind of uh, small sell-off after that. Unfortunately, that's not exactly what happened. Listen to this. This is with Elon Musk in a segment on Saturday Night Live. Thank you, Michael. Well, now, the Doge father. Uh, okay, Doge father. So, yeah. <laughs> hang on. So, I got, we got some questions. So, for our viewers who may not know anything about this, what are cryptocurrencies? They're a type of digital money, but instead of being controlled by a central government, they're decentralized using blockchain technology. Huh. <laughs> and lately, prices have been soaring for cryptos like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and especially Dogecoin. Oh, right. Now, what, what is Dogecoin? Well, it actually started as a joke based on an internet meme. Mm -hmm. But now it's taken off in a very real way. Okay, but what is Dogecoin? Well, it was created in 2013 and has a circulating supply of 117 billion coins, of which 113 billion have already been mined. Right, cool. So what is Dogecoin? <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's a digital currency. Like, okay, for instance, this is a dollar, right? It's real. Say sort of. Sort of real. Yeah. So what is Dogecoin? <laughs> <laughs> About as real as that dollar. Okay, are you making any sense of this? Me? Well, I've, I've actually been reading a lot about it, yeah, and uh, I'm trying to diversify my investment portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, my question is, what is Dogecoin? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. It's a good question. Well, it's the future of currency. It's an unstoppable financial vehicle that's going to take over the world. I, I get that, but uh, what is it, man? <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling you, it's a cryptocurrency you can trade for conventional money. Oh, so it's a hustle. Yeah, it's awesome. Why did you say that, man? Father, everybody. Oh, boy. So that was a killer. You get the joke? Two, two minutes of this. It was a two-minute segment there on Weekend Update where Elon was playing financial expert Lloyd Ostertag. And he was being asked by the two Weekend Update anchors, what is Dogecoin? And he kept giving kind of factual answers about the way Dogecoin works and uh, how it's constructed and how it's a cryptocurrency. And both of the anchors kept pressing, no, but what is it? No, but what is it? And that was the joke that he just couldn't explain to the average person what it is. And then one of the anchors says, well, just let's be honest, it's a hustle. And he goes, yeah, it's a hustle. And then they all cheer and laugh about it. Well, people did not like hearing that, even though this was not Elon himself saying it. This was a bit on Saturday Night Live, and he was playing Lloyd Ostertag. He wasn't playing Elon Musk. It was Elon Musk playing a fictional financial expert named Lloyd Ostertag. Because Elon did this, people said, oh, shit, it is a hustle. <laughs> what is Dogecoin? Yeah, why is it so high? Why is this Dogecoin at 60 cents? It was worth a fifth of a cent. It, then it was worth uh, a few cents after the internet pushed it up. And then once Elon Musk got involved, it got pushed up to 60 cents. So how is it that uh, 
it's that high if, if Elon Musk was promoting it. And then here he goes on Saturday Night Live, which everyone's watching. Everyone's very, very anticipating uh, Elon's appearance on there, especially cryptocurrency fanatics. And he says it's a hustle. So that was not good. So this was on May 8th. And it sent Doge into an immediate crash. And it's something from which it hasn't really recovered. Before Saturday Night Live, this is on May 8th. So May 8th at about 3 a.m. Pacific time is when Dogecoin peaked at almost 71 cents. By 4 a.m. Pacific time, May 9th, this is after Saturday Night Live, which starts airing at uh, 11.30 at night on Saturday night and uh, goes past midnight. And of course, this is throughout the time zone. So it's uh, airing into early May 9th Pacific time. By the time we got to 4 a.m., it was down to 48 cents. So him saying it's a hustle brought it from 78 to 40 or 70 to 48 is basically what happened. So it had its little dead cat bounce and went back up a little bit to uh, 58 cents later on May 9th, only to crash again. And on uh, May 13th, just five days later, it was down to 38 cents. So in five days, it lost about half its value just because Elon Musk made a joke as a fictional character on Saturday Night Live that Dogecoin was a hustle. That shows you how much power he has. Elon giveth and Elon taketh away. He made it rise and he made it fall. But I'm talking about May 13th now. We're here on May 22nd. We're now in early morning May 22nd. So what else has happened? Well, people are already getting pissed at Elon Musk for doing that on Saturday Night Live. But it got worse because remember Tesla? Remember what they said that they were going to do with accepting Bitcoin and they're buying Bitcoin. They bought uh, about 43,000 Bitcoin. It was reported in April. And uh, this was really seen as a big positive for cryptocurrencies. Well, it was revealed that Tesla was selling Bitcoin. Then later on, on uh, May 17th, he clarified that uh, he actually wasn't selling it, but uh, he wasn't saying they weren't going to. He said, to clarify speculation, Tesla has not sold any Bitcoin. But the problem was that he had already badmouthed Bitcoin and in fact said they're not going to be accepting Bitcoin for payment because he has concerns about the environment. And apparently the concern that he came up with was because he had heard that a gas-powered plant that had gone offline was put back online to mine Bitcoin. And he was afraid that this is going to cause more climate change if uh, in order to mine Bitcoin, a lot of uh, pollution-producing plants are put back online for that reason. Now, this isn't really realistic because... The environmental impact of Bitcoin mining is tiny compared to all of the power that's generated or utilized in 
the world. It's really a drop in the bucket. So that, that's a stupid concern. But in any case, he was concerned. That, that was what really got him worried when he saw that a, a gas-powered plant was uh, actually going online to mine Bitcoin. So he stated that because of his concern about climate change and the rapidly increasing use of fossil fuels for Bitcoin mining, is what he said, that Tesla was going to stop accepting Bitcoin as payment. And that caused a big-time crash. That happened on May 13th. So that caused a complete crash, not just of Doge, but of all cryptocurrency. So for the past week, cryptocurrency has been crashing. If you remember, this was mentioned... uh, On the last show, we didn't go into it fully, but it was mentioned on the last show because a week ago when we did our last show, this had already been happening. Remember, we're talking about May 13th, but that Bitcoin has crashed. Dogecoin has crashed. They've all crashed. Every cryptocurrency pretty much has crashed. Big, small, medium, they've all crashed. And now people don't know where it's going to go. Now it has been thrown into a state of uncertainty, of major uncertainty, because it was propped up in the first place by Elon. Elon was saying Bitcoin has practical use. You can buy Tesla with Bitcoin. I, Elon Musk, am having Tesla buy 43,000 Bitcoin because I believe in it so much. Oh, and I also love Dogecoin. Dogecoin's cool too. And Dogecoin goes zhip, way up. And Bitcoin goes zhip, way up. And all the other cryptocurrencies follow. And then... Not only does he say Dogecoin's a hustle to first hurt Doge on May 8th, but then he complains about Bitcoin's environmental impact, and he used the C word. Not the C word you're thinking of. I'm talking about climate change. Climate change is very scary to talk about these days. Climate change is a very bad thing, and it really can be. I mean, I'm not joking about that, but uh, it's also used as kind of a boogeyman. Sometimes climate change is used to push legislation that doesn't really make sense. Sometimes things are blamed on climate change that really are not caused by climate change. Sometimes things are caused by climate change, but not man-made climate change. Sometimes it's hard to tell what climate change can be attributed to man-made forces and what can be attributed to just natural climate change, which has occurred a number of times before man even had the ability to affect climate, because that's only in the last few hundred years that man could affect climate at all. And there has been climate change before that. But it's a major climate change. Like, look, look at the Ice Age. The Ice Age existed and stopped. That was not due to any kind of man-made climate change, but that was a major climate change. So how much is the, of the climate change we're currently seeing is attributable to man-made causes and how much is not. And it's not an easy answer. It may be very much from man. It may be somewhat from man. It may be very little from man. There's a lot of different forces which can cause it, like volcanoes are one, for example. So it's not that simple. And also, even if it is man causing it, the solution is not always as simple because you have to get everyone on board for it. If you are only causing a small percentage of the climate change and the other countries which are causing a lot more will not agree 
to do anything on their end, then you're not going to be able to stop it. So there's a lot of different climate change issues, which I'm not going to go into. Suffice to say, it's far more complex than is often portrayed. If you think that climate change isn't happening, it's a hoax, then you're incorrect and you've been brainwashed. If you think that climate change is exactly what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tells you it is, you're also brainwashed because that's also not the way it is. It's, it's a very complex matter and I won't go into all that. But if, if you dare say something is causing climate change, the public goes very sour on it. And when Elon Musk says that Bitcoin might be contributing to climate change, which it isn't, but uh, or if it is, it's, it's contributing so such a small amount, it's negligible, then it falls apart. If Elon can create excitement about Bitcoin, he can take away excitement about Bitcoin. So that is the problem here. Too much power over cryptocurrency in the hands of one man. And this is one of the weaknesses of cryptocurrency is that it can fluctuate so much based upon stupid reasons. Every time there's some news about cryptocurrency which is optimistic, people pile into it and the price shoots way up. Every time something comes out that looks negative, even if it's not uh, something that is really sensible, but something that looks negative, it crashes. And that's a big problem. Uh, I will take a call here. What the hell? Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Drop, it's Crypto Ninja. Crypto Ninja. So w what would you like to say? Uh, uh, well, just there's uh, some other things about, you know, the market, uh, like cutting in half that um, maybe you don't know about. But there's a, there was a lot of leverage, for one thing. Um, people getting liquidated because they're trading leverage too high and just whales... You can see the people, or whales moving back and forth, big chunks of Bitcoin to exchange to and from exchanges. So you can kind of predict when they're going to do things like this. So a lot of people think that there was basically some market manipulation, a bunch of whales trying to take out some other smaller, uh, you know, shake, shake people out of their bags, basically. And it's, it's partially hopium because people can say that this is like, why it's going to come back this year, why the the bull market isn't over. Um, but, uh, you know, there's definitely some truth to it, too. There were a lot of people that were liquidated out of their positions because they were just leveraged too long. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing happens in the stock market all the time. So that's one thing. And then I, I mean, basically I think you're just kind of giving Elon Musk too much credit for everything that's happened. Also, there's, you know, there's been a lot of other institutional investors, uh, MicroStrategy for one, Michael Saylor. I don't know if you've heard about that, but I mean, he's still buying. He's buying the bit now. So um, I don't I don't think it's all like Elon Musk to blame or to give credit to everything that's been going on in the space. Well, I understand that. But if you look at the timing, that really, at least, especially the crash, the going up, I can see more of, of your point being correct that there were several factors coming in more than just Elon Musk. Uh, but as far as the crash down, it really followed exactly the the pattern of he says something, 
that is perceived as detrimental for cryptocurrency, and it crashes. Uh, first, right. the thing on uh, Saturday Night Live, and then the thing five days later with the whole story about uh, Tesla not accepting Bitcoin anymore. So I, I would really attribute to this, this crash mostly to him, and that, that's pretty sad. Well, I think, I think partially it's kicked off a conversation, and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's, uh, it's kicked off a conversation about the environmental impact of, of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. And, um, you know, it incentivizes people. First of all, there's proof of work and proof of stake. So we're talking mostly about proof of work mining here. But um, it incentivizes people to use renewable energy. And energy in general, uh, electricity is hard to store and transfer. It's expensive to do that. So Bitcoin miners can go to sources where there's a lot of excess energy, you know, um, hydro energy or wind energy or solar energy where there's too much and it's it's difficult for them to store it or transfer it anywhere bitcoin miners can go to them um something like 50 percent of the energy used in china to mine bitcoin which is where most of the bitcoin is mined uh, is renewable energy um there's like uh gas flares that have to be if you're mining or if you're uh, drilling for oil they are also natural gas that comes out and you have to light that on fire and flare it off. And it's just a waste of, because they don't want the natural gas just going out into the atmosphere. It's better to burn it. So you can actually use that, the, the gas flare uh, to create energy to run a Bitcoin miner. There's all, all kinds of ways that Bitcoin can go to a source of energy. But anyway, so I'm just saying that it's a lot of people just don't understand the environmental impact and, and how energy is used on a greater scale. I mean, you know, the regular currency, coins and mining silver and zinc and cutting down trees to make paper money, and that, you know, that has an environmental in, impact too. Um, so, Well, exactly, I, and that, right that's, that it, that's my point here. I, I believe there is some environmental impact from this. I just think it's so minimal compared to overall impact of environment from uh, from energy uh, from energy production and usage in the US that uh, or the US around the world forget the US that I don't think that I think if you completely removed cryptocurrency from the world if it just disappeared I don't think we're going to see any appreciable difference in the environment whereas with other factors You're that correct. might be that might be affecting climate change that isn't true there's Whereas a lot of if things we took all, all the cars off the roads and they didn't have roads anymore in the first place that would make a huge environmental impact and you know elon musk makes cars right but. that's that's, <laughs> that's a good point that, that's, that's what i mean like there some of these things aren't practical to do but you can look and say okay this is the the main cause of everything and uh, and then there's like a, some very small impact of the environment that maybe is a you know, very small negligible negative when you add it all together, but it's not really worth considering at the moment. And I, right. I can see where it's it's better, it's optimal if you can use renewable energy or energy that's going to go to waste anyway to to mine Bitcoin. That'd be great. But uh, I, I think that concern was super premature at this point, and to express it out loud. Boy, did that cause a crash. And, and to me, what this seemed yeah. like was it's, it's just something that shows a weakness in the whole system. If, if there's one influential person can make 
offhanded comments like that, and, and there's a big crash, and uh, so that's right. that's well, concerning. Like I said, there 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 are multiple reasons for it. It it, it may have like uh, you know been the first domino, but there was there was other things that were in play, and um, so it wasn't just you know I, I think you're giving Elon a little too much credit, but. Now, what, what do you think of the conspiracy theory that uh, this was done on purpose to crash the value down, uh, shake out the people who are afraid it's going to crash down to zero and will just get out and take a loss, and then they can buy it again cheaper and then make a positive comment and send it back up again? That Elon did that? That Yeah, yeah like that Elon did that, yes. Well, I, he hasn't sold his Bitcoin, right? He still has the Bitcoin that he bought. That's what he's claiming, but but that he could buy more at, at a lower price and then send it back up again. Yeah, you know he may do that and then come out and say I was trolling you and 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 recite everything I just told you about how renewable energy how it incentivizes the use of renewable energy. I wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, you know, Elon Musk, Musk is a trickster, uh, and that would really send the price skyrocketing if he did that, probably, but. Maybe not. You know, maybe it wouldn't send it back to sixty-four thousand for per Bitcoin, which is what it was at its peak. Yeah, and I was wondering that. I was wondering before all of this. I was wondering how high can it really go because there there is a ceiling. And I, I had this argument with with someone on the forum about there being a ceiling. Well, said, here, let me just give you. The, so, I mean, I could go on about that for a long time, but uh, let me just give you a real quick breakdown. Right now, it's like what seven hundred and seventy-five billion. The market cap of Bitcoin. Yeah. Then the market cap of gold is eleven point eight trillion. If Bitcoin can go to be competitive with gold as a store of value, or you know the same as gold, then it could go from seven hundred seventy-five billion to twelve trillion. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it could still go a long ways. It could, but that's that would be. That would be a long way to, to replace gold completely when, when there's uh, there's really nothing. Well, that... no, it doesn't have to replace gold. It just has to reach the same market cap as gold. But I would think it would start to replace it at that point. That, that's the thing is that uh, I know we're not on Probably. a gold standard anymore, but that's uh, it's, it's hard to just say, well, the sky's the limit up until then. I, I, I think it wasn't all that far from some sort of natural ceiling that was going to hit. It couldn't just keep going up forever. And uh, so I had, I had told people, if you were looking to make like a... Some people still think 100K this year. A lot of people still think 100K this year. Well, I'm not going to say happen. that's not possible. I, I even thought that was possible when it was uh, going into the 60s and, and just kept going up. Right. But I, I did say that... I've said to people who have been buying into Bitcoin, I said, if you're buying in with the belief that you're going to multiply your money by like an exponential factor, like someone who bought in even like five years ago uh, into Bitcoin. Right. It's, it's not going to happen because it's too high already. If you want to do that, then something like Dogecoin or the next thing that you think is going to be Dogecoin is what you should buy into. There's It could also just go down to zero and you lose everything. But, well, but, if, but you, sh- you shouldn't buy Dogecoin because it's, you know, fundamentally there's not much there. No, I know that. Look I know it's not. What, I mean, but there are other things that are, are newer even than Ethereum, like uh, Polkadot and Kusama, that are, they've already gone up a lot. I mean, Polkadot is uh, number six in market cap, I think, in crypto. So, um, but Kusama, I bought some Kusama, we're talking like a year ago, maybe less than that, or 
maybe 14 months, but roughly a year ago, I bought not very many, unfortunately, Kusama at $5 a share. It was recently at 600 Wow. So if Kusama can go from $5 to 600 in a year, then if you just, yeah, you gotta, you should look for things that are fundamentally something to start with, though, and not just a joke like Shiba Inu. You know, don't buy that shit. That's new, but don't buy it. Um, yeah, and I was saying you've got to get in. You know, you've got to get in kind of early before it becomes a craze. You just wanna gam- if you want to gamble, then sure, buy Dogecoin or whatever you want. But understand that that's what you're doing is gambling. Yeah, and I've said if you if you really want to see the exponential appreciation, you should look for something that you you can see very early on that it looks like there's a good chance that it has it, that it's pretty cheap right now and that there's a good chance it could rock it up. Don't take something that's already uh, trading at uh, tens of thousands of dollars or even in, in uh, single digit thousands of dollars because there's right. there's only so high so much you're going to make. There's only the, the sky is not that high for you. And if you what you really want to do is but take it's, something it's sp- just like a it's just like a stock where you have to also look at the float. So polka dot is $20 uh one for one polka dot right now. So to think it's going to go to a thousand dollars, you know, that's a huge Bitcoin. Everything else would have to go with it because, or it would have to like just take over crypto, which is possible. But I mean, it's a competitor of Ethereum. Basically it's made by the same guy. Gavin Wood made Ethereum with Vitalik Buterin. And then they had some disagreements about how it should work. And then he left and started Polkadot. And so that's what that is. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, by the way, I was I was starting to say it, uh, but I, I'm going to mention here that something embarrassing happened for me here. I still haven't paid Crypto Ninja back here, but I, a, a mistake was made. Now, I, in my defense, there was some lack of communication here where Bitcoin had incredibly high transaction fees at the time, and I, I needed to pay Crypto Ninja a prize. And just I, I said, I don't want to send it to you in Bitcoin. It's, the, the fees are going to eat up most of it. Do you have Bitcoin cash? So um, he had sent me back an address, which I assumed was Bitcoin Cash. He didn't say, yes, I have Bitcoin Cash. Here is Bitcoin Cash. He had just sent me an address, and I assumed it was Bitcoin Cash. And I, and I copy-pasted it and sent him $50. And uh, right after I sent it, I mean, like, right after I sent him the $50, right after I hit that button, I go, shit, I didn't verify that's really a Bitcoin tra- Cash address. <laughs> so... And I didn't get it. Um, yeah. So, so what happened was, uh, yeah. What what happened was that it disappeared, and that's what can happen. It just it, it, it's very hard to recover when that happens, and we were unable to get it back. So, if it, if this is something you don't want to say publicly, uh, you don't have to. But were, I, was this on Bitcoin dot com? No. Uh, okay, because that's uh, you know Roger Veers. It's been notorious to be confusing about what you're buying on there, whether it's Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. No, it, it, it wasn't that. It was it was just my mistake for not asking you, and I just uh, I, I sent it. And... Well, because most uh, you know a lot of like exchanges and stuff like probably Coinbase wouldn't allow you to or shouldn't allow you to send Bitcoin Cash to a Bitcoin address. Well, what happened was something quickly showed on the screen, but I hit the button so quickly. I assume it was a warning. And I, it, it should have warned me more. It should have not like made me do more than just see something and, and be able to hit submit. But some warning did pop right. up, and the second that popped up, I'm like, oh shit, maybe this isn't a Bitcoin cash address. And I looked, and I it wasn't Bitcoin.com, yeah. but I, I said, oh crap. So I, uh, I, I 
went back and looked at what he wrote, and it was ambiguous. Like it, it wasn't saying uh, no. Well, here's I a Bitcoin address. I was trying address. to show my ref link to Celsius to you to get you to sign up there because they don't have withdrawal fees. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's uh, that's I, what I happened. Think you should use them to. But you never did, you know. Yeah, so I didn't. So anyway, I, I was thinking, what do I do about this? It's only fifty bucks. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to eat the fifty bucks. I'll send it to him. It, it. Uh, I'll, I'll just but send you him the whole thing. Sent it yet. Well, I haven't, but in, in theory, I will. And, and the more and the more Bitcoin goes down, the more you're going to have to send it. That's true. I should have sent it. Other, I would have sent a lot less. Now, I, in a, in a way, I kind of yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm now owe you a hundred dollars from that's that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, no, it's well, a nice hedge. Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy! All right. Well, anyway, thanks for calling in and explaining all of this. Yeah. Though it's, uh, I know you're a good person to call in for this topic. I'm glad I took the call. At first, I'm like, you know, who's calling in in the middle of my topic? I tell people not to do that, but I, I just had a all good right. feeling that someone was calling in to talk about this subject. So, yeah, and I, you know, who knows what uh, Elon Musk is up to? But you know, we'll see. We will see. Well, thank you for calling in, Crypto Ninja. It's yeah. been uh, educational, right. and thank you for being on here. No problem. Talk to you later. Bye. It's Crypto Ninja, a listener to this show, very into cryptocurrency, as you might guess. And I still owe him that $50 that I sent to the wrong place, went into no man's land. Occasionally, you can recover it when this happens, depending upon the wallets and some other factors. But he tried, and he didn't. I mean, he tried, he just wasn't able to. And it's understandable, it's just gone. Fortunately, it was not $5,000 or $500, just $50, so I can... I can afford that. It's always $50. You know that? It's always $50 when something happens either on this show or even the previous shows I was part of. It's always something about $50. Since there's a lot of poker players who are invested in crypto, a lot of them are very upset. And they've been very open about it on Twitter. A lot of people are blaming Elon Musk. A lot of people are pissed at him. A lot of them hate him for what he said. Because a lot of them lost a lot of their net worth. Now, keep in mind, for a lot of these people, they are still way up compared to October when they had already bought in. Or they bought in a lot of it. So, overall, they made a lot of money, some of which was from Elon Musk's embrace of Bitcoin. So, they can't complain too much. He had a lot to do with the rise, too. But... It's always like, what have you done for me lately? And they're, they're really mad about this. And there's been a lot of anger on Poker Twitter regarding Elon Musk's recent comments. First about uh, Dogecoin being a hustle on Saturday Night Live. And then the thing about uh, Tesla is not going to accept Bitcoin as payment anymore. There have been some people on Poker Twitter who have been criticizing those who have been criticizing Elon, saying that, they are just bitching because things aren't going their way at the moment. It'd be like a poker player who's been consistently winning every day since October, and then he has some losing sessions on a downswing, and he complains about how unlucky he is. And you're like, well, wait a minute. You're, just, you're not doing as well as you were last week, but you're still way up. So I, I can understand why people are kind of annoyed to see the complaining. I mean, it sucks. I, I hold some Bitcoin, too. I lost some money. I, I was cashing out of poker and just leaving it in Bitcoin. I wasn't then converting it to U.S. dollars for the most part. I wasn't directly investing in Bitcoin by buying in, but I, I was taking my poker cash outs and just kind of leaving it there. And 
So I've taken a haircut there as well. And it's kind of frustrating. But what can you do? There's an article on Vegas Slots Online by uh, David Lapine. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Or David Lapin, whatever. And he, he said, the poker community is knives out for cryptocurrency manipulator Elon Musk after feckless tweets. Well, I, I see, I don't know if that's completely fair. I don't know if that's completely fair. I mean, he, yeah, his tweets are kind of just whatever. You know, he just kind of spouts off what he's feeling there, almost Donald Trump style, and sometimes doesn't think of the impact. But that's Elon for you. I mean, that's also uh, part of the reason some of these went up. The actual statement from Elon that everybody's concerned about was the following. This is tweeted on uh, May 12th. Tesla has suspended vehicle purchases using Bitcoin. We're concerned about rapidly increasing use of fossil fuels for Bitcoin mining and transactions, especially coal, which is the worst emissions of any fuel. Cryptocurrency is a good idea on many levels, and we believe it has a promising future, but this cannot come at a great cost to the environment. Tesla will not be selling any Bitcoin, and we intend to use it for transactions as soon as mining trans- transitions to more suitable energy. We are also looking at other cryptocurrencies that use less than 1% of Bitcoin's energy and transactions. So he, he, he's basically saying, maybe we're going to go to a different coin, and <laughs> that kind of hurt Bitcoin. And unfortunately, when Bitcoin goes, a lot of them go with it. So you can't just say, okay, well, Bitcoin's going to fall, but the others are going to rise. That's not how it works. Usually when Bitcoin crashes, because that's the granddaddy of them all, they all tend to fall. So the next three days, uh, it was an 8% crash. And then it's just been very unstable ever since and mostly on the downside. So some people are thinking, okay, well, should I buy the dip? Not necessarily because we don't know if this is just a dip. This may be a crash. This may be a crash. It's not over yet. It's very hard to tell. So maybe you can buy in now and it'll pop back up to 60K. You look like a genius. You can also buy in now and it'll keep falling, falling, falling back to 10 where it was before this big rise starting in October. Patrick Leonard tweeted, so is Elon really an idiot? Is he trying to manipulate the market? Is there something nobody else is seeing? This all seems so bizarre. Not only would you think he knew basic stuff, uh, not only would you think he knew basic stuff hit, you'd think that he'd 100% fact check them first. He's coming across like the next Trump. Barry Carter said, Bitcoin is great because it's decentralized, meaning nobody has control over it. No government or corporation can manipulate the price. Also, one Elon miss." Must tweet, he probably sent while sat on the toilet, has just made us all poor. That's exactly what I was saying. One guy has too much influence because if people are investing in it because he seems to like it and then he says something negative about it, it goes down, that's just a big weakness in cryptocurrency, unfortunately. So right now, as I'm broadcasting this at close to 2 a.m. Pacific time, the price of Bitcoin is little under 37K, which has kind of been around there like the last uh, two days or so. It's gone up to 40 and then slips down again, then goes back up around 40 and slips down again. So it kind of keeps yo-yoing back and forth. I don't think it's been under 35 recently, but would I be surprised if it goes under 35? No. Would I be surprised if it continues crashing and goes back to 10? No. Would I be surprised if it recovers from this, especially if Elon says something positive, goes back to 60-something? No. It really can go anywhere. 
So if you want to purely gamble, go ahead. I'm just saying, uh, don't think this is the great opportunity to get back in. And they're all going down with it. In the last 24 hours, Bitcoin down 7.64%. Ethereum down 12.79%. Binance Coin, which is uh, another big one, down 18%. Cardano down 13.23%. Dogecoin down 13.38%. Ripple down 19.16%. Polkadot, which Crypto Ninja just mentioned, 18.07%. Internet Computer Coin, 17% down. Bitcoin Cash, 14.17% down. Litecoin, 14.76% down. Uniswap, down almost 20%. Chainlink down almost 17%. Solana down 14%. Stellar down 18%. I'm going by market cap here. Skipping past the stable coins that are linked to the dollar. They all seem to be down double digit percent. Few of them around 8%. Most of them double digit percents. uh, Mostly between 12 and, and 22. So this is across the board. An app I use to look at this is called CoinStats. You can get this on your iPhone, CoinStats. And it will automatically list them all by uh, activity. And uh, you can go down from the most traded coin to the least traded coin. So the ones I was listing was in order from most traded to less traded, not least because there's thousands of them. But you hear how much they all went down in just the last 24 hours. So who knows? A lot of poker pros are upset about this. A lot of them just kind of thought this is like free money. Just watch out if you're investing in crypto. And don't think you're a genius just because you buy in and it goes up. Because weeks like this can come too. Let's move on to the next topic here. A Connecticut man has won over a million dollars in a lawsuit against Foxwoods in their own tribal court. One problem with Indian casinos is that if you have any dispute with them, it is heard in their own tribal court. So you sue the tribe, and the tribe makes the judgment. It would be like if you have a dispute with me, and I am the judge. Would you feel very good about that? (laughs) How many times do you think I'd rule in your favor if you're suing me and I get to be the judge? But that's pretty much what it is in tribal court. That's one of many flaws with Indian gaming. I had to explain this to my son Benjamin recently. My son asked me, why is it that in California, the only casinos are Indian casinos? And I said, well, it's not 100% true because there are card rooms like Commerce that are not Indian But yes, all full casinos with things like slot machines, they are Indian casinos. And then he said, well, why is that? And then I had to explain why they did it and why it's not accomplishing what they thought they were doing. Basically, they thought they were helping impoverished Native American tribes who've kind of gotten the raw end of the stick in previous dealings with the government over the years. So this was kind of a way to make up for it and get them on their feet. That was the intention, but then the result was that it only got a few of few people in each tribe really rich, 
and that most of the tribe didn't benefit from it very much. I'm talking about all of them, not just uh, one particular tribe. And there are very few consumer protections in place because no states were smart enough to negotiate that any disputes must be decided in state court or in county court or something like that rather than tribal court. The fact that they're allowing consumer issues to be decided in tribal court is mind-boggling. And it's mind-boggling this is the standard around the entire country. It's not just California that screwed this up. The entire country screwed this up. And it was very simple. The, the state could have said, we are not going to allow you to enter into a gaming compact and offer these games unless you agree to allow this to be any kind of dispute to be heard outside of your tribal court system. But for some reason, that's not the case. So consumers get screwed left and right. And I explained this to my son of why that's uh, so bad. So it does surprise me that a man won over a million dollars in a tribal court. Now, I will say Foxwoods isn't your typical Indian casino. It's one of the biggest ones. It's very, very large. It really took a bite out of the Atlantic City market because it was one of the first major casinos that one could visit on the East Coast that was not in Atlantic City. So people in that area of the East could go to Foxwoods, which is a very large casino, and not have to drive all the way to Atlantic City. So if, if you were in Connecticut, if you were in Massachusetts, if you were in Vermont, this is all much closer to go to Foxwoods than it was to Atlantic City, which is uh, a good deal south. So Foxwoods uh, grew. Now, there's a lot of other Indian casinos now in the area, but Foxwoods is still very large. So they do have a reputation to uphold, which might be part of the reason that there was such a settlement. Because I was surprised when I saw that someone won like this. The rooms or the casinos that are in California really just don't give a shit. The Indian casinos, they will just outright screw people. I've told stories before on this show where it'll be something like someone wins a car and then they take you in the back and try to browbeat you into taking a cash settlement for a fraction of the car's value. And they try to tell you all the reasons this is better for you. And if you stick to your guns and say, no, I want the car, then they go through the tape and find some flimsy reason to disqualify you and don't give you the car. There was an actual story like this. So it, it's really nasty. It's not like they quickly advise you, hey, you know, maybe you don't want to get the car. Maybe you want to take this cash settlement instead for less. And here's why you should do it. They pressure, 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 pressure. If you just stick to your guns and say, no, 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 then they find a way to disqualify you. It's really shitty. But... This type of thing happens all the time in California. And you try to go to the gaming commission and they don't care. So in Foxwoods, it seems like because they're such a big operation, they may care some about their reputation. So a Connecticut gambler was awarded $1.325 million. I guess not $1.35, but close. And it had to do with a fall. What happened, it was pretty simple. The dude was a dentist. He was from Springfield, Massachusetts. He was at Foxwoods in 2016, and someone spilled a drink. Not an employee, but some customer spilled a drink on the ground. And several employees walked by, saw the drink on the ground, and did nothing. They were just lazy. They just didn't feel like doing it. They just 
nobody wanted to go <laughs> to go either clean up the drink or get someone's attention to come over and clean it. So the employee's like, mm, not my problem, whatever. Just kept walking, kept walking, kept walking. 20 minutes passed by, and this dentist probably wasn't looking down, stepped over that spot where the drink had been spilled, and slipped, and had a pretty bad fall. So uh, he sued Foxwoods, and this was heard in the Mashantucket-Pequot Tribal Court. Casino surveillance footage did show what occurred, His attorney said it made a very good capture of the event, an accumulation of a liquid substance. And uh, he said that it was actually probably water what got spilled, but that it was dropped and it stayed for about 20 minutes and multiple employees walked by and made no attempt to clean it up or call anybody to come clean it up. And the dentist whose name is Gary Goodman fractured his lower left wet leg, tore tendons, and dislocated his left ankle. And he claimed in his lawsuit that his left ankle was permanently impaired. Now, this may not be as bad as it sounds. Permanently impaired could just mean it hurts. Uh, ankle injuries are notorious for never quite getting better. It's not always the case, but sometimes it'll hurt your ankle, especially after you get into middle age and older, and it's just never the same. I thought that happened to me. I fell on a hike in 2015 and I twisted my ankle and I stood up. I, I saw my ankle was in a bad position. I'm like, oh crap, I hope I didn't break it. So I, I was able to stand up and walk. I go, okay, good. It's obviously not broken. So I actually stood up and actually walked back about a mile to get to my house. And it was, it was sore, but it wasn't terrible. Six hours later, it was awful. It was really hurting. I don't think because I walked back on it. I just think it, sometimes these things take like six hours until you really feel the pain from it. But the problem was this wasn't getting better. I, I went to the doctor, and the good thing, it was not broken. It was no fracture, no break. But uh, they could see there was some injury there. It looked like a sprain. And uh, I had an MRI on it. It looked like there was a sprain. So they said, okay, well, it, it looks like just wait a few weeks. It'll get better. Well, it dragged on forever. This was in February of 2015. We get to the summer, and my ankle wasn't better. I don't know if you guys saw me at the World Series that year. You probably don't remember, but if you saw me walking through the Rio, I was walking with a little bit of a limp because my ankle hurt that much. My ankle was uh, constantly in pain. And I kept going back and back and back to the doctor, and they said, what's weird is we we see it looks like there's something going on in there. We definitely see there's something wrong there, and it kind of looks like there's some kind of activity, like it's healing, but, but it doesn't seem to be getting any better. We don't understand it. So nobody can understand it. And I was ready after months passed, and here we were at uh, the eight-month mark in 2015. My ankle felt almost as bad as it did the day I heard it. It was a little bit better, but it was consistently sore. And I, I couldn't do anything physical on it. I couldn't hike. I couldn't ski. I just uh, I, I was able to walk. It was just uh, I was walking with like a little limp, and it was uh, I thought my ankle was going to be that way the rest of my life. One day, I woke up in October, gone. The pain was gone. Never came back. Six years later, I do not feel it. I haven't felt it ever since it went away. So it's not even like it's lingering. It took eight months. It's not clear why it abruptly went from one day to the next, from not getting better to completely better, but that's really what happened. 
But it does also happen where it doesn't do that, where you don't get that lucky and your, your ankle is forever bothering you. So it's possible that forever impaired is something like what I was feeling, right? Yeah, I could walk, but it, yeah, I'm constantly feeling my ankle and it gets in the way of doing anything active. And so they say permanently impaired. Who knows? You know, you know how it is in these lawsuits. They always try to prop everything up to make it seem like it was a lot worse than it actually is. Uh, do I believe he really fractured his left leg and, and tore tendons and dislocated his ankle? Yes, I believe it. And they probably showed the imagery that they took at doctor's offices proving that. So because they had this on the surveillance, because it was clear that the guy slipped, got hurt, that multiple employees walked by the water or whatever was in the ground and uh, chose not to either clean it themselves or call someone to do it and just left it there for someone to slip on, that uh, the court actually ruled in this guy's favor and he got the $1.325 million settlement. This is one of the highest settlements that has ever been given in personal injury cases by the tribe. The cases in tribal court have a 200% cap on awards for actual damages. You may say, well, what are actual damages? Well, actual damages are things you can actually show a direct monetary loss as a result of what occurred. So pain and suffering would not be actual damages, but actual damages would be doctor's bills or if you if it interferes with your job and you can't go to work where you're able to claim lost wages, not Las Vegas, but lost wages, then that is considered actual damages. Any actual money that you directly lost as a result of the injury. But anything that's more subjective, like pain and suffering, is not actual damages. So tribal law has a 200% cap on awards for actual damages, which means uh, you take your actual damages, you multiply it by two, and that's the very most you could ever possibly get. The reason that Gary Goodman was able to get one of the bigger settlements is that he was able to claim over $600,000 of actual damages. I'm guessing because he's a dentist and he claimed that he could not stand up anymore to do his work. So if a dentist can't stand, then he can't work or it's very tough for him to work. And he probably said he had to shut his practice down and not work during this time and uh, or at least during some time period and was able to show what he makes in a typical year and between that and the medical expenses was able to show more than 600,000 damages which when you multiply by two came out to 1.325 million however let's say you're not a dentist let's say you're just an average joe with not a very uh, high paying job let's say you have a job where you're making uh, 30,000 a year Say you're making 40000 a year. And let's say you're out of work for a year because of that. And let's say your medical bills are uh, $10,000. So your actual damages there are $50,000. And let's say you're in horrible pain during this year. Let's say you're going to continue being in horrible pain, but that you're able to get another job or something after a year and, and work at something which uh, where the injury is not going to stop you, like a desk job. 
there the most you could possibly recover is $100,000 because it's two times actual damages, even if you're in such terrible pain and even if this was their fault, it doesn't matter because you cannot get more than 200% of actual damages no matter what your pain and suffering is, which kind of sucks. And that's part of the reason that tribal court is bullshit. They shouldn't have this cap. Now, I'm not saying that people should get unreasonable settlements for pain and suffering, and I know a lot of that is exaggerated to get people suing these companies a lot more money than they deserve. But still, to have a cap, I think, is stupid. But that's the type of thing these tribal courts do. They can do whatever the hell they want. His attorney said, Mr. Goldman couldn't have recovered substantially more than the settlement amount because of the caps. In state court, it would have been a whole different story. So his attorney was saying that they probably would have gotten more than $1.325 million if it wasn't for those caps. I don't know if that's true here because the negligence probably did exist. It probably has shown that employees just didn't clean up a spill and that the guy slipped on it and hurt himself. But it doesn't sound like he ended up a cripple. It sounds like he just had some pretty unpleasant injuries and that uh, for a while it it hurt him too much to stand up to work as a dentist and he had to take some time off. So I, I can see where he is due some money here, maybe even what he ended up receiving. But I don't think he got shorted here. I don't feel bad for him that he only got $1.325 million for... Uh, fracturing his leg and and tearing a tendon and hurting his ankle uh, because it was some water on the floor that wasn't cleaned. It's it's not like one of the employees came over and pushed him down or something. This was uh, like he's in an argument with an employee, an employee pushes him down, and then he uh, gets these injuries. There, there I would think he'd be due more. But here it was, it was just negligence. It was someone spilled water on the ground and some lazy probably low-wage employees walked by and saw and like, oh, I'll let the next guy get it. <laughs> then the the next one thought the same thing, and the next one thought the same thing, as soon enough someone slipped on it and fell. And yeah, I, I agree companies should have to pay damages when this happens, but I also don't think that this was a bad settlement. In fact, I, I'm a little surprised he got this much, but I think it's because Foxwoods does not want the reputation of a dentist getting hurt like this when it's clearly Foxwood's fault and then refusing to pay him when he can't work because he can't stand because his uh, he was injured too much and he had to wait to recover enough. In fact, I, I have to imagine that he must be back at work or there was, his actual damages would be higher. Keep in mind this happened five years ago. So there must have been some point where he claimed he couldn't work and even though he claims he's permanently impaired ankle-wise, he can probably still stand to work. He pro- It was probably just for some time he could not work because of all the other injuries besides the ankle. I actually had it uh, two different times where Caesars was a little concerned I was going to sue them, but neither time I was considering doing so. The first time was when I was doing the ESPN 360 broadcast of the 10K Limit Hold'em event. It was in 09. That was the event that Greg Mueller won, where Greg Mueller made a straight flush over the ace high flush of Chad Brown's and that pretty much turned around the whole final table and Greg went on to win. I was one of the two 
announcers on there. I was the color commentator. Anyway, during one of the breaks, I went into the bathroom at the Rio. And as I'm exiting the bathroom, the door flies open and the handle of the door slams into my hand. And then I notice a huge cut, huge cut from the handle hitting my hand at that angle and that hard. And it turned out it was an employee who threw the door open, came in to clean. He just opened the door too aggressively. And it was just it was just kind of a freak accident that I was on the way out. I was reaching for the handle and he swings the door open at that point and it slams into my hand. I could have stretched it and said, okay, this guy was too aggressively opening the door. He didn't open it slowly. He just flung it open and it slammed into my hand. But I knew it was just one of these freak accidents. I happened to be reaching for the handle. He happens to be opening the door to just go in and do his work. And it happens to slam right into my hand in a bad way. And, and it caused and it made a big cut on there. And it was a big cut. That took, it took like 25 minutes to stop bleeding. <laughs> I, I, there was one of the worst cases of bleeding I've ever had from a cut. Like I, I was doing the broadcast as they're repeatedly bringing me things to put on it that keep getting filled with blood. I'm like, at some point, I may have to quit this. <laughs> I really didn't want to quit the broadcast. I love doing the broadcast. I really enjoyed it. But I, I was like, oh, I don't want to quit this. <laughs> Boy, this, this bleeding is, is profuse. It was just bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. I, I couldn't – it was a huge cut and it just kept bleeding. So it finally stopped. I kept signaling them to bring me more to more, – more tissues to put on there. And I was trying to put pressure on it. It just wasn't stopping. Finally, I – Got it under control, but uh, I wanted them to bring me band-aids, and they kept saying you know, they want me to file a report and all this other stuff, and I didn't want to get this poor guy in trouble. I was afraid he was going to get fired for this, and it was really a freak accident, and I want to see this poor janitor get fired because I didn't really feel it was his fault. It wasn't really my fault either. It, was, it wasn't my fault at all, but it was like a fluke accident where maybe there's a slight bit of fault on his end, but yeah, if I, if I was a litigious jerk, I could have sued Caesars for this, but... I, I just wanted to get back to doing the broadcast and get a Band-Aid on there and go on. Especially because I, I knew this was not going to be a permanent injury. It just looked like a very bad cut. It just looked like it ripped off a... It was sort of deep and it ripped off a lot of skin and it was just making a lot of bleeding. But it did not seem like there was going to be any permanent injury to my hand and there was not. So I... But they were very concerned. They didn't want to give me any Band-Aids or anything until... Uh, I, saw, I did a report, and I finally convinced them to just give it to me. I said, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. I don't want to file any reports. I just want to be able to put a Band-Aid on here and, and to be done. I finally convinced them to, to get the Band-Aids for me, and they did. But uh, that was one of them. The other one was when I fell at Caesars in the room, and I, I was sick, and I was dehydrated, and I fell in the room after going to the bathroom. I was trying to walk back to my bed from the bathroom and uh, I barely made it out of the bathroom and then I just fainted and slammed my whole body down on the hard carpet there. They have a pretty hard carpet there, at least they did then. And I, I broke some ribs. And Anyway, uh, it, it wasn't pleasant, but this wasn't their fault either. In fact, I got sick before I got there. I was able to trace back that I got sick at the Rincon, which I was at right before I went to Caesars. I guess it's their property too, in a way, but I, I don't blame properties if I get sick, if I just catch a virus while there. What happened? I caught a really bad stomach virus. The symptoms showed up as I got to Caesars. Yeah, someone could have made up a story for why they fell. And I, I had real injuries. I had three broken ribs. And I had some uh, other injuries which were temporary but looked pretty bad at the time. So I could have milked that. But I, I didn't want to do it. I didn't, it wasn't their fault. 
So I, but every time I was asking for anything, there was such concern that I'm going to blame them. And I could, every time I had to say, I, I, I admit this is my fault. I'm not looking to get anyone in trouble. I'm not looking to sue anybody. I just, you know, please bring me this. That's a, I had to say that every time because they were so afraid that I was going to sue them. And just because I happened to be on their property when I fell doesn't mean it's my fault. I would sue a company if I felt it was their fault. Like in this case, I, th- I, I would have sued Foxwoods. I agree. But if I just happen to fall somewhere that I don't feel is their fault, if I get my, if I hurt myself somewhere I don't feel is the fault of the business, I'm never going to sue them. I think that's shitty to do. I'm surprised that this guy got this much out of a tribal court. That's pretty shocking. But I think if it's a smaller casino, there's no way. I think if it's a smaller casino, they'll find an excuse to give them zero. All right, well, speaking of a company that might want to give somebody zero, Barstool Sports has a sports book. And there are some accusations against them by a guy who calls himself Joey Knish, which is from Rounders. But uh, Barstool Sports has Barstool Sports book. And that is a legalized sports book. That is not any kind of uh, unregulated offshore sports book. It is a legalized sports book, and it is located in Pennsylvania, where legalized sports betting is allowed. Dave Portnoy is the CEO of Barstool Sports. He is a pretty uh, brash and very active on social media type of guy. If you've been on Twitter, especially poker or sports Twitter, you've probably seen tweets from him. He's on there as Stool Presidente. But they have this Barstool Sports book, which is a legalized book in Pennsylvania, and uh, Portnoy was hoping to cash in on the reputation that Barstool Sports has and the notoriety they have to try to get people over there to that book because of the brand recognition. Barstool Sports has been around for a long time. They began in 2003, and it's a digital media company that produces content that has to do with sports and pop culture. Barstool Sports book is a legalized book, and a better, this guy who calls himself Joey Knish on Twitter, posted a video complaining about them and also posted a screenshot of email that he got from them. Now, Joey Knish is not his real name, but that's what he goes by on Twitter. He's at JoeyKnish22. And on May 13th, he tweeted out, Emergency press conference. Barstool Sports exposed for who they really are. Corporate shills who only take losing bettors to line their own pockets. Wow. So let's hear what Mr. Knish has to say. Emergency press conference, actual man of the people, Joey Kanish here, exposing what we already know, folks. Barstool Sportsbook, Stooley, Big Cat, all frauds. Corporate shills, only worried about their own pockets. The same people they criticize, Elon and all them, they're just the same type of folk. Oh, come bet the can't lose parlay. Oh, we're, we're all buddies here. We're all, bu- we're all buddies as long as you're losing money to their sports book. You show a little bit of a pulse. You win a little bit of coin. You bet a little bit of, bit of non-recreational stuff. 
Get you out of here. Wait, you're not one of you're not one of the boys. Oh, you're only one of the barstool men. If you're dumping money to our sports books, let me stop this before I continue the rest of it. It's only a minute and a half. It's about half over. What he's talking about here is when he says that you're stepping away from anything that's uh, recreational. He's saying that if you're betting in a pattern that shows you know what you're doing, if you're betting on things that most of the sharp sports bettors seem to be on and you're staying away from the plays that the public seems to be on, then it seems like you're a sharp sports better, and you're either going to be a winning better or fairly close to break even, and they don't really want you. They, they want the public sports better. They want the predictable losing sports better. Because most sports bettors are predictably losing sports bettors, where you take a look at the pattern of their bets, they're just kind of doing it on feel, and... Uh, they're not going to win. They're not going to be able to beat the house juice. And in fact, in some cases, they're even worse than people who would bet by flipping coins because at least the coins can't be uh, tricked by by something that's misleading that looks like it's a good bet when it really isn't. Uh, those are called trap lines. So they want the public sports better that's just going to fire on things without really thinking through and going with what seems like the obvious play when often the obvious play is actually the losing play. So he's saying... If you deviate from that, if you show you do know what you're doing, they don't really want your business here. So they act like they're your friends, that they want you to bet on the big parlays, that they want you to try to win the big money. But as soon as you show you have the ability to actually win the big money, you're out of here. That's what he's claiming. Let's hear the rest of it. Line in our pockets. Absolute disgrace. They can play up all they want. Barstool, we're the people's sports book. The people's loser sports book. The whole percentage is 80% because they're fraudulently betting with so many people, but they can't pay out a couple of winners oh, because the student had a real stoolie unless you're betting the can't lose parlay, which is 0-65 in, in the last 65 days. But, oh, now we can't bet it because you won a few bets. Absolute disgrace. Dave, Big Cat, all of them. Frauds, shills. Every single one, Barstool Sportsbook, disgrace. Go bet somewhere else. Yeah, so as you can hear, he's very unhappy. But what does that mean? Did they kick him off? Are they refusing to pay him? Did he win something? And are they not paying him because he's not a recreational better? That's kind of what it sounds like. He didn't elaborate, but that's what it sounds like from there. So I, I decided to look into it. Uh, and I also looked at the screenshots of what he posted. I didn't just listen to what he was saying. Now, you may wonder, what is he talking about with this can't-lose parlay? Well, there's this thing they've been calling the can't-lose parlay, which is a, a marketing technique. And uh, there's actually complaints about this. And in fact, I'm reading this on AmericanGaming.org. It says, on February 22nd, 2021, this is a little separate from what uh, Joey Kanish is complaining about, but he's referring to it. Uh, Keith White of the National Council on Problem Gambling submitted a complaint to the American Gambling Association under the AGA's Responsible Marketing Code for Sports Wagering. The complaint submissions concerned an online marketing activity by Barstool Sportsbook on January 15, 2021, the Can't Lose Parlay. The complaint alleged that by promoting a sportsbook as called Can't Lose, that Barstool Sportsbook directly violates the language of the code, which states no message should suggest the social, financial, or personal success is guaranteed by engaging in sports wagering. As required by the code, the AGA immediately forwarded the complaint to Barstool's parent company, Penn National Gaming. The reported company 
provided an initial response to the AGA on February 25th and then supplemented its response on March 8th. In its responses, the company noted that it's not currently offering the can't-lose parlay, stated it disagrees with the complainant's assertion that the wager violates the code, and that the company believes both on the merits and in the proper context the can't-lose parlay does not guarantee any financial success. The company wrote, The bet has often been a long-shot parlay, and it loses far often that it wins. The odds offered are not hidden. There's no promotion guaranteeing a win, and it's clearly housed in the sportsbook where it's patently obvious that it's a wager, not an opportunity for someone to win guaranteed money. Particularly when viewed in that context, Penn National Gaming's response continued, quote, The can't-lose parlay does not carry any guaranteed social, financial, or personal success, and there's no violation of the code. The company also stated, that it believes the can't-lose parlay is an obviously satirical wager, and that an earlier marketing promotion for the parlay on October 2nd, 2020, included responsible gaming measures. So th- this is to the American Gaming Association that's kind of like a, an association that these uh, casinos and sportsbooks uh, are part of that they're kind of voluntarily agreeing to be uh, regulated and, and adhere to certain standards. So forgetting about what happened with this, as you can see, this was something that they were using to promote, oh, here's a can't-lose parlay, and they're saying, look, it's obvious to everybody that if you're betting a parlay where the odds are very long, that there's no such thing as a can't-lose parlay. Everybody understands that they're not really saying you can't lose, which I see their point, but that is an obnoxious thing to promote and call it that because that makes it seem like that they're really promoting something for you to bet that uh, is always going to win in the long run. And Joey Kanish is mocking it, saying that it's like 0-65. <laughs> he's, he's exaggerating, but that it's, it's never winning, that the can't-lose parlay is just never winning. I don't know if it's ever won, but that the can't-lose parlay is very poorly named and very misleading, and that's just part of the whole uh, scam he alleged. He alleges that Barstool Sportsbook is, that they pretend to be the book of the people, and in reality, all they do is mislead you, and all they want is losers. So... He posted a message he got from them on May 13th. It was dated May 13th. And it said, We're writing to inform you that we've made an update to your player account. Barstool Sportsbook promotions are are intended for recreational members to explore betting on different sports and markets, not for bettors who show non-recreational tendencies. Based on your previous sports betting patterns, our team has ruled that your account is not being used recreationally. Effective immediately, your player account will no longer be eligible for Barstool Sportsbook and Casino promotion and rewards. Well, okay. Okay. Like, if you listen to him, it sounds like they're throwing him off or refusing to pay him because he's not a recreational better, because he is a professional sports better because he's a winning sports better and that since he is showing quote non-recreational tendencies someone who bets more like a pro that they're throwing him off and maybe not even paying him but that's not what's going on here what the evidence he's presenting here is that all they have done is take away his promotions they're saying we decided you don't need promotions because we're not trying to attract people like you you can bet here And if you can beat us, great, go ahead. But we do not want to entice you with promotions anymore. The promotions are aimed at people who bet recreationally, people who don't have the skill you do, people who kind of need an extra boost because they're going to lose in the long run and maybe even the medium or short medium run. Whereas you, 
are going to be a winning sports better. So we're not stopping you from betting here, but we're not rolling out the red carpet for you either because this you're not who we're looking to attract. These promotions are for recreational bettors who need a bit of money back that they're likely to lose. That's, that's what they're really saying if you read between the lines. And that's fine. That's actually fine. I don't mind that. I would mind if they threw them out. And they can, by the way. Books do ban people all the time. Not just online books. Brick-and-mortar sports books have backed off people going back decades. There are brick-and-mortar sports books that tell people, we're not taking your action anymore, or we're limiting your action to a very low number. In fact, some people would get around it by sending runners to bet for them because they are banned from the book for being too skillful. So books are not required to take unlimited action or the same action from winning sports bettors as they are from losing sports bettors. That kind of sucks, but that's always the way it's been. And the way the books see it is that they're just always there offering lines on everything. Like they're, they're exposing themselves where you can just show up and bet on anything. And you're choosing what you bet on. So if you're skillful enough to go through all their lines and find the softest ones and only bet on those, that it's not fair to them if you're good enough to do that. And you can't just clobber them for unlimited money. Now, I know it's not that simple. There's a lot of things in sports that are very hard or in some cases impossible to beat. But if you are one of those few people, they're saying we don't just have to sit here and allow you to just keep coming and beating us. But another way to look at it is that it's kind of unfair that they only want to allow losers to play. But look, casinos have been doing that forever. forever. Look, they, they do that to people who are playing blackjack. They'll back off card counters. Card counting is not cheating. It just means you can beat them and they don't want you there. They will back off advantage players. So this is no different. But that's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening. This rant would be justified, even though they wouldn't be doing anything illegal or anything different than other sports books have done in the past to others. This rant would be justified if Barstool Sports was posturing that they were the book of the people, as he says, and then only allowing the, quote, people to bet if they are losing sports bettors and kicking out anybody who is winning or showing tendencies that they're eventually going to win. Even if they're not winning at the moment, they seem to be showing enough skill to where variance is going to smooth out and they're going to end up beating them. So if they were kicking off people like that while posturing they're the book of the people, I would understand this rant. But that's not what they're saying. All they're saying is, yeah, these promotions, the reason we can afford these promotions is because they're aimed at people who lose. They're aimed at people we know lose. They're aimed at people who are recreational bettors that bet like recreational bettors, that we can see are recreational bettors, and therefore we feel they've earned them. You didn't earn them because you're winning anyway. You don't need these. We don't need you. So keep betting here if you want, but we're not giving you anything further. We don't owe you anything further. Fine. Nobody's owed a promotion. The only way you're owed a promotion is if you're promised a promotion. So like what happened on PokerStars some years ago with the Supernova Elite, that was bullshit, not because they took it away. See, some of those entitled pros believe they were just entitled to Supernova Elite for eternity. No, they're not. Whatever PokerStars wants to give them, they can give them. If PokerStars wants to degrade their benefits, they can. They just have to pay out the benefits that they had promised when people earned it for the amount of time that people were supposed to have them. So they should have just grandfathered people in who had already earned it 
until the end of the period that they earned it for and then change the term for those people, and then it would have been fine. And anyone who bitched at that point would have been wrong. So if you promise something to some players and then they come and uh, they meet the requirements and then you yank the promotion away, even if you can legally get away from it, get get away with it, it's unethical. But it is not unethical if they're just simply saying to a player, hey, we're not giving you promotions anymore. And this happens to advantage players all the time. Advantage players get no offered all the time. This is basically like being an advantage player who gets no offered, where the casino has determined that while they're not banning you, you're just not worth any marketing dollars, that they'd really prefer you don't come back, but they're not going to go as far as banning you. They're just not going to entice you in any way. And that's fine. They they don't have to. You do not have the right to promotions. You don't have the expectation of promotions. Promotions are something that they are offering you because they want your business. And if they don't really want your business and they're willing to accept it anyway, that's all you can expect. So this guy really wants his cake and eat it too. I mean, it's not... I, I've heard good things about this Joey Canish's Twitter. Some people enjoy it and said he's a good follow. But I am just saying here that he was not wronged in any way here. So I am on Barstool Sportsbook's side. And in fact, if I ran Barstool Sportsbook, I would do the same thing. The last thing I'd want is to waste our marketing dollars giving promotions to winning sports bettors. That would never be something I'd want to do. I'd probably take their exact line. I wouldn't ban them, but I would not give them promotions and free bets and entice them to come bet. I'd say, you want to beat our book on your own with your own skill? Fine, but I'm not going to give you additional dollars to do it with. Like, he's not even complaining that they cut his limits down. It's not like he said, well, I was betting $1,000 a game and now I can bet a maximum of 25 which, by the way, Bovada did to me. I'm not down to 25, but I'm down to like 100. They didn't do that to him. Apparently, everything's normal. He just doesn't get promotions anymore, and he's bitching about it. So I'm sorry, Mr. Knish. I don't have any sympathy for you. If you want to get back at them, just keep betting there and beat them. Or go to a different book. All right, I'm going to take a break here. Eric Benzamokin, he did a fine job on my case with Mike Possel. I've talked about that many times. You can hire him really for any legal matter in the state of California or anything in federal court or arbitration or mediation that is anywhere. doesn't have to even be in the U.S. And look, he did a really good job with my anti-slap case, my defamation lawsuit where I was a defendant when this is not even his specialty. And he was right on the ball and he jumped on everything. I mean, he was the opposite of a lawyer you have to lean on to get things done. Very good work by him. Appreciate that very much. And we will be right back. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money 
or if they think you owe them money. He's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally. And he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar. And he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration where he decides who's right and mediation where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around even if you don't have a dispute at the moment because you never know when one will come up and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin. Eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we're back. I actually turned the heat on, which I didn't expect to have to do in late May. It's now May 22nd. And usually by May 22nd, I'm not turning the heat on while I'm doing this show. Usually it would be the AC or nothing. But there is a cold spell that is currently hitting the western United States. And in fact, it snowed on May 21st in Mammoth, in Lake Tahoe, in Gardnerville, in Minden, in Carson City. These are all places in uh, California and Nevada, in the northern parts of the state, kind of inland. So... Actual snow in California and Nevada on May 21st, 2021, including areas that aren't super high. I'm not talking about places just like Mammoth, which are at 8,000 feet. I'm talking about places like Gardnerville and Minden, which are like at 4,000 feet. It's pretty cold. Even in the Los Angeles area, we were seeing temperatures in the mid-40s. Pretty unusual for this time of year. So I noticed as I took my break, it's cold. I'm going to turn on the heat. And guess what? I can turn it off when I want without standing up. I'm very proud of that. I'm almost as proud of that as I am of the call to listen line. But I'm more proud of the call to listen line because that I installed myself. Moving on here. Remember NBA Top Shot? And I talked about that on here. And I talked about how it's become a craze among both poker players and the Genual, the general public alike. I really thought it was going to become something huge, especially because the NBA was behind it. They didn't own it, but they licensed their clips to Top Shot. So this was an official product of the NBA, and people were excited about it. It looked like it had nowhere to go but up, and it was one of 
many of these types of trends in 2021. 2021 is all about fads that people buy into believing that they will make money from some sort of speculative investment on something that actually doesn't have any kind of real value, but something that has value because other people assign it value. That's what really 2021 has been all about, if you think about it, at least from a financial standpoint. So this goes right along with all of that. I got into it somewhat. I came in kind of late. I seem to be doing fairly well, not big money, but I, I invested like about 200 and after I made my last purchase, I, I could have immediately turned around what I sold for like uh, 700. So I could have made a quick 500 right there with very little effort. But I said, I'm going to build a collection. And uh, I, I had high hopes that I could still be in Top Shot early enough to where I could make a lot more than just $500, so I didn't sell anything. And I, I figured that there was still a long way for it to go up because the general public hadn't yet become aware of it as much as they could have. But why don't you hear about it anymore? This wasn't very long ago. It was back in March when I was talking about it. So why in May am I not talking about it? And why in May don't you really find anybody talking about it except for derisively when you look on poker Twitter? What happened to all these poker players who were so excited about top shot drops? When's the last time you heard everyone talking about the results of new moments being dropped on top shot? I mean, back in March, you couldn't miss it. It was all over poker Twitter. Now, no one talks about it anymore. It kind of got replaced by Zed Run. And there was a period in between where people really weren't talking about either. So what happened to Top Shot? Well, it's pretty amazing. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I know why it happened. And it really is an example of screwing up a good thing, of where the hard part was already done and they screwed up the easy part. And I'll never understand when companies do that. Because what's really hard is to come up with a product which captures everybody's attention, which goes viral, which people get excited about, which is essentially a license to print money. And if you manage to do that, you should be very proud of yourself. And it should be something that you make sure not to mismanage because that is the hardest thing to do. If someone told me to do this tomorrow, I could not do it. If someone told me to do this in the next month, I could not do it. If someone told me to do this in calendar year 2021, I could not do it. It is very, very hard to come up with something that not just would excite the public and go viral, but get the right people finding out about it to make it go viral. So even if you have something that could potentially do it, it's also a matter of spreading the word and spreading the word to the right people to get it going. So there's a lot of factors involved in making something like this work. And it's not just the initial concept. And some of it is luck too. But Top Shot got past all of that. They were going viral. They were a major fad in February and March of 2021. And 
people were very excited about these drops. Everyone was telling their friends about it. Everyone was wanting to get into it. People were creating new accounts at a very alarming rate. And everybody wanted to buy these moments, even though if you thought about it, these moments didn't really make sense. You were buying little video clips that could easily be found on YouTube. In fact, even better clips could be found on YouTube for free. And you don't actually own the rights to them. And in fact, in many cases, even on Top Shot, you and thousands of other people own the same moment. And yet these are assigned to value because Top Shot says it has a value. And Top Shot distributes some of these moments as rare moments. And you say, okay, it's rare. That must mean it's worth a lot. The funny thing is that Benjamin likes to tell me about things that go on in that Roblox game he plays. And I understand it all now because I helped him develop a game on there. But he talks about items on there that are called limiteds. And limiteds are similar to what's going on with these NFTs and with things like Top Shot, where something is rare and considered valuable just because the creator of that digital asset claims it's rare and valuable. That's all. There's no real value to it and no real utilization of it. But just like on Roblox, when they say that a certain accessory for your character is a limited and there's only a certain number that'll be made ever, it becomes more and more valuable and you have to spend more and more what's called Robux, which is an in-game currency you have to purchase for real money to acquire them and then you can actually sell them for Robux. And then you can even trade back in your Robux at a reduced rate, but you can trade them in for real money. So that goes on on Roblox. And yet the same thing is kind of happening with these NFTs, with things like Top Shot. So Top Shot, which actually existed for about a year and a half before it really blew up, they had everything they ever wanted. After existing for a while, they actually got ridiculously popular. Everybody wanted to buy in. Everybody wanted to throw their money at them. Everybody wanted these moments. Nobody was questioning that these clips didn't really have any value or that you could see better clips on YouTube for free or you don't really own anything. You're said to own the clips, but you don't own the rights to the clips. You're just kind of a fictional owner of these clips. You're an owner within Top Shot. Somehow, nobody questioned this. Everybody was just very happy to be part of the whole thing because if something's said to be rare and have a value, then you want it because you could sell it to somebody else who will pay more for it. Top Shot's future was very bright. I was predicting big things for them once I saw all this. In fact, I was sorry, very sorry, I didn't get into it earlier when I was first told about it. I was told about it on February 1st and kind of ignored it. I did get into it. And so did so many people in poker. I mean, you just saw poker Twitter. Every time one of these drops would happen, people showed up everywhere. And all they could say was, Shut up and take my money. What's happened? It's only been two months. Why is nobody talking about it anymore? How could a fad die that quickly that everyone was so excited about? What happened to, if we get into Top Shot at this point, we can make money? Why aren't people caring so much about the drops anymore? How come when you hear about Top Shot, people just complain? What, what happened? 
Well, what happened to this show is we, uh, reliably around 3 a.m. we picked up another co-host. Is this a fraud show? It is. Who, who, who's the other co-host? Is it my... Hey, yo, buddy. If you'd like to be him, too, it can be. Who, who, who do we got on the, on the call? Nobody. Just you and me. Oh, I thought you said we picked up another one, another co-host, meaning that oh. they're already... Well, okay. I that maybe is wishful thinking. Well, listen, uh, how are we? How's the show? Uh, a good episode? Yeah, as well as it can be when uh, by myself, but... Uh, yeah. Well, listen, I, I sent you a text. I don't know if you relayed this uh, to the to the fraud show audience. No, I didn't see it. But I... Oh, well, I sent you a text after you sent me a text. Don't look at your phone at all. Even I was busy doing a show. Yeah, I see. Well, right. I see that it says you can't be on here. I just kind of didn't expect you until around three anyway, so I didn't really. Well, <laughs> I had a, I have a family member that's in town staying with me and running around, and I have to just finally, you know, catching up, getting her to bed, and uh, it's my it's a cousin, and we're uh, you know going to be up up or we're going to be up early. I'm doing the the sightseeing uh, tourist guide thing, which I don't mind doing, you know wants to see the cosmo it's been that long since she's been here she's never seen the cosmo she wants to see the encore and some other things so couldn't be on now let me ask you i picked her up from the airport at 11 30 by the way this is something i learned today i didn't even know she came in on frontier airlines which i would never fly i wouldn't either Funny enough, her airplane was two hours late. Uh, <laughs> and she left out of South Florida, and they literally like were on the runway tarmac for two hours. And anyhow, so she gets here at eleven thirty, and you know tells me the airline. I tell her where I'm going to meet her. I go to the airport, and I realize something that I hadn't didn't know. Frontier is not at the main terminal. Frontier is where Terminal Three, which is also the international terminal. Did you know this? That there's no. another terminal. So I had to literally get in my car and drive a mile <laughs> to this other terminal. I didn't know this. I've lived for 20 years. Did you know that there's like not everyone comes that's domestic from the same terminal? No, I didn't that know there's that. there's another term. No. Well, so I, neither did I. So it's like besides all the domestic carriers, it's like, you know, Korean Air. It's like a bunch of these low budget, you know, regional whatever airlines I'd never heard of. But there's another terminal that, you know, it's part of. Las Vegas McCarran Airport, that's one mile away from the main terminal, and I had to leave. I've already parked and self-parking to go to this other terminal, Terminal 3. So, anyhow, I get her secure. She's in my car. And where do you think she wants to go eat? She's hungry. You know, she's been on plane for six hours. Where do you, where do you think she chooses to eat? In she's from out. South Florida. In and out. Yeah, in and out. So, we go to in and out. Yeah, very good. <laughs> I guess that's not that hard a question. No, it's not that hard. But, yeah, so we did that, and you know, like I said, we're gonna do the sightseeing thing tomorrow. She hasn't been here in about a decade, and uh, other than that, uh, Tommy, uh, in your world, uh, I did see on Facebook today it popped up that that uh, Lynn is a Beaumont, am yeah. I saying it right? Yeah, that uh, she got some rave reviews for both the way she conducted herself during the previous fraud show, what have you. As well as there were some nice comments about uh, the interviewer, which would in this case be you. Yeah. Did you happen to? Did you see I, that? I saw. I saw some of it. I'll have to go back and look again. Yeah. So very, very, uh, you know, good press across the pond. I'm sure the the good Colonel Nigel Faversham. Oh, he really liked it. He thought that was a great yeah. segment. Now, did you see my text about a new charge that somebody spotted on their bill in Las Vegas this week? Yeah. Uh, he, he about uh, the energy I mean, surcharge. 
Yeah, I, I heard about that. So somebody claimed, or the article claimed that at the, I think it was the Vidara, or somewhere in city center, where one of the hotels is now giving, uh, giving guests an energy surcharge on their hotel bill. <laughs> <laughs> You're paying for electricity now. I mean, are you kidding me? Electricity? <laughs> an energy surcharge, Druff? I mean, is this right? Can, is this really? Is that where we've, what we've become? Apparently, a yes. Charge people Apparently, for that's for everything. Soon there's going to be a bathroom surcharge, a toilet paper surcharge. There will be... Toiletries? You little soaps oh, yeah. and, and shampoos? Maybe it's a surcharge for everything. Jesus. Um, so, anyhow, what... I'm just curious, what is left on the agenda? Maybe I can well, I was, I was like in the middle of I was in the middle of uh, the Top Shot topic, so let me figure that, finish that out here, and then we will... Uh, go on to the other things and you can well can you tell me what's left because i may just go then if it's coronavirus and whatnot uh i think i, I do have to be up in about six hours uh-huh go on you'll like the next one it's about uh, the laurel diamond lounges all right well okay let's finish the top shot i'll do the laurel what have you and then i'll have to be on my merry way till next week but, okay uh Sure. I'm glad to have you wherever time you can be. Thank you. So and I would be here longer. I'm sorry. No, I, I understand. Go on. You have to, you have to do things mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Top Shot, did you get involved with it or no? No, I, I, you know what? I just, I don't, I mean, I get it. Like, I, you know, my little PLOL, Alex was telling me and, and Willie and these, I have to be kind of motivated and I wasn't, I know there's money to be made, but I just, I didn't care enough. Yeah, see, I just, I, that's how seemed, I was at first too. I, I was, just, I was the same way. And then I, and then I yeah. decided to get into it a little bit late, but I was describing, I was just about when you called in to describe what happened, why nobody talks mm-hmm. about it anymore. And that is because of so fail. fail now, fail, major fail. So mm-hmm. this was an example where they did all the big things, right? Some of it was luck, but they got all the hard stuff out of the way. They became viral. Everyone talked about them. Everyone wanted to spend money. That's very hard to get there. And then the easy things are making it to where your platform can accept a large number of people without crashing and freezing up. Uh, communicating well with your users. Uh, processing cash outs. That's a big one. Poker players are especially sensitive about that since they've been screwed so many times. So when poker players see that cash outs aren't being processed quickly, they get very nervous and rightfully so. So these were all problems with NBA Top Shot and it was all because of incompetence. So yes, they didn't expect the exponential growth they had all of a sudden when here they were kind of a small thing for a year and a half and then all of a sudden, bang, everybody wants to use them. Okay, I understand, well, the next day they can't be ready for that kind of traffic. However, when they become huge, you would think that that's when you go into panic mode and you spend whatever it takes to expand your platform to where it's not going to crash. And if your platform is having trouble, that you communicate with people really, really well to explain what's going on and what you're going to do about it and when you can expect things to go back up, etc., etc. Well, they did none of that. Despite the fact that they raised a ton of money while they were having these problems, supposedly to help expand the platform and hire more people and fix all the issues they were having. Like the, the cash outs were really horrendous. They just weren't being processed. They were just backlogged and backlogged and backlogged and nobody was getting paid. And it wasn't a scam. They just weren't ready for it. So uh, they, they, they actually got uh, – they, they had a funding round where they got uh, $305 million invested and still they kept failing, which is insane. How, how do you get that kind of money? And then 
not be able to spend whatever you have to do to run technically well and to not have all this all these crashes and all the fail and to have people working to communicate with everybody to have enough customer service agents which aren't expensive to hire and to have enough people processing cash outs my favorite message from them this this was just a microcosm of what was going on this was just so indicative of the fail there they bragged they bragged in one of their blogs that they're aware of the cash out issues but to respond they have doubled the number of people processing cash outs from four to eight. <laughs> four to eight. That's, that's the big solution. They get $305 million invested. Guess what? We hired four new people. Do you think the cash outs sped up a lot? I mean, this is a tremendous backlog. This isn't something where if you double the speed, which four to eight would do, presumably that we'd be okay now. It wasn't that they were half as fast as they should be. Cash outs just weren't happening because there was a gigantic backlog that they just weren't able to get to. And they, were, they kept falling further and further behind as more and more people signed up. They also had to shut down signups several times because their system couldn't handle it. So here customers wanted to come in and spend money and were turned away. And this went on for weeks. Then they'd have drops, which everybody's anticipating big time and talking up on Twitter and everyone wants to get involved. And not only can't new people sign up for these drops, but then uh, people would go show up for the drop. The whole thing would freeze up. Nothing would happen. And then an hour later, you'd get a message that due to technical fail, the drop has been delayed till tomorrow. And this wasn't just once. Like, this kept happening over and over and over and over, and people were getting sick of it. So then people would, say, people would say, okay, well, forget it then. You know what? This sounded cool. It sounded like a money-making opportunity. It's just not worth it. It's just there's too much trouble, too much fail. I want, I want out. I'm going to cash out. So you submit a cash-out request. Of course it doesn't come. Of course you get no verification. You, the, the, you're not getting – good answers as to what where your money is what's taking so long what's the hold up when you can expect it nothing just just radio silence and people start wondering is it a scam even people who don't think it's a scam are wondering if they'll ever see their money or if it's gonna be months or maybe if they never will because the whole thing's gonna fall apart so at that point you think they're gonna recommend it to their friends you think they're gonna write positive things on twitter of course not they're gonna complain that it's full of fail so here was a company that it's understandable why right at the beginning when it went viral that they weren't ready for it. But here, months passed, and they had hundreds of millions invested that they were able to raise, which makes sense. It makes sense why they raised the money. These, these weren't uh, dumb people investing in them. But they, they raised all this money in investment, and still, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't understand why, they couldn't change course. Like, I don't understand. Why don't you just hire, instead of hiring four more people to, pri- to process cash outs, hire 400 people to process cash outs. I'm not even kidding. They're not expensive. It's not expensive to hire low-wage people to process cash outs. It's, it's not a tough job. It doesn't require a lot of skill. People aren't going to demand a lot of money for this. And uh, why not just over-hire? Even as a contract to where you can you can can them if you don't need them anymore. If you, if you have too many, you don't need them. Just hire people on a contract basis for this. Or why not uh, hire some tech guys to come in and determine what kind of upgrades the system needs to handle the load coming in and then have them build it? Because you have $300 million and money's not the problem. 
So so why not do that? Why why just pretty much leave everything as is and then actually have the nerve to brag on a blog you've gone from four to eight people processing cashouts? I mean, it's just I, it's it's mind-boggling how poorly this was managed. It really makes all the fail we've seen from Caesars and other casino companies, it makes them look like operational geniuses compared to Top Shot. It was it was tremendous. It was they had a tremendous potential to print money. I can only imagine how big this could have gotten and how much they could have made if they corrected this right at the beginning and communicated well. That's the other frustrating thing is the communication was terrible. So like they'd be having all kinds of fail, and then you don't know if you want to wait around for the, you, you want to wait to to get this drop and get one of these uh, moments they're giving out for for uh, a lot cheaper than you can sell it for. So you want to make money, but you're sitting, sitting, sitting. You don't know if it's going to happen. Then after sitting there an hour and a half, finally, you, you hear it's going to be canceled. So sometimes not even then. Sometimes you, you don't hear anything for, for six hours if it's going to be canceled. It was crazy how, how the communication was poor. Why, why not have someone sitting there the entire day giving updates? It's every way this thing was mismanaged. So now people have lost interest, and now there's competing things out there like Zed Run which, to be honest, are actually more interesting, too, though they've got their problems as well. They, they still haven't opened the breeding, which is very peculiar, two weeks after. Two weeks after the major drop there, you still can't breed your horses, which is bizarre. And that's making people frustrated, and that's kind of driving people out of that, too. So that's starting to quickly lose value. I don't get that either. They claim it was maintenance, but it's, I mean, what kind of maintenance? They, breeding was working before. And now they closed it for maintenance, been closed maintenance for two weeks. I don't get this. I really don't get this when something which makes so much money, which goes viral, which just can make sick money that just really has no ceiling, and they blow it. It's so weird. I don't get it. But that's what's going on. And I just have to imagine that uh, it's just people who are very poor managers. It's people who are good creatively, but very poor at management and very poor at handling crises as they come up. I'm seeing on here the, the people running the, the Zen, Zed Run Zed or the same group that ran uh, Ultimate Poker. <laughs> Maybe it's... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get some of this, but it's frustrating too because it, the Zed Run I got in relatively early, so I was had high hopes there that it was going to be the anti-top shot, but nope, it's, uh, it's full of fail too. Not quite as bad, but their, their communication is also piss poor. Now, aren't you in 3,000 stuck in this so far, this run Z thing? Well, that I can get out if I want. I, I looked the other day. Mm-hmm. I looked, uh, I think, yesterday, and I could sell my horses for about what I got in for at this point. Before, I could have sold for a few thousand profit. Now, I could sell for about even, and I'm not sure what I want to do. Mm-hmm. My sources tell me that – oh, maybe I shouldn't say this on the air. Okay, never mind. Go on. <laughs> you can text me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't even care. What do you, I mean, what are you going to do? It's not even bad about you, buddy. My sources tell me that that commonly drop there there are moments when you attend a I don't know if this is true but I, I was told it was that when you attend a one dollar three dollar no limit home game that it eventually becomes a forty eighty limit home game is that true no so did you really do that no it never happened they were messing with you uh, is that the truth yes I, I wish okay. it was true but it's not true that's funny well, that's what someone told no, me I, about wish, I wish that was the yeah. truth all right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, I, you said that the other day. I thought you were kidding. No, it's, uh, no someone yeah. someone told me that you were playing a 1-3 no-limit game and this drunk fish was winning so bad that you got it 
turned into like a forty eighty limit game at like three in the morning. Oh, okay, I see. They, they they changed the story. What happened was uh, there's actually two That's games, all, and I'm not embellishing. That's exactly what I was told. Okay, what well, I just there, said. there are actually two games, and. Uh, they were they, neither was converted into limit hold'em, so that's not true. But there were two games, and believe it or not, the drunk fish actually beat me the first time. The guy just ran so well. <laughs> yeah, I heard. And we I we we agreed to just play until you know one of us either we quit or one of us was busted. We weren't going to reload, so he actually busted me, and uh, and then I actually went to dinner with the guy afterwards. I, I drove. He, he he. I had to drive him home though because he was he was too drunk to drive. So I was, uh, and then he misled me about how far away he was. That kind of pissed me off that I had to. He so said, he, oh. took, he took your money. You took your money. You had to take him to dinner and drive him home. No, I, he he took me to dinner. It was to Denny's though, so that wasn't uh, that wasn't very oh, exciting. Jesus. But but he took me to Denny's, which admittedly it was like three in the morning, so there wasn't a lot of choice. But we went to Denny's, and then <laughs> after we went to Denny's, he paid for it. But still, I. I I drove him home of what was supposed to be like, quote one mile off the freeway, and it was way off the freeway. It was, it was, and it was way up a hill. It was, it was, it was nowhere near where he claimed it was because he, I think he didn't want to tell me the truth, or I wouldn't drive him. So I was annoyed by that, but I, I did get some form of vengeance here because the next time it also broke down to me and him heads up. And even though he got lucky at the beginning, uh, eventually he chunked it all off, and uh, and I busted him. But there, it was, st- it was no limit though. It was not a uh, limit. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, well, good luck in your next. The next time you play this, which I hear will be <laughs> relatively soon, you'll be actually playing using a set of twenty-year-old, never opened before, uh, Poker Stars poker set chips that mm. I donated to this game. I yeah. did, I was wondering if you donated them. Uh, so I I, I brought did. my chips for those games. I was I was told that uh, they're low on chips and they may have to go buy some. I said, no, 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 no. I, I have some here. So I actually brought my, my old Poker Stars chips that I got in that little silver box, which I know is the yeah, same. Yeah, I just gave... Uh, well, it's funny you said that because that's exactly what I gave our mutual friend. I gave her the entire silver box. Never yeah. opened it. So, so I, I brought my silver box Poker Stars chips that I hadn't used in ages. And then I also brought a set that I don't think I'd ever used before. I got from Sun Poker. <laughs> and, uh, that's funny. So I brought the Sun Poker oh, set too. So uh, I'm going to be bringing them again. So we will see what happens. Hopefully the drunk fish, will that fish doesn't will bust that me fish be there? I, I don't know. But if he is, then uh, – Hopefully we get the result of the second time, not the first time. By the way, this guy is. You know, ask ask our friend about this because she swore to me that you turned it into a forty eighty limit. No, nah, I think she's. I mean, I that. believe you. I well, maybe she was confused. I think she was confused. So, that's kind of high to go from one three no limit to forty eighty limit. Jeez. No, no, she that's was confused. Big... That, that right. didn't happen. I, I don't even. It, no, that we didn't do that. But anyway, the. Mm-hmm. Hopefully the the. Next time will be like the second time, not the first time. This guy has a lot of money, so yeah. I'm not I'm not worried about him if he loses uh, some money to me there. He probably says the same thing about you. He probably does. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now I wasn't asking him to feel sorry for me though. Like I never, if I lose like that, I don't ever like ex- expect them to feel bad for me. It's uh, yeah, that's just Damn the way it, just the way it goes. So anyway. Uh, so you got a horse. You, you said you were checking recently. Yeah. I said, I, how I, much are you in this thing for? I'm you in for about 3000 and I, I could sell out for 3000 right now if I wanted to. But I'll, I'll stick around. But it, it's it's getting irritating that they're not allowing the breeding, which is a major part of this. Why why would they do the major drop of horses and then disable breeding for two weeks and give you no communication as to what's going on? I even told Chris Moneymaker. I told him this on Twitter, and I wasn't kidding. Since they were bragging about the fact that he got involved in this and he bought a really expensive horse for like thirty-seven thousand, 
I, I said to Chris Moneymaker, I said, I, I see they're mentioning you and they're they're rightfully happy to have you along. Uh, can you try to lean on them to open breeding or explain why they're not? Because they're not going to give a shit if I complain, but Chris Moneymaker, they might care. You know, that Moneymaker, he's got his own PayPal problems. Right no, I know. Now, so. I know. He's got other you fish know, to fry right now. Other fish to fry, yep. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> Moving on here, let's talk about the Laurel Lounge. Yeah, the Laurel please. Lounge is, we mentioned it last week, but I have more information since then. The Laurel Lounge is the former Diamond Lounge, and it's just, they changed the name. At, at, these are the Caesars Lounges for Diamonds and Seven Stars. And and what I mentioned last week was I read, I believe on Vital Vegas, that as part of their budget cutbacks, such as a lot of the... Uh, low budget to medium budget shows being eliminated it said on one of the blogs last week i was reading that they were eliminating the laurel lounge which i asked Ruff, what the hell's a laurel lounge yeah is that, is that this old seven star diamond lounge and we thought it was but we weren't sure yeah so, so I, that's what was i've looked said. it up right so that's i've looked it up since then i've gotten more information so i decided to give an update so sure, let's do the that. laurel lounges which a lot of people loved. I was never that into them for two reasons. Number one, I always thought the food at these things were, was overrated. I know, I know in Atlantic City it's supposed to be better, but I hardly go there. So in Vegas... And number I, two? Oh, can I guess number two? Yes. You don't drink? Yes, exactly. All right. I knew it. So to me, it's not that exciting. Well, the, but Atlantic City, the food's ridiculous. I, did you, is that what you just said? Yeah, I said, I said, Atlantic, I said Atlantic City's a different story, but I don't go there much. Yeah, I, I was there once uh, using those perks, and I stayed at Caesars, and we ate there every day at least once. And I'm talking like you know, like sashimi, like sushi grade, like really good sashimi, shrimp cocktail, like little filet mignon skewers. Like it was like it mimicked like a kind of a high end like type restaurant. It was good stuff, man. It wasn't bad. Yeah, I was hearing that, but uh, I. When I went to the one in Atlantic City, I think I went too late, and a lot of stuff wasn't available, so I didn't really get to get the experience there. Was it but... at Caesars, or was it another problem? Yeah, it was at Caesars, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, anyway, uh, the, uh, it got named the Laurel Lounges at some point, trying stupid. to go along with their whole uh, Laurel Collection thing, which has always been hard to understand. <laughs> and it was supposed to, it was the same thing, but the problem was they closed these down because they were buffet-style, and that's not exactly compatible with COVID, especially with what they used to think of COVID. The truth is it actually wasn't that dangerous for COVID. But I, I admit in 2020, in, in mid-2020, there is still a lot of fear of buffets. And people still are having kind of a hard time getting used to that. I know the Bacchanal reopened. but Well, uh, look, now that you just said that, I have this as a segue for a segment within a segment, kind of like Inception. Today, Friday, uh, Stations Casino had Furman uh, – I always get his last name right. What's his, the guy's last name again? The, the owner and CEO. Uh, the, yeah. On, on a conference call told investors that buffets at all station casinos are not coming back. They're done for good. And, uh, you know, it was in the news. It was all over because, you know, a lot of locals like these. But, you know, all the different station casinos that are open now uh, will now not have buffets. So you're talking seven, eight, nine buffets that are just crossed off the list. Um, and that's, you know, that's a big thing. You know, a lot of these casinos such as, you know, like Red Rock and Sunset Station, they've had buffets from, from the start ever since they first opened up. In some cases, you know, I know Palace Station doesn't have one, but I think every other one had a buffet. Um, I, I think this is going to reverse eventually when not just, even if COVID kind of lingers around for years, I think this is going to reverse when 
eventually some properties. Well, they, said, they said on the conference call today they attributed it to uh, just monetary reasons. It was it had nothing to do with COVID. That they just realized it's such a you know such a loss that they said they and I'm paraphrasing here, but they said they were going to concentrate uh, efforts now on slots and table games and not market a buffet anymore. Well, yeah, but it is it is about COVID. It's 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 indirectly about COVID because what happened here is all of these casinos said, "Oh shit, we got too far away from gaming, and if anything happens to." destroy these other businesses like a pandemic that uh, all of a sudden we're totally fucked. So maybe we should go back to our bread and butter uh, gaming. So they're actually kind of overcorrecting now back the other way. And uh, I, I don't even agree with this. But the buffet is an exception because the buffet, it's the optics are bad. It turns out that if you really look at the science about COVID, the buffets aren't dangerous other than just being indoors with a lot of people. But that's right. the same thing in any restaurant. But but it just feels dangerous. And especially because in, in the mid-2020, in mid-2020, uh, it, it seemed like that was especially dangerous because you're touching the same stuff people are touching. And what if someone, uh, what if someone uh, leaves their germs on, uh, uh, on a piece of food you grab? What if a piece of bread was touched by somebody else or if they coughed on something? So, so people were in a panic about this, not realizing that almost all of it is spreading by aerosol in the air. So because people had this hammered into their head so long that it's by droplets and by surfaces and even though the surfaces kind of people backed away from some we you still see all the obsessive cleaning and stuff because people still have the old ideas about covid as if it's like the flu so the problem is buffets seem super unsafe when they actually aren't they're actually the only unsafe thing about them is the fact that they're indoors with a lot of people like any restaurant so that's uh i but i see why people aren't returning to them because most people think oh well i you know i'll take some chances but i'm not going to go to a buffet that's crazy so so the the problem is they are going to lose money if they reopen a buffet but i think what's going to happen is some casinos will realize that there is a market for buffets, that there's people, number one, who just don't give a shit and would have done it even a year ago. And then number two, there's people who will realize that it's not dangerous, especially when they're told, hey, you can walk around without a mask. You know, why, why is a buffet not OK? So people here. You know, and, they're, and they're vaccinated. So I think that I, I think that once there aren't that many buffets around to compete for everyone's business, then the ones that are there will do well, and then these companies will consider bringing them back. But for right now, I see why they're disappearing. Here's, here's the exact quote. Uh, during today's earning call, Frank Fertitta, the CEO of Red Rock Resorts Incorporated, said, and here's a quote, we're going to put the dollars into the place where we make money. It's going to be a focus on slot machines and table games, which is our primary business. We'll have several restaurant options for our customers. We will not have a buffet. The company's CFO, Stephen Cootie, went even further to say, uh, I don't think we're going to have a buffet again. We can say fairly certain they will never return. And uh, then they just, this is from 8 Action News. This is great journalism. This sucks. It just really sucks. Not good to hear, says Justin, a buffet regular from Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) This is funny. Well, I think yeah. that when they realize that some there's like not as many as before, there's going to be a lot of people hesitant. But I, I think that they're overcorrecting by like having none. And I think that they're going to be disappearing for too many places. And those that have buffets will do good business. But we'll see. But anyway, back to the Laurel Lounge. Uh, mm-hmm. They because they are buffet style, 
these were closed last year, and they have not reopened. And so Caesars, in the meantime, was sitting around going, okay, well, when do we reopen them? And like stations, they've come to the same conclusion, that they want to go back to focusing more on gaming, and that these Laurel lounges are, even though they don't make money, they make a little bit as a people, few people pay to get in them. But for the most part, it's people getting in with their Diamond or Seven Star card for free. But this is kind of a perk, and they feel like they're kind of wasting time and resources on it. And they also feel that this is a good time to get rid of it because it's been closed anyway because of the pandemic. So it's not like abruptly closing it on people when they're so used to going there. People haven't been there in more than a year to the Laurel Lounges, so they're just not going to come back. So what they're going to do in its place is they're going to give coupons to people for drinks. And uh, so they're going to give Diamond Plus and Diamond Elite members, these are people, these are like higher diamonds, uh, coupons for uh, free drinks per day. They're going to get four free drinks per day, but they can't get any drink that's worth more than $20. I don't know if you pay the difference or if they just won't let you. And then Seven Stars will also get a food coupon for $10. Now, if you're not Diamond Plus, you get nothing. So you have to be at least Diamond Plus. So if you just barely made Diamond with 15K tier points, you're not going to get any of this. But that's what they're doing. And they've decided, according to Vital Vegas, that they are just going to replace these with the coupons. The people bitch, they're going to say, well, you're getting these coupons. Now, keep in mind, you couldn't get into these Laurel Landers anymore with an ordinary diamond card. You did have to be this diamond plus to get in there for free. Otherwise, you had to pay or pay at least with rewards credits to get in. That was one of the changes they made a few years ago. They've basically just swapped them out for coupons that you use elsewhere on property to get drinks or for seven stars for a whopping $10 in food, which is kind of funny that <laughs> they go to this, a seven star goes, hey, what happened to the diamond lounge? What happened to the Laurel lounge? I love that thing. Well, yeah, but here's a $10 food coupon. Knock yourself out at the food court for half a meal. You know, it's such a, I, I don't listen. I don't understand <laughs> it. These people supposedly, you know, go to the college and, and they're the best in the industry and they're, they're innovative. I mean, I know people that literally things like that are a big deal in brand loyalty and in, in, in making a decision of what brand they patronize. Like I know people that literally would, would attempt or get diamond, even some seven star just for those kind of perks. And you remove something, you know, people just like to feel like even in something like gaming that, you know, you do this, you lose X amount, you gamble such amount, you reach a status, and people like want statuses. Yeah, people love the statuses. Way society is exactly, like, and that's, right, and that's why I told, and that's why Total Rewards did so well in the first place is because it, you you earn a status and people felt proud of it. I know somebody that that at, that used to uh, or still does patronizes Boyd Gaming, specifically the Orleans, and they had. I don't even know what the name of the highest card was. It was a green card, Emerald. And what the perk that he wanted out of Emerald was that you get to go into like something similar, much less though than than the Laurel Lounge or whatever they call it. No food, but they had like, you know, a stocked fridge and like a little lounge where you'd sit with all kinds of sodas and bottled water. Okay, no food. And he played all, to get this card. To be able to anytime, 24 hours, get a 7-Up, a Pepsi, Coke, whatever, and bottled water, you know, without 
cocktail waitress without waiting. And that was what was important to him. You know what I mean? Like in that, and I, I think that they eliminated that too. And I just, it doesn't, it blows my mind. Like, cause there are really people that, that would be a determination for them and what brand they patronize. You know what I mean? Like that. Oh it, yeah, just, it is. And there's other things it, they don't think about. Like take some, I don't take some dude who's yeah. like, like in his fifties and, and he brings, he's single, be divorced, whatever. And, and he, see, he brings some girl to Vegas and he wants to show off about his status. So he's, he brings her to the Diamond Lounge and says, hey, look, this is a special lounge for, for people like me. And he feels good. He feels like he's taking someone into an exclusive area and that he, he's an important person. And he feels good about it. it, it it's different than if you're handed a $10 drink coupon. And said, "Okay, well, you you can go buy a drink out there for ten bucks and not pay. Like that's not what they're looking for. They they are looking for status. They're looking for areas that they can access that other people can't. This is why it was so successful. They're they're not even understanding why their own program was so successful. And this actually sometimes so happens. Obnoxious. I wonder if this is a result of the purchase by El Dorado because this often can happen." When one company buys another, is they fail to understand immediately, immediately, and they immediately start cost cutting, regardless of what the implications are. Yeah, I mean, they fail know, to they is- fail to understand what people liked about the product or services of the company they bought. They they come up with their own conclusions about what people should like, rather than what they do like, and then they mess it up. Because I'll tell you, you know, it's been a number of years since I've played at caesars to you know i've gotten diamond in years past from uh status matching and their credit card but that was a perk that i enjoyed like i never was greedy i never took advantage of it because i you know i wasn't at caesars much but if i was there for some reason and i wanted to get you know a couple chicken wings or just a, you know a drink with somebody it was a, it to me it was a nice perk to have it was one that i used to, you know infrequently but still used but i know a lot of people that really really enjoyed that that was like one of the perks that meant the most to them it's just it's very very uh short-sighted in my opinion i mean it really is because that's that's what people want people do not mind paying you know in this case gambling to, to reach a certain status that will give them some perceived value for for the amount of money they've lost it, it's it's utterly ridiculous it's a bad trend you know and i see so much of this now like the, just the greed is just you know you go you go now to to these i don't know if you've seen this because you haven't been here you go to a number of these casinos and you put a slot a slot voucher in, and it gives you all these different ways that you can get rid of the change on your ticket without even collecting. Have you seen these? You can donate. No, but I've heard you about can it. Give it away. Uh, you've heard about this? Yeah. You put in. You know, I was at the Venetian, or I think it was the Venetian. I was, yeah, Venetian the other day. Put a ticket in, and eight different things pop up and tell you what you can do with the change, other than take it yourself. <laughs> well, it like was it's, even it's, worse. Is the what the win. What the Encore was doing in Boston was they were just spitting out a voucher that you have to take to the main cashier, knowing that nobody's going to stand online to get seventy three cents. Oh no, no, they have that here. They have that all over here. That's that's been at the during the pandemic. I, I don't know. I still don't even get this. They claimed there was a chain shortage, so MGM Properties, the Cosmo did this, where all these machines were none of them were spitting out change. That's what started it. So now a number of them have gone from giving you the the receipt to go cash in your change. I'm sorry, South Point was doing this when I was at South Point. Uh, so a number of them have gone from that to now giving you other ways to just give away your change, donate it, uh, you know, whatever the the case may be. But at the height, I'd say 
probably more casinos than not during the pandemic were giving you tickets that you had to literally go to the cage to redeem your change for, and they were attributing it to the to the to a change shortage. And they even gave you some obnoxious message due to the change coin shortage. This machine will not be giving out change. If you still want your change, please proceed to the cashier. It was kind of like encouraging people politely not to get their change. Like it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. That's pretty crazy. And you're right. You're right. People are just not. You know, a lot of people aren't going to do it. Oh, thirty cents, twenty. It's like like you like to refer to. You know, what's the what's the common? Yeah, uh, the, the Superman uh, three or office Superman, space. Yeah, trick. yeah, exactly. Yep. Where they just you know hope people are just going to forget about five cents, ten cents here or there, and it adds up to thousands of dollars a day. It's unbelievable. Yeah. The win Encore there started doing it before the pandemic so it wasn't even pandemic related but uh, I, this this may be a situation of them hiding behind covid to where they say there is a chain shortage so for that reason we so can use this way so, to so tell me real quick if you can i think i read about it but i don't remember what was it that caused how can there be a chain shortage i mean what who's hoarding the change what why did i keep hearing about this i'm not even sure I, I i'm not even sure how a chain shortage happened uh it, it may be because People aren't uh, paying with cash as much, but then wouldn't like I, what I'm not understanding is that just means but then fewer you cash need transactions to begin with. Yeah, then then who's holding it right now? <laughs> you know, who has it all then? I, yeah, but <laughs> like, that's a thousand percent. One of the properties that I was at was like, you know, if you still want your change, like you have to do this. And I'm like, I mean, that's insane. So then you end up with like tons of tickets in your pocket. You forget about it. You throw them out. You lose them. And then who keeps the money? It's just it's the casinos. That just Superman, Superman uh, three, three, right? Yep. Yeah, Richard Pryor. <laughs> God, that was a terrible Superman. I mean, like, I don't see it for seven, eight years, and it's on. Like, I watch it because I haven't, but it's really not a good. It's no, a no, terrible no, it's movie. A, it, it pretty it's much awful. it went downhill after two. Yeah. Then yeah. The, the, four was this obnoxious one with the. Uh, was that the nuclear? The, the obnoxious the, nuclear, the nuclear, the anti nuke message. I might have seen that once. That was one that, like, an anger. There was like the two Supermans. One was like an evil one or something. I think um, there was. That no, was no, no, yeah, no, that, was, no. That that was actually uh, in Superman Two, where there was the evil one. But uh, no, Superman Two wasn't evil. Superman Two was the one he went. He lost his powers. You're wrong. Superman. Oh, 2 yeah, that's was, right. He lost was, his powers. That's right. That's right. It was later. The evil, I think yeah. the evil Superman was four. I'm yeah, pretty, it was either three or four, but it wasn't two. I said two was two was you know the Zod. Yeah, Zod. I know, I know it was Zod. Yeah, Neil before yeah, Zod. Can't yeah, you can't forget about. No, that. I knew about Zod. I just forgot about. Uh, that's yeah. right. He lost his powers. It wasn't an evil one. Okay, so yeah, that's the story with the Laurel Lounge, and the, it's not confirmed. This is something being reported by Vital Vegas, but he's hitting for a high batting average recently. And in fact, mm-hmm. uh, I he has agreed in theory to come now, on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Oh, nice. But what about the other properties such as? Uh, Planet Hollywood, even Flamingo that had lounges. Is I mean, Laughlin, for instance? They're all changing. Is, is this... Supposedly, they're all changing. They're all di- disappearing. Okay. It's a company wide. Yeah. Okay, so you know, I'm like a traditionalist. So all these changes, I just I don't like. No, I don't either. Like, it's just I don't even go to these things. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I think some of these will go back when when people bitch about it enough. I think they're going to have enough people coming and going. So, so where is that diamond lounge? Oh, you mean the Laurel Lounge? Okay, where's the Laurel Lounge? Yeah, we don't have it anymore. Here's a coupon. 
Yeah, but we we do have a, a ten dollar food coupon. So the food court's over there. You can get half a hamburger with it. You got to pay the other half yourself. But uh, there it is. Uh, congratulations for being a seven star. Like that's the way it's going to go. Jesus. So I have an update well, uh, about uh, Greyhound Racing, which I know is in your state for a while when you lived in Florida, and is, yeah. is gone now. I I did a big segment about this on a past episode at the end of twenty twenty because it was going away from Florida. And there was a listener who kept pressing me to do a Greyhound segment. And as a loyal listener, I, I wanted to do this for him since it was someone who really liked the show, has listened for a long time. And I said, okay, uh, I will finally read the article he wants me to read about the Greyhounds. And I, I didn't expect to enjoy it very much, but I, I, I was going to do the segment as a favor. But by the time I read the whole article, I actually found it very interesting and said, oh, wow. This is going to be a good segment, and this is going to be interesting. And uh, by the time I was done with the article, I, I was convinced that the Greyhound racing isn't a good idea and that it's very cruel to these dogs, especially because a lot of the owners of these dogs don't treat them very well, especially when they're no longer viable for racing or in the off-season when they're not racing or things like that. So there, there, there are so many different stories of abuse of these dogs that seemed legitimate. It didn't seem like just uh, some animal rights kook who was exaggerating. I mean, they, there was a lot that was explained in detail which seemed believable. You can just read these things and sometimes you can get a feel for if you're reading what's probably a have real story ever, or exaggerated a, bullshit. Have you, ever been to a, have you ever been to a Greyhound track? Uh, yes, but not where you would think. In England. Oh, wow. I definitely wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. Huh. It was uh, 30 well, years ago in 91. Wow. When yeah. I was in college at Florida State in Tallahassee, the only legal gambling within hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles happened to be a county outside of Tallahassee, the next county over. Uh, it was Jefferson County, and they operated the Jefferson County Kennel Club. And, and we went, you know, it was like a once, twice a year thing, and, you know, it was 30, 45 minutes away. And uh, we'd go there and we'd uh, play or bet on uh, the, the Greyhounds. And I did that, you know, a couple times. And, you know, this was 20 years ago, so we didn't, you know, maybe actually even more, 25 years ago, so we didn't really know, you know, how bad they were being mistreated. But that's why now there are tons and tons of uh, Greyhound adoption programs all over the country still trying to put some of these retired dogs in, in good homes and uh, I've read the same kind of articles that you've read, and it's pretty atrocious the the way that a lot of these animals have been treated. It's it's really sad. Yeah, and, and even that seems... now, knowing what I know now, if there was a greyhound track and I didn't live in it, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, never patronize uh, one of those places. Yeah, I'm that's kind of how I I'm felt a... when I when I read it. I I was uh, I was trying to separate the article possibly being biased and just being by someone who's too obsessed with animal rights and exaggerating and also maybe this is true so reading the whole thing i'm like this is very convincing it doesn't look like bullshit to me it looks like this is all or mostly true and and i was pretty appalled reading it also and i thought this is something that it's antiquated it goes back uh more than 100 years and uh not only has it lost popularity but just uh based upon current uh societal norms and expectations on how animals should be treated, uh, they, they need to do away with this. And it's not even a big thing. It's not even to be a big loss anyway. It's not like this is super popular like it was uh, in the early 1900s. So uh, there are f- only four 
Greyhound tracks left because of Florida making it illegal at the end of 2020. So there's only four left. Do you know where they are? Can you take a guess where they might be? They're in three states. Well, I'm going to guess they're in the south. Yes, sort of. Three oh, of three God. of the three of the four are in the south. Oh, what states? Um, I mean, I, I'm just I'm going to I'm going to say four states, and I, I mean I don't, I I'm just going to no, guess it's, it's, it, it, uh, no, it's it's uh, I'll give you another hint. It's two states in the south and one that's not in the south. Okay, uh, I know. Well, let me just name four states and tell me if if, if I cover two of them: uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana. Mississippi, Alabama, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, and Georgia. Okay, so those were your four guesses. Yeah, did I cover any of them? So there's there's three correct answers, and you got zero point. Oh, jeez, zero. Zero point zero. The three. This is not easy to guess, by the way. But the three are in Arkansas, Arkansas, West Virginia, and Iowa, and. Wow, I never would have guessed Iowa. Yeah, Iowa is actually likely to ban it as well, simply because their Greyhound racing law expires at the end of 2022, and the belief is they are not going to renew it. So it's just going to die because they won't renew it. And what were the other states? You said Arkansas, West Virginia, and where? West Virginia and uh, Arkansas, West Virginia, and Iowa are the three. I thought you said there were four. There's four tracks because there are two oh, in West Virginia. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. The gotcha. two in West Virginia are the Mardi Gras Casino and the Wheeling Island Hotel Casino Racetrack. And those are both West Virginia. The Q Casino in Iowa has it. And then the Southland Park Gaming and Racing in Arkansas has it. So uh, Southland Park has already announced that uh, – that's the one in Arkansas – that they're going to end it by the end of 2022. So that's going to be gone. The Iowa one is going to be forced to be gone because it's likely they're not going to renew the law that allows it. So that leaves the two in West Virginia. So what's happened here is that given that we're going to be dealing with two that are left, uh, there is a bipartisan bill in Congress that is moving to just ban this permanently. Because number one, the impact is going to be low on jobs and and entertainment because there's only two left in West Virginia. And and number two, it's just that the dogs are mistreated and there's a lot of controversy about it, so why keep this around? Why not just say this is something that is antiquated and shouldn't be around anymore and is harmful and let's put an end to it. So that's, it's actually uh, one of the few bills these days that's bipartisan. You don't see that much anymore because uh, Republicans and Democrats are so divided on things. But uh, there's actually three Democrats and three Republicans who have introduced this bill to the House to ban racing. Now, they tried this in 2020, and it didn't go anywhere, but they're giving it another shot. It is believed that this bill has a better chance of getting through this time. Uh, One of the congresspeople involved is a Republican from Florida, saying Florida was once the mecca of greyhound racing before the state voted overwhelmingly to end this cruel and inhumane practice. The Greyhound Protection Act is the last lap in transitioning us away from this traumatic sport and finally treating these dogs with compassion. That's from uh, Maria Elvira Salazar, a Republican from Florida. I'm guessing she's Cuban. Usually when you hear a Hispanic name is a Republican in Florida, it's a Cuban. A lot of people don't know that. I'm sure you know that, but... uh, I do. A lot of people don't know that. The the Cubans, because of uh, hatred of Castro, uh, are overwhelmingly Republican, whereas uh, Hispanics in the rest of the country are 
overwhelmingly Democrat. But that, that is starting to shift a little bit. That's, uh, that's actually been something that's been overlooked. But uh, something that was, there was an oddity in the last election. I don't want to get into a whole political discussion, but there's an oddity in the last election that in some heavily Hispanic areas, Trump did way better than any Republican has before with, with Hispanics. So that Well, and that's why even now, 21 years later, you can still make the argument that if uh, Clinton, the Clinton administration hadn't deported Ilian Gonzalez, that uh, Al Gore would have been the next president of yeah. the United States. Oh, he probably would have, yeah. George Bush. That's right. He pissed off those Cubans so bad down there that they turned on, you know, a, still a popular president and they put George Bush in office. It would have been enough votes. Oh, yeah, there's only 500-something votes. There's hardly anything. Huh? That was super close. It was 500-something votes. So, yeah, they easily would have. So, yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah, that that changed changed history. So, anyway, uh, now guess the way they're going to do it. They're going to do it with an act that poker players don't like very much. They're going to be doing it through the Wire Act, the 1961 Wire Act, which is the, the UIGEA that banned online poker and online gambling in 2006. That was based upon the 1961 Wire Act. So that same 1961 Wire Act is going to be amended to prohibit the use of wire communications for purpose of gambling on live commercial greyhound racing and open field coursing events. So the good news is it's pretty specific, so I don't think they can twist this to apply to other forms of gambling and and a Sheldon Adelson type can't pop up and uh, try to make uh, online poker illegal based upon this change. It looks like this is really just aimed at the Greyhounds, which I'm fine with. So I, even though it's the Wire Act, which is always scary to hear about, uh, I, I think it'll be fine. So that's uh, that's the story with the Greyhounds, and uh, we'll see if this passes. This is just a bill being introduced, and it's one that didn't get anywhere two years ago or one year ago, but uh, it's believed to have a better shot now, and. It also may just disappear on its own, even if this fails, since uh, West Virginia will be the last state allowing it. And some of these tracks are losing money. I don't know if the ones in West Virginia are losing money, but they may just shut down anyway because it's not viable. So the problem may fix itself. Okay, so uh, going to coronavirus news, you may find this one interesting too. Have you heard about the lottery-style giveaways for getting vaccinated in certain states? Uh, somewhat, but I haven't read up enough to be educated on it. Now I've I've heard mention of it. Go, please do tell. Okay, this is this is kind of weird. They're not doing it in the West, but uh, they are doing this in several states, and some of them have tickets which really look like lottery tickets. So uh, New York has a Vax and Scratch ticket, which has uh, scratch off tickets where there is a. $5 million top prize and where you can get $20 to $5 million. I see a picture of it right here. It was actually announced by embattled New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. He wrote, Today we announce a big reason to get vaccinated. I killed everyone in the nursing room. No, that's not what it said. Uh, I, I, today we announce a big new reason to get vaccinated. A chance to win up to $5 million. Get vaccinated at any of 10 state vac sites and receive a free New York State lottery scratch-off ticket with a grand prize of $5 million. Must be 18 or older. So I guess they're not giving this to the 16-year-olds. But Which you would think they could because this isn't gambling because there's no risk. It's, it's missing one of the elements of gambling. But uh, they, I guess they don't want to make it look like they're encouraging kids to gamble or play the lottery. So you have to be 18 or older. So if you're one of the 
under-18s, I guess you can do it at 12 now. So if you're between 12 and 17, you're not going to get this. But uh, if you're 18 or older in New York, they will give you this vax and scratch ticket where there's a very tiny but existing chance to win $5 million. So you can win $5 million, 50,000, 20,000, 5,000, 2,000, 500, 400, 200, 150, 40, 30, 20 are the different prizes you could win. Obviously, there's far more of the lower prizes than the higher prizes available, though I don't know the exact odds. Uh, this will start on May 24th. Now, here's a question, uh, and I don't know the answer to this. What about people who already got vaccinated? Like, are they, you just get screwed for being responsible and getting vaccine, <laughs> vaccinated earlier? Like it's, it looks uh, like they're handing these out as you get this done. It's kind of unfair. Well, shouldn't shouldn't you be able to go back and get one with your va- vaccine vaccination card or something? That's kind of bullshit. I, I hate when people get rewarded for irresponsible behavior. And I'm not saying not getting vaccinated is irresponsible necessarily because there's there's people who there's reasons I understand not to do it, like younger people. But uh, still, like it looks like they're trying to say, okay, the people who are being responsible already got it done so let's try to bribe those who are being irresponsible i just hate things like that that's that's the only my only problem with this if they were to give it to everybody who got vaccinated then fine then everybody has the same chance uh so new york's not the only one doing this the maryland lottery put out announcing the maryland lottery two million vax cash promotion from may 25th to july 3rd similar uh dates it looks like one lucky vaccinated marylander will win 40k each day and on July 4th, one vaccinated Marylander will win 400000 Now, I'm. this one looks like they are drawing a winner, which I don't know if they're going to draw the winner from people who have been vaccinated before the 25th at any time, or if it's only people who are getting vaccinated on those dates. It's not clear to me, but uh, that's what's going on in Maryland. Uh, Kentucky did this. They had a cash ball... A, lottery promotion, whatever that is, on May 11th, where uh, they were giving away one prize of 225000 and Ohio decided that they're going to give away five prizes of uh, equal value, so they're not going for the small prize thing, just saying, they're saying take five shots, five people will get one million dollars. And that would be starting May 26th. Again, I don't know if that's going to be a drawing where people who've been vaccinated up till then get it, or if it's people who get vaccinated on those days, I do know that it's going to be on consecutive Wednesdays, five consecutive Wednesdays. So this kind of sounds like a drawing to me. Now you may wonder, is this going to have an impact? Because these are pretty small chances to win the money. And people who are not getting vaccinated are mostly not getting vaccinated because they have some kind of strong objection to it. Because everybody's aware COVID can be harmful. So there are people out there, and I've debated with some of them, debated with a lot of them on my side of the political aisle about getting vaccinated. And some of them strongly believe that the vaccine is going to do some very bad things. It's going to change your DNA. It's going to get you sick. It's going to kill you. And and also that COVID is exaggerated and it's actually not very dangerous, even if you're older. So uh, I've had arguments with these people saying, no, no, look, it's, yes, there's some unknowns to it. Yes, there are, there is a risk to taking the vaccine, but the risk is much smaller, especially once you're over 40 to get the vaccine than to get COVID. There's not even a question about that at that age. And, and they just won't believe me and they won't do it. So I would think someone who feels that strongly about it is not going to say, well, 
this is super dangerous. It's going to change my DNA. But I have a one in millions chance to win a million bucks. So, yeah, I'll do it for that reason. Like, I, I don't know if that's going to encourage people. However, they're claiming that Ohio reported a 53% week-on-week increase in vaccines between w- when they weren't offering this money and when they were. So maybe it is working. Maybe I'm misjudging what's what can motivate people. Huh. But uh, not happening in the West. Notice all those states are not anywhere near me or you. And we already got vaccinated. That's the other problem. So I don't know. Uh, California has a very high vaccination rate, so I don't think they're going to do it in California. I think they feel that uh, there's been enough cooperation. I'm sure they'd like to see more, but it's it's been one of the higher percentages of, of people getting vaccinated. And this sounded weird to me at first. And I think this is really weird to give away taxpayer dollars in as like a reward for getting vaccinated. Like it just seemed weird. I wasn't even sure if that was legal, but I guess if it works, it's not that much money. Something that always tilts me and, and both sides do this. When I see in the media complaints about money wasted on something that sounds stupid and it sounds like a lot of money because like for one person it is like $2 million was wasted on such and such, but then it's like $2 million out of the federal budget, which is a drop in the bucket. So I don't care what $2 million was wasted on in the federal budget. Yes, they shouldn't waste anything, but like we shouldn't even be concentrating on that. We, we should be concentrating on, on where the big waste is. It's, it's, like, it's like in your own personal finances, worrying about pennies you've dropped into the couch and not worrying about your bigger fa- finances, not worrying about how you're uh, budgeting your money. But instead, you're, you're obsessing, oh, I wonder if some pennies fell out of my pocket into the couch. That's good. And then getting really obsessed with that. Like that, That's what worrying about small amounts of money compared to the government budget is. And I see both sides doing this. So I'm not even that worried that this money is being spent because it's not big money. You know, Ohio's spending $5 million. New York, I don't know what they're spending. But they're, they're all not large sums of money at all compared to the state budget, which is very high in all these states compared to what they are awarding. So if it does encourage enough additional people to get vaccinated, it may actually pay for itself just from the cost to society from people getting COVID, which can show itself in different ways, including people who may get disabled from COVID that uh, would have to be on disability in the future or, or people who uh, uh, or, or people who are in the hospital a long time and run up a huge bill that the insurance has to pay for and then everybody's rates go up. So there, there's a lot of hidden costs to COVID that you don't really think about even if it doesn't come out of the pocket of the person who gets COVID directly. Uh, then, so if, if this can actually overall bring that down and save a lot more than is being spent here, then fine, whatever. It sounds weird, but at first I was against it, and then I thought about it again, and I go, you know what? If it really works, fine. Like, How do you feel about this? I am the same way. It's not enough money to really make me feel negative or positive either way it's yeah it's fine whatever like, i do think they, I, mean, I do I think they should it. not punish the people who already got vaccinated i think not punish but they shouldn't exclude them that they should all because all that does is demonstrate to people the government tells you to do something don't do it and you'll get an incentive later and that's that's a bad message to send that's the one problem i have is that every state doing this should make it a drawing for all those who have gotten vaccinated not 
if you get vaccinated on these days, you get money. But if you already got vaccinated, tough luck. Like that's that's a yeah. bad message. I, I always hate when there's things like that. So that's that's my yeah. one issue with it. In some states, I agree. All right. Well, finally, I, I'm going to ask you this question too. This is a what would what would Druff do segment? Except it will also be uh, what would Brandon do? I had a listener tell me that he works in a casino and that they just changed the rule at the casino, probably based upon the CDC guidance, that you no longer have to wear a mask there as an employee. By the way, this is not a Vegas person. This is someone working at a casino in another state. And he told me that he wants to know what I would do if I was working full-time at a casino and I was just informed that masking is optional and I've been fully vaccinated because he has been. What well, would I do? That's the way it is here for the most part. If yeah. you can prove like the win in MGM and I assume Caesars, but those two announced almost immediately after the mask mandate was eliminated that if employees showed proof of their vaccination, they would it would be optional if they had to wear a mask, though. It's kind of uh, not really that even hypothetical. Oh, I didn't even know that. So yeah. here's the question. So I, so in other words, I was I went to the movies yesterday, actually, uh, for the first time in a year. And I this was at the South Point, And you saw some cocktail waitresses wearing masks. Some not. You saw some dealers wearing masks. Some not. You saw some pit bosses. So it's already you're already seeing that. The Interesting. Exact scenario you're describing. Yep. So here's the question, though: If you were in this position, you were working full time, forty hours a week, and right now that's the option. Which option would you take? I wouldn't be working there. <laughs> well, let's say you. Let's say this is your job, and and you're. It's not about switching jobs. You just you have to make a decision, and you're not going to switch jobs for whatever reason. I still wouldn't be working. But so you're saying I have to be working there. I'm saying, yes, I mean, for I, the purposes I, of this question, because this person didn't say, oh, will you wear the mask, not wear the mask, or quit? It was, are you going to wear or not wear? And he, for whatever reason, this listener, quitting is not an option to him. So I don't want to put on a third right, option. Let's just say this. I committed a crime, and part of my probation, stay out of prison, would be I had to work in a casino. Yes, like like running an unlicensed Bitcoin site where you play poker yeah. in Nevada, something it's like real, that. Real cute. Okay, so I'm working at... Uh, where am I working? I'm working. Okay, I'm working at the Win. And what do I do at the Win? My dealer, my reservations, uh, my security. You know, I don't even know what he does. So I, I would say that he's. I'll just say he's a dealer, even though I don't know if he is or not. Okay. And there's no plexiglass because there isn't at the Win anymore. I'll guess there's not. Um, and I'm vaccinated. My current situation. I would. I mean, I know this is gonna maybe sound a little aggressive i would probably not wear a mask well if i got vaccinated and i had a choice you know i feel safe i i probably wouldn't and also because i hate wearing the mask i can't even imagine eight hours ten hours nine hours every single day doing it uh i probably at this point after doing it for a year i probably wouldn't wear it. right that's exactly how i feel that's that was my answer to him too i just don't love it i wouldn't love it but i would you know if i had to be there and i had to do the job i probably wouldn't at this point because what what is it what's the difference in a month what's going to change in two months i mean it's gonna wear a mask forever i i probably wouldn't exactly that's that's exactly my thought is that it feels like it's safer it feels like it's been hammered into our heads 
that if we take the mask off, we're vulnerable, and that even if we're vaccinated, if we take it off well, we, we've still just raised our vulnerability, even if it's lower than it was before. So, but, but if so you, like yesterday, I went, you know, like I said, I went to a movie for the first time in a year, and I, I can tell you now, uh, I didn't even once think like the kind of thoughts I was thinking before. Like you know, I didn't, I didn't think, oh, you know, this person's near me, or I need to do my hands now, or I need, you know what I mean? I kind of just was back you know, for a couple hours, just the way I was pre-pandemic. You know what I mean? It wasn't on my mind. Yeah, well, that's I how I was. Behaving I, normally. I, I went into a place to buy a new thermostat, which I'm actually using right now and controlling with my phone so the radio studio can stay warm on this cold night. But I, I was looking nice. at new thermostats, and as I was standing there, I was going, well, let me see how this one's reviewed. And I'd bring it up on, on Google and look at reviews. Well, can I trust this site? Let me check some other review sites. So I'm going like through all these different thermostats that are in, sitting in front of me at this store. And, and, mm-hmm. and seeing which one to pick. I'm standing there. You know, Yes, I have a mask on, but I don't think it's really helping that much. But I wasn't worried. I wasn't sitting here going, I better get out of here fast because of COVID. I better not expose myself to a long time. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm vaccinated. I'd rather just pick the right thermostat. That, that was my attitude. So, um, and, and if I could have not worn a mask there, they had a – in California, you still have to wear masks in these type of places. But uh, ha- if it was optional, I wouldn't wear it. And if I was an employee – I wouldn't want to wear a mask for eight hours when I yeah. already suspect that a cloth mask doesn't do you very much good and that this is something that was politicized and that yeah. if you're vaccinated, I right. think it does you very little good. So I, it just my, isn't my worth biggest, it. My biggest aggravation yesterday was frustration. I spent $8 for the stupid Angelina Jolie movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth, by the way. Uh, Terrible terrible you know what they just don't make movies like they used to yeah. in 95 when hackers came out which I, I think was the first real movie she was in uh i i wasn't impressed with her then i was like all these people were talking I've about never been a fan, but I, I did like hackers i i, I didn't was, like I, hackers I mean, either I, th- I thought it was uh I, maybe it was because, cheesy, I have, well, because i because i have too much i think because i have too much knowledge on the subject it's kind of like a doctor watching medical dramas that was the one with that one guy i can't think of his the name but her first ex-husband uh the guy, the star, the male star. Uh, what was his name? Yeah, I'm forgetting his name. She was married to him. He was supposed to be like the next big thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I was never into hacking like you were. So I, you know, <laughs> it was okay. But I've never been a fan of hers. I Let me think. I don't know if I can name one movie she's ever been in. Okay, so listen. Since we're talking about this, and I really do need to get some sleep. So this is, might be the, my last tangent. Um, two actresses that I just do not like. Not in person, not their life. You know, just as actresses. And I don't know if I can tell you one movie I've ever liked. Angelina Jolie, and I think she's totally overrated. Like, I mean, you know, she's not a, the worst, but I don't, I don't think she's do the critical acclaim she sometimes gets. But anyhow, I can't name one movie she's ever been in that I've really liked. And fucking Gwyneth Paltrow. Which, for her, I don't even think I like as a person. I'll tell you why. Because, like, after her and Brad Pitt broke up in the earlier part of this century, I, I'm hearing her on like doing interviews, and she's have, like talking with a British accent, like in real life, like she's American. No, she's like, she's especially she's, pretentious. Do you, do you know I actually went to uh, school with I her? Can't stand. I, but hold on, hold. hold. I, I went to college mm-hmm. with her. Yeah. I didn't see her there. At least I, maybe I did, and I just didn't oh, know I, because. But she went to college hmm. with me for one quarter in the same school. She's a smug cunt. She is. But, so let me let me ask you. So getting back to Angelina Jolie, if you had to, someone puts a gun to your head or Jew money involved, if you had to name your favorite Angelina Jolie movie, what would it be? If you had to pick one, jeez. Like you're putting me in the wind casino. I mean, I'm, I don't even know the answer. I'm trying to think now. 
I mean, I saw like I've seen everything from like hackers to Mrs. and Mrs. Smith. Terrible pushing tin. Like we're going real old school. Terrible. Pro- pro- probably Mr. Uh, and Mrs. Smith is the is the. But I, I wasn't. You know, I, I agree with you about both of them. And in fact, I can't think of a. I mean, I, listen. I for right now, just off the cuff, I'm thinking of a Gwyneth Paltrow movie that that I and I'm coming up with like Shallow Hal, which was terrible too. Maybe seven. Because, no, you know what wasn't bad. Know, this was an earlier gets her one. Head decapitated. Yeah. Uh, this one called Gattaca, which wasn't a big movie, but it, it was interesting. Never seen it. it I've heard of it. Ethan Hawke. I think was. Yeah, in it. it was actually interesting. It wasn't bad. Never seen it. Yeah. But uh, the seven, I probably, I guess seven, and she was just the wife. She wasn't even a terrible. I don't know, and she's not even in movies anymore. Listen, she was in this terrible movie called uh, uh, what the fuck was the name of it? Uh, the premise is Vegas that. Like a bunch of people with different paths, most people, most of them running from something, all gather in Las Vegas for this karaoke contest. Uh, have you seen this? Terrible, terrible. I can't think of the name of it. But the whole premise is they come to Vegas to all win life-changing money in a karaoke contest of $4,000. <laughs> I, wasn't Huey Lewis was like, in that? I think he was in that. Yes, he was. He, like, he did a scene. <laughs> Huey Lewis was her father. Yeah, that's I can't right. Think of the name of the, what was the name of the movie? And I, I, mean, I, the, I, and I think I you were – I don't know if it was his real penis, but I think he showed his penis in the movie or at least what was supposed to be his penis. I don't remember. Oh, it's just terrible. But I I mean she won an Oscar for that uh, – what was it? That, that Shakespeare movie? What what was it? Big 2001. It was – Yeah, I forget the name like, of it. Oh, which it was a Shakespeare play. Uh, it wasn't Midnight Summer's – it was uh, – Oh, I couldn't. I'd never made it through it. Like I had a girlfriend at the time. That oh, let's watch it. One and I and three times. It's old school blockbuster. Put the you know VHS in, and I'd fall asleep twenty minutes. What the come on? What the hell was that movie? Well, you know what? Oscar. I don't. I don't. I forget that too. But in but that's my point. They're all forgettable. Like I know. Shallow hell. I actually I had a girlfriend in ninety nine and two thousand. Those are the years I was dating her. And uh, this. I gotta look this up. It was probably it was probably one of my worst relationships that lasted any length of time. Uh, I'm not talking about ones that are very short, but uh, like any real length of time, uh, it was probably the worst one. And she was obsessed with Gwyneth Paltrow. She like wanted to be Gwyneth Paltrow. She she admired Gwyneth Paltrow so much and really wanted to be here. Thought she was the, like the most beautiful woman in the world. She she admired her. She wanted to be with her. She wanted to be, not with her. She wanted to be her. Uh, so it was, uh, and I, I didn't see it. I was like, I, I kept telling her. Right, like, the karaoke movie is called duets yeah i was about to say that i remember that real real original original name and then the oscar movie was uh shakespeare in love oh my god that's right that's it i i never could make it through it i mean i'm sitting here now and i'm not this isn't a troll i'm trying to think of a a movie i really enjoyed with either of them I, i can't i can't i just and the one i saw last night just Felt, you know, terrible, just terrible. You know, something interesting about Angelina Jolie. Millions of dollars. I'll ask you if you noticed this about Angelina Jolie back in the day. Um, She was much more rated as really hot by girls who were bisexual or lesbian than straight men by a wide margin. Like you, you ask yeah. any girl who's like bisexual, lesbian, like what actress they think is hot. He's like instantly get Angelina Jolie. They loved Angelina Jolie. Even Rosie O'Donnell made this is kind of gross, but she made, when they were asking, someone asked her about uh, like how people's reaction has been, and she said something like, "I have people who don't believe it, who think I'm just uh, who I'm just lying about this. You know, what do I have to do? Do I have to go down on Angelina Jolie? Because I'll do it." 
But she actually said something like that, and I think that's the, that's not a visual I want to think about. But with uh, with Winona Ryder, with oh, uh, a girl interrupted, a mental mental hospital. Yeah, it's girl interrupted. Huh? It was called Girl Interrupted. Okay, terrible too. I just I I, I awful awful awful. I mean, okay, so literally, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, can you think of a better one, or that's what you're sticking with? No, nah, that's what I'm sticking with. Okay, what about Gwyneth Paltrow, if you had to pick one? I, I would go with that Gattaca movie I was talking about. Oh, yeah, you said, okay, give me another one, a more mainstream <laughs> movie. <laughs> well, okay, you know what? Okay, I, I, the one that she was in uh, with uh, with uh, uh, Bill Murray and and o, the Owen Wilson were like, uh, oh, what's that movie with the dysfunctional family? Do you remember that movie it was popular? Oh my! Hold on, I gotta Google this. I know you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, you've definitely heard of it. Um, where Bill Murray is like the patriot. Okay, hold on. I'm gonna. I know you've seen this. Uh, what the fuck was that movie called? I can't even think of them. That one is tolerable, but she wasn't a star. Uh, let me see. Hold on. Oh, the Royal Tenenbaums. You ever see that? Actually, I didn't see it. I heard of it, but I didn't see it. Okay, all right. I guess I'd have to. I'd have to. That, that's too. But you know, I don't even think she's in demand anymore. Like you know, I mean, I haven't. I, no, I mean, she's she's like forty eight years old, so so it it goes it starts to disappear. But Angelina Jolie, she's got to be what in her mid forties. She's yeah. still like the star vehicle of of you know. I saw this movie. You know, it's funny. I don't even know the name. You could you could literally put a gun to my head right now or offer me a million dollars. I <laughs> some movie about fires. I saw it yesterday. And she was just terrible. It was, uh, uh, Jesus, something not want to die. I don't, I don't know. But it's a new Angelina Jolie. I mean, you know, a friend wanted to see it. It was her birthday. I go to the theater. It, it just terrible, terrible. I just don't get it. And I look at the reviews. They're terrible. Like, how many opportunities are you going to keep giving these people? So, <laughs> anyhow, I, I just, I don't get it, buddy. I don't understand a lot. So, well, listen. That's gonna be my last. Uh, That's gonna be my last thing. Tangent. I'm done. That's yeah, it. I got to be up at ten o'clock sharp. Uh, I'm doing like I said. We're gonna uh, do the whole sightseeing thing. So let me ask you, someone who hasn't been here in ten years, my cousin wants to go to Red Rock uh, the Canyons, not the casino. Yeah, uh, she wants to see Cosmo because she hasn't seen it. Uh, she wants to see. This is hilarious. She has a daughter, and her daughter and her watch this TV show that's I don't even understand. I think it's either based on or maybe it's a reality show about some haunted house that's in Las Vegas. And I had to Google it. It's called Zach and Something's Haunted House, and it's the, it exists. I haven't you heard know of about that. this. No. Okay, it's called. Let me tell you, it's amazing. She doesn't live in. She lives in Florida. <laughs> it, it's called Zach. Zach's Haunted House Museum. It's 600 East Charleston. I said, oh, you, you picked a good neighborhood for the haunted house because that's in a terrible area. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess I guess it's called Zach's. It's Zach Bagan's The Haunted House Museum. And it has, it's, I'm looking at it now on Google, 4.6 stars out of five hmm. with over 5,000 reviews. So obviously it's, it's a popular thing. And I'm just thinking to myself, I've lived here all these years. I've never even heard of this place. Yeah. How does someone that lives in Florida know about this? But uh, it's something famous. Maybe it's a, I think it's, she said it's a TV show, but her nine-year-old daughter loves it and she wants to see it. And well, I, I can give you a her, suggestion. But... Uh, this Now this will kind of duplicate Red Rock a little bit, but it's a better version mm-hmm. of Red Rock. And that is, uh, it's farther, but the Valley of Fire State Park is a better version of Red Rock. 
It's about an hour north. Oh wow! But it's okay. It's so good. so so listen. I just did a, a, a you know I, I I multitask. Very good. There's a TV show, reality show, based on the Zach's Museum that's been on the Travel Channel since 2016, and apparently it has quite the following. And I've never heard of it, and I live here. So, and I didn't even know that exists. I've driven by that area of town. So she wants to see this. She was all excited about going there, getting a T-shirt for her daughter, and checking out this haunted house museum. So, you know, that's what she wants to do. Oh. Now, where is this Valley of Fire? I've heard of it's this. About, it's right? about an hour north off the 15. And you gotta, then it's actually you got to go off the 15 and then go past an Indian reservation. <laughs> And then you end up there. Actually, Christopher Mitchell did a video from there, and he couldn't even be truthful about that. He couldn't just say, hey, I think it was on Christmas. Instead, it was like, hey, instead it was just, hey, I decided to visit Valley of Fire State Park. I heard it's cool, and here we are. He's like, folks, I just decided to take a drive on Christmas Day with my family, and we went through this area that's just so beautiful. I had to pull off the road and, and just take a look. Because we just do that. We're just spontaneous like that. We just, I just pull off the road. We're just walking around here. And look, other people, other people here, they are doing the same thing. And then the funny thing is you see a sign in the background that the state park put up. So it's, it's, it's so funny. Like it wasn't just something on the side of the road. And I recognize it because I've been there. So like, why even lie about that? Why not just say uh, this is one hour north of Vegas. It, it's uh, a cool thing to see. And we went to go take a look on Christmas Day. Like he just lies pointlessly about things that don't even make sense. But anyway, uh, Valley of Fire State Park is like a better version of Red Rock. It's it's farther, but Red Rock's okay. like not right there. And the good thing is, because of the cold spell that's hitting the west right now, uh, it the high tomorrow is uh, is going to be only seventy two degrees. So uh, you you're not going to be hot there. Whereas by Friday, yeah, we have a we. We have a uh, cold front that came through. That it came nice through now. the entire west. It, it, it snowed in Tahoe, snowed in Mammoth, snowed even in Gardnerville and I Minden. I saw that. And, uh, and it's cold in L.A. It's cold where you are. So it, the thing is, it's, uh, it's only going to be 72 tomorrow, which is very cool for uh, Las Vegas on May 22nd. And, and Valley of Far State, State Park should be similar. Well, we, were, we were in the hundreds last week. I know. I, and it'll be, it'll be back close to that on Friday. On Friday, it'll be 98 again. So you, your, your cousin came so, at a good time because today is going to yeah. be 72, and then tomorrow is going to be 83. So let me ask you. Let me ask you this now. Be honest. Uh, another place you mentioned, and I feel like a total fucking degenerate. She must think I, I, if it's not gambling, casino related, or you know, high dining, I don't know anything about it. She asked me if I'd ever been to the Clark County Wetlands Park. There's 14 miles of wetlands in Henderson, and I'm like, I don't think you have the right, the right, the right state. I've never heard of <laughs> Wetlands Park, and sure as shit, I Google it, and there's 14 miles of wetlands. And one of the like two of the like trails are even flooded because it rained here recently. <laughs> and I'm looking there. It have, okay. So my but, question is, you've been here. I mean, for someone that's never lived here, like you know, long term, but you have lived here brief. Have you ever heard of this? Clark, it's in Henderson, Clark County. No, Wetlands. and here's here's the weird thing is that I have looked for non-gambling things to do because my girlfriend doesn't gamble, and I looked for things exactly like that. I haven't heard of this unless I Google, unless Google I saw this it. Right now. Well, hold on. I'm, I'm it's possible. Let me this... let me correct myself. It's possible I heard of this, and then upon looking it up, I didn't find it interesting enough There's to visit. Fourteen miles of wetlands with most of of uh, a lot of it has animals that aren't found anywhere else other in these oh. than other than in I these wetlands. I miss this. But, yeah. Uh, Google it and just look at the. How could I've never heard of this? 
It's 14 miles, and it's this real popular thing. I've lived here 20 years. It's 20 minutes from me. There's, like, wetlands here in the desert. That's, that's just, very strange. Yeah, I see that. Isn't that insane? I look at the reviews. I look at the, look at the pictures that just come up on Google. Yeah, it I see. like the Everglades. Yeah, it does look like Now, why does someone in Florida want to see this? Isn't this just, like, going back home? I mean, I, I you know, I don't know, but it's just it's it's stunning. She like I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Like, and I'm thinking she's gonna say, you know, I want to see, you know, the, you know, whatever at the Mirage or and it's these things I've done. I don't think they're in this city, hon. I think you're confused. And she's like, nope, I saw it on the Travel Channel. Think again. And I'm like, yeah, there it is, wow. the Zach and whatever museum, the the wetlands. But I'm looking at all these animals, insects, birds that are in these wet snakes that are in these wetlands. Um, this is unbelievable. Yeah, like crazy. So I, I, yeah, maybe check out the Clark County. No, I think I will. Shout I'm, out! I'm going to look at this. Shout up. out to uh, Trader Ruski. He uh, hooked me up with uh, a room on short notice because huh. I didn't want to uh, use my comps for comp dollars. I should say for five hundred a night. Yeah. Rooms are just so jacked up now; it's ridiculous. Well, oh you know, I, I've got a question for you before, before we go exactly about yeah. that subject. Someone texted me who I've known for many years and said that they're going to Las Vegas alone, which is it's a female. I don't even know why she would do this. It's not even anyone I ever dated. She asked me uh, what's the best place to go to uh, and to not have to spend a fortune. She's like, hmm, for some reason, Circus Circus is cheaper than everything else on the Strip. And I said, no, no, it's not for some reason. It's <laughs> because it's, a, it's trash. So I asked her, are you going on the weekends or the weekdays? Really try to go on the weekdays if you can because there's a tremendous difference right now. So I, I advised her of all that. I, I didn't put very much research into it, and I'm, I'm not going to, but I, I, I might quickly take a look for her. What, off the top of your head, other than something that's complete garbage, can you think of something that's that's a good value that's in Vegas that's not way out there that uh, that might meet this, just in general, not on a specific date, but just in general, something that's kind of like cheaper than it should be compared to other things in the area? Well, you, you lost me with your question. What a hotel? Yeah, a hotel. A hotel to stay at that, and not like I, I don't want to hear like, oh, well, this uh, you know, the wind is actually a very good deal for the wind right now. Like she can't afford that. Just something that's kind of a a low to middle budget hotel that okay, actually so is, look, so this is, is not. So you're gonna la- you're gonna laugh at me. So, well, actually, before I answer, let me ask you these two quick questions. The, tell me one more time. She is she gambler? She you said she doesn't. No, gamble. she doesn't. Okay, what what does she enjoy the most of of amenity wise? Like, I don't even I don't even know. Here's the weird thing. Okay, would you, wait, hold on. Would, here's the weirdest thing. Would you believe that she is uh, 34 years old and has never been to Vegas despite living in Southern California her entire life? Yeah, that's that is odd. Okay, I have my answer for you for value and and kind of describing what the limited amount of information you've given me about her and as much as. People may laugh at me for saying this. I would say pretty confidently the Orleans because the Orleans, the rooms are decent. I've actually stayed there. I mean, it's a long time ago, but the rooms are, are fine. Nothing wrong with it. There's plenty of low to mid uh, range food choices. They do have one nice, you know, steakhouse, which is not like going to blow you away, but it's good. Nothing wrong with it. And they have other, you know, cheaper eats, tons of, you know, options. And, you know, you've been there. They got the food court. They got your standard mid fair Mexican, Italian, you know, Japanese type place. They have a bowling alley, a movie theater. They have bingo. Uh, the rooms are, you know, think you can get $40 during the week, maybe closer to a hundred unless there's something going on the weekend. The location's decent parking's free. 
um, you know, in case you did want to just small, small gamble, you know, the, the slots have decent payback. Um, that's that, you know, that's, that's what you're going to be looking at. Like you're not going to find value in any right now in any strip type resort. You're not because the, 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 uh, resort fees are going to eat you alive. And then if you went to other places that are more touristy that aren't on the strip, like for instance, the Westgate, you know, that has low rates, then you're just food choices aren't as great. It's an older property. Um, then you go to somewhere else, like even like Sam's town and that's kind of far off, you know, near like Boulder highway. So I, I, yeah, I'd have to say the Orleans is because the location and you know, there, they are things to do there. It's not like high end, but there is a pool, not high end. There is a spa, although not high end, you know, there's tons and tons of food choices, probably 15 different places to eat. You know, none of them really high end. Uh, the rooms are fine. So you won't have any complaints about the cleanliness or how big or, small the rooms are um you know like i said there's a pool uh live music they have lounges things of that nature for free entertainment so uh that's that's what i would probably pick you're not going to get any value from the strip right now you're well just here's a question I, I, I had one thing come to mind and that is harris which has a great location and what i've seen is actually sometimes surprisingly but it just cheap. depends it just depends what the what the, what the price i mean if you could stay at Harris, you know, for nineteen dollars a night plus resort fee. No, no, forget know, nineteen dollars a night. I'm talking about because they renovated some of the towers here. That right. That sure. uh, it, it's it's got a good location, and it's if you stay in one of the rooms that's renovated, it's not bad, and you have a your right center strip. And I've seen where it's cheap. It's not going to be nineteen dollars for someone who's never been there before. But I would say if she signed up online for a total rewards card, just so she's quote a total rewards member, which gives you a little discount, and then. Then we're to book vague, book try to book Harris. It, yes, it depends on the demand, and uh, if she happens to hit a weekend that is super high demand, or Harris is just selling better than usual, then it's not going to be good. But I I have seen that Harris is of the Caesars properties, and really of all the strip properties I've seen, the one that has the best value for what you get that isn't a complete dump. That's that's what I've uh, observed. And uh, th so that's what I was going to suggest. The Orleans is not a bad suggestion either. I'll, I'm going to suggest that to her as well. So thank you for that. I didn't think of that one, but that's. Uh, well, well, you know, a lot of it also depends what she wants. Like, does she have a car? Does she want to be able to walk to like, you know, I mean, if you want to be able to walk and see all of the strip, then the Orleans may not, uh, you know, be your best choice. Although they used to have a free shuttle to the strip and to the Orleans that went back and forth. I don't know if they still do. Um, but. All in all, especially on a weekend and day of the week matters, you're going to get a much better rate even with a card staying at the Orleans on a weekend than you would at Harris. You just would. I mean, the, the, I could probably tell you now the rates at Harris this weekend are probably going to be $200 for just the, their lowest standard room. Probably that's what it's going to cost without any sort of, you know, and to me that's not good value. That's just that's just not. And then you have to remember, like anywhere you eat around there, it's going to be expensive. So you know, a lot of it just I think for value wise, probably the Orleans because you could eat cheaper, stay cheaper. You know, you can get everything is cheaper. Yeah, you know, I, I thought I want, thought of something else here. Um, you're you're right about you, all that, but there is there is one thing I did think about that uh, I, it just came well, to mind right now. Mm -hmm. I was trying to work out in my head why, after not going to Vegas for 34 years of her life why she would be going to Vegas at this point. And the possible answer I came up with, aside from just she spontaneously wants to go, but she mentioned like a specific date in June. It was a little bit weird. So like she's getting days off work and she's on those days. But So maybe that's 
some of it, but I, I now that I'm thinking about it, it could be that she's going with like an ex that she knows she's told me about that was awful and that she doesn't want me to give her shit about it. So it's possible she's making this up as a solo trip when it's really not, which of course changes a lot as far as what she's going to want to do. Uh, so that's uh, I, I still can't quite. Re- I was asking her like, what what are you, <laughs> why are you going on a solo trip? To Vegas, and this is someone who's never gambled, never been to Vegas, and she was like, wants to be there for four days, and I'm like, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me, unless, so I was thinking either she just wants to, like, just go around and meet people, or if uh, maybe she's going with someone she doesn't want to tell me about because she's afraid I'm going to judge it. I, I don't know. It's uh, I it's not important enough to me to press on this, but uh, uh, that's, that's okay, a possibility, so too. R- right now, while you were talking, I quickly went on Google and went to Caesar's website, not logged in to my card. And I put in a search for just one night tomorrow night, Harris checking out Sunday with tax one night room. And this is the cheapest standard room they have. You can't stay there off the website, off the Harris website, any cheaper tax and resort fee. What do you think it comes to? Well, wait, is this for Saturday night or or, or Saturday night for, one for, night? for tomorrow night? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Saturday well, that's night. that's the one worst night. night. That's the most expensive night. Well, I, but okay. But I'm, well, you know, maybe she's going to be here on a weekend. That's all she. Can well, she come. said it's going to be four days. So what, maybe one of the nights will be a weekend, but there will be some that okay. are not. Obviously. So. Well, nonetheless, what do you think it costs tomorrow night? Take a guess with everything combined, like out the door, without any kind of discount affiliation, just somebody going on the website and booking. Um, cheapest room, cheapest standard room. I'd say one hundred twenty-five dollars. Two forty-five. Oh wow! Well, let me yeah. let me say this. It's and then it goes down to thirty-five on Sunday before the resort. Well, okay, so so, so that's the other thing is that this weekend they're very busy and they probably barely have any rooms and it jacks up the price. Also, um, logging in with any kind of total rewards card, even when you just created online can lower the price so there's a number of factors here that that we're not considering but also like looking for the next day well this isn't an official you know this is just an unofficial thing no i know but i'm saying that this this there's so many variables here this could just be a busy weekend and they say it's one thing for them to say oh we think we're going to be busy in a few weeks it's another thing for them to say well it's tomorrow we are going to be busy we hardly have any rooms left so everything's going to be way jacked up that's a big difference so 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 like i i would think a better test would be Check a month from now on a Saturday, or check a month from now on a Thursday. Check a, check a month from now from uh, four nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, checking out Sunday. Like that, that would be a better test than picking tomorrow one night. I'm trying to get something representative, not something to shock the audience. So that's why I'm a little doubtful of this. I'm looking right now on my total rewards account on the app, and I put in a search for the same exact scenario. What do you think it would cost me tomorrow? Oh, I think it would be expensive for, for you. I, I think it's still going to be expensive. I think it's going to probably two twenty five. Well, I know, but that's that's my point. Is if it, if they already yeah, no, know, know it's if I they already it. know it's busy, it's going to jack the weight ray up. It's, it's a big difference. Yeah. Sure. And in fact, well, I've, I I've, listen. I listen. The, the point I'm making is I don't care. Okay, what reason I have to come or what's going on. If I had to be here on a Saturday night, I'm never spending two hundred twenty five dollars at Harris. No, I would not either. It just it, I, it would just never happen. No, I wouldn't either. I sleep in I sleep in my car before, <laughs> unless it was like two hundred, you know, or a hundred ten degree. Like I just uh, so that's my point. If she has to be here on a Saturday, then a place like Harris isn't an option. No, I've I've been like, faced you know with this I mean? before when I when I've booked trips not to Vegas, but I'm talking about just booking trips in general. I I look and I say, well. 
this such and such city has the the hotel prices are insane for what you get. So it's not like I'm paying for quality. A frame of reference. Tomorrow night, what, what do you think the Orleans is for their cheapest room? Everything out the door. Uh, 105. Saturday night, May 22nd. 105. No, 159. Oh. Which still, I'd even say now is better value. It's still better value. Well, I, but I, right, last one I'll ask you. Luxor tomorrow night. And Luxor, for those that don't know, even though it's on the strip, it's it's maybe would you give Luxor half a star above Circus Circus? Maybe. Yeah, it's. I had a friend that stayed there that thought it would be decent, and he actually he got there, and he took a picture and posted it on Facebook. The lampshade was missing. He called up and said, "Hey, for some reason the lampshade's missing. Can you replace one?" They said, "Sorry, we don't have any more. People keep stealing them." <laughs> Standard room without a card, just going to. MGM's website, resort fee, room tax, tax on resort fee, out the door. What, what, it, what will it cost you off the street? Just booking tomorrow night. One seventy. Two thirty nine fifty. And the, the thing that's funny, and you know, people are listening to this. You know, a month ago, you could have stayed for at the wind for that price. Yeah. You know, it, it it just it's yeah. But you're right. The demands here, people, you know, were just. You know, in mass, trying to go get out and, and visit. I, it's just nuts. I would just, I tell people, you know, that want to get out here, now is not the time. The value isn't here. Maybe, you know, you wait till the summer when, when the, you know, if you don't mind the heat and, and just, you know, that starts, rates always will plummet. I still, even with all that's happened last year, I still can't imagine, you know, Vegas being the, packed, especially midweek when it's 115 outside. But, that's uh, it's, it's kind of it's weird. It's like kind of one extreme to the other. Yeah, you I'll know, tell you, the casinos love it. I mean, they've really gotten healthy real fast. They've really really gotten healthy, uh, yeah. you know, quick. I can't even imagine what the winner or you know upscale places Palazzo would be charging. Bellagio, you know, got to be close to five hundred dollars for yeah. a standard room. You know, I gotta be. something that uh, has always really really bothered me is paying a lot. For something that is worth very little, I don't mind paying for a lot for something that's worth a lot, or, or paying a little for something worth a little, as long as it's not awful and I'm going to hate using it or, or, or being there or whatever. But what I what I detest is when something is artificially jacked up because of market forces, but it's worth much much less. Things like what you're describing here, paying 245 for Harris or or 159 for the Orleans or 170 for the Luxor, e- even though I can easily afford it, uh, it, I would be so put off by this. That I would actually stay uh, out of Vegas on on you know uh, far away from the Strip just to avoid that. But that is just something that I can't stand. Uh, I, I'll take it to a degree. I realize that if I go on a summer trip, I'm not going to get uh, low season prices. I'm not always going to get a great deal. Trivia hey, for caller, you. are you on the air? Hello. Yes. Who is this? This is Sheriff. Who? This is Brandon. This is Brandon. Oh, it's Sharif. Yeah, it's Sharif from uh, from uh, Spain. I've been trying to call. I've been trying to call. What's up? I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I had I had family in town. I I I yeah yeah. I just remember my lawyer Alvin from last week or two weeks ago. Alvin, this is Sharif. Uh, 
Yeah, hi. I, I remember with, uh, him. Uh, uh, he was the yeah. gentleman that uh, was in Spain that was doing a business deal with you, and you were going to send him a doggy I've coin. Been Spain, I've been Spain. I've been staying all around. So what's going on? I don't know what's going on. Anymore. Well, you, you know, I can I can answer that for you, Sheriff. Um, because of the cryptocurrency okay. crash, um, this has oh, really geez. scared Brandon about um, the whole deal because uh, Elon Musk made some negative comments, and all the coins crashed. Uh, first, Doggy Coin crashed, then Bitcoin crashed, then Ethereum crashed, and now he's very nervous about uh, any deal involving cryptocurrency. So, is there anything you can say to to allay his fears and, and make him feel better about sending you money in cryptocurrency? Yeah, he's right. He's right. He's right, Sharif. So, um, Doggy Coin didn't go to the moon. What? I'm well, so, oh, sorry. What was that? What do you suggest? What do you suggest we do now? I don't know. I don't know, but I'll tell you, I, I have some family in town, Sharif, and uh, tomorrow is Saturday, so I'm going to spend time with them. Hopefully, the the crypto will stabilize and, you know, we'll go from there. How is Valencia? So, what I'm going to do now, I've been, I've been stuck here, so I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Right yeah. I don't know what to say. Okay. That's, that's too bad. No, I understand. It's I, I don't like being stuck anywhere. Because uh, I've been stuck up here. I've been stuck up here all day. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to say right now. Now, one time I was stuck in, in uh, Rochester, <laughs> New York, and, and it was very unpleasant. And people said, well, why don't you enjoy it? Why don't you go to Niagara Falls? And I said, I don't want to deal with a border crossing. It's just water going over a rock. It doesn't it doesn't excite me. I just want to get home. This was after 9-11 when I couldn't fly back. This was 20 years ago when there was the attack on the U.S. with those Planes. And I was hello, Breden, Breden, Breden. Hello, can you hear me? So, yeah, I can hear so no, I, I'm 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 commiserating with you. I can understand yeah, why you Breden. want to get home from Breden. Spain I'll be, I'll be. because I couldn't get home from Rochester, and it was very upsetting mm-hmm. to me. Terrible. So, do you understand the point in all this? Do you, do you, you don't go do you, to Rochester. Do you, mm-hmm. do you realize? Do you realize I'm short of money? Do you know that I spend money every day? Well, yes. Um, I'm a little confused here. If you spend money every day, why don't you spend some of it to get home? The problem is, I've been telling Braden uh, to let us do this business, so um, so we could get get everything done. But I think he's not interested. So, well, maybe you just want to cut it off. No, it's it's not that. It's that Brandon is a little bit nervous because of uh, every time he looks, cryptocurrency is going down. He thought Doggy Coin was the the ticket to riches, and then Elon Musk went on Saturday Night Live and he said some unflattering things, and and all of a sudden everything he went crazy. He called it a hustle. He called it a hustle. It was hustle. it was very sad, and and I personally cried when he used those words. I actually cried. I had to buy some additional Kleenex because I used all the Kleenex wiping my eyes. So I, we understand where you're coming from is the point. Yes. Do you understand? So, uh, so what, what, what are we going to do now? Because I don't, I don't get it. Uh, I think what, what, do you, he's what do you suggest is, we do now? Probably they're saying that on Sunday or either Sunday or the next radio show, everything's going to stabilize and then we should be good to go. I, I, Alvin, do you agree? Yes, uh, I've been researching the matter, and I said we just have to look for a little bit of stability. And Bitcoin has been kind of between thirty-seven and forty thousand per coin. And I said 
I'd love to do this now, but maybe the second we do it, it's going to fall down to 20 or 15 or 10. So I said, if, if another day passes where it's relatively stable, then I'm going to give Brandon the green light to send you the agreed upon cryptocurrency. And the rose gold phone. I didn't forget about that. That's right. We have purchased yeah. the rose gold phone, enough. but we, we already have purchased it, but we, we don't want to send it. In, we want to do it all in one transaction. We don't want to do yeah, it. I told him that. I yeah. understand. I don't want to break up. I understand. I don't want to break up the transactions. So just let's so, uh, see. What, let's see. Let's see Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be with my cousin. We're going to go to uh, the Cosmo and maybe the wetlands in Henderson. So let's talk on Sunday. Okay. And hopefully everything stabilizes and we can finally wrap this up. Is, is that fair? Can we please just are, do that? Give it are, one more day. Are you sure? Are you sure about these? Oh, I'm sorry. What now? Are you sure. Oh, yeah, are I'm positive. Sure, are you, sure? you have my word. Sunday. You have my word. Okay, you have my word there, Sharif. Let's let's set a goal for Sunday. Uh, you know, I know it's supposed to be sure. God's day sure. of rest, I really, but I really, I really, I really want you. I really, I really want you to understand what I'm what I'm going through right here. So, um, please, mm-hmm. Sunday. Well, well, okay. I, I actually, right. I, I want to understand this uh, before we. Uh, Brandon actually has to go because he has to spend some time with family. But uh, we do want to understand uh, what are you going through there in Valencia? To, because I've been there once; it was a yeah. pretty nice place. Yeah, he hasn't told nice. me much. It's nice, it's nice. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you um, know. When you were trying to do a deal, um, uh, like um, a good deal, so it's not mm-hmm. being undone. Don't you, yeah. you get? You get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So um, yeah. you've been trying, you've been trying to make a deal for like, for like, for like a month now. No, I understand, so, uh, but I this get, is this what, is a big deal. I don't know what's going on? This so is important. I'll call, so I'll call you. So I'll call you to know what's up. Well, what well, let's right let's set a goal. Let's set a goal. Let's reset. Let's refresh, and let's set a goal to finally complete this once and for all on Sunday. Can we agree in principle to that Sunday? We'll say yeah. Sunday at noon. Yeah, no okay, does that work for you? Okay, perfect. Yeah, no so. Problem. Touch base with me Sunday morning, and Alvin is obviously helping me with all this, and we'll wrap it up Sunday, okay? All right, no problem. Okay, okay. that sounds all good right. to me as well. Call me on Sunday. Okay, right you're welcome. Godspeed, sweet friends. Sunday. <laughs> I hung up on him, but uh, yeah, that's... that's. Uh... Wait, so he, is he randomly calling that number because I was ignoring him all day? Yes, and, well, he's been, te- he's been texting that number too, and I just haven't answered him. Oh my god! Yeah, because some days I don't even feel like playing around with him. You know what I mean? I just I have other things going on. And, That's good timing. He oh, called. Dur- yeah. He called during radio. Yeah, I, I wonder. Mean, I wonder how many times a day he calls. Like he. Ha- I wonder if he just happened to get us here. If he's been calling like over and over and just getting the uh, message that there's a voicemail. I've been stringing him along, like he said, for literally over a month. Okay, <laughs> and it, I mean he has to be so frustrated because he's put in. He's put in so much time and effort into trying, thinking he's really getting this big score. And he's never going to, I mean, obviously, they're going to get a penny, but it's hilarious <laughs> that he happened to just call. I mean, honest to God, if you said to me, okay, I have 100, uh, at least 50 guesses of who's calling, I never would have picked him. Like, how, how he's calling you? Well, yeah, that was a number I didn't recognize either. He's usually calling from a number beginning with 585, and this was from 843. So he, he must, he called from a different number oh, I'm used yeah, to. He's, yeah. That's that's unbelievable. And then he figures it makes sense. He has no idea we're on radio. It's yeah. the same voices. And but did, do you think he has a stuttering problem or is it? But 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 but, 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 but I mean, Brett, 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 
or is it just like because he doesn't know English? Yeah, maybe and the language. Think a, I think it's the language think that barrier. Was the same voice from last time. Oh, yeah, it's definitely. Like he, it's the same guy. It's the same guy, and okay. I think that he is is a combination of a language barrier and also frustration that that he's suspecting that this is never going to go through, but he doesn't want to give up. He feels pot committed, basically. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He spent a, a, a month on this. He talks to me morning to night, and I come up with the craziest excuses, and he buys it. He has no, I mean, he has no choice. The funny that thing is, is this is the reverse of what usually happens. Usually the victims are pot committed where they've given so much money and they keep being told to send more in order to get their big score. So they don't want to bail out after they've already spent so much. So that's how the victims just end up shooting off huge money to these scammers so here's the reverse that you've wasted so much time but he spent so much time in it that he's afraid to give up on it and have wasted all the time just in case that you're really going to do it i mean we're almost in june now this started in april i went through like a covid spell where i was in the hospital then i went through getting a vaccination where i was i mean i've given this guy every excuse and just it's it's hilarious so all right well listen i am gonna go okay one more question for you and this just plays to your point uh lastly keeping with the same theme tonight or i'm sorry tomorrow night saturday night if i wanted to stay in the cheapest room at the rio again this is just going on the website not logged in i'm off the street no affiliation with caesars what would i pay um 189 dollars Two fifty three ninety seven, oh, and that really summarizes your point of like <laughs> just two hundred. And then the next night, what do you think it is off the street Sunday night? Goes from two fifty three to what twenty nine, thirty nine, and then Close. I calculate the resort fee, and then oh the, yeah, the, yeah, I forgot you know, the resort. So about a hundred yeah. bucks, but yeah, it's, you know, it's or maybe eighty bucks. It's insane. And the funny thing is people – some of the people coming to Vegas don't understand this. So they just think these are the prices and then they get there and they can't believe the rooms they're getting. Well, that's what happened to that one guy who ended up getting banned for writing an honest review. I don't remember even who it was, but you remember – Oh, that was a a comedian, uh, Doug Stanhope, but there's a lot more to it than that. He was was drunk and disorderly is what happened. It wasn't so much about the honest review. Like I I looked into that and I'm like, oh, okay. Like at first I'm like, why would they ban kind of like a semi-celebrity with a big following on Twitter? Why would they ban him just saying he didn't like – the, the Rio yeah. in a review because like tons of people write bad reviews and I'm like oh okay it, there was so much more to the story because he appeared on a podcast talking about how drunk he was and they threw him out from places so I'm like okay that's it but it makes sense but I, I, I will say that where, where I was before he called before the Nigerian scammer called I, I was about to talk about and then we can end the whole thing I was about to talk about this one trip I had, which was all over, like, Utah and Arizona. So we went a lot of places. And on the way back, we were going to stop in Laughlin, just because it was a stopping point as the last night to stay before driving the rest of the way home, which is about 310 miles. So I look at Laughlin, and every freaking place, which is normally, like, 29 bucks a night there, is, like, 199 189 I'm going, what the fuck? Like, every single place there is like that. And I look... And it turns out they're having some sort of weird event on the lake there where people bring uh, uh, their, like, these floating things and race them. It was really weird. But it's some annual event that just jacks the prices way up in that city for that weekend only. And I just happened to hit that night. So I said, well, shit, I'm just not going to do it. I am, I am not going to spend $189 to stay in an old dilapidated room in Laughlin that I would normally get for $29 on, if this wasn't happening. So I, just, I said, I'm just putting my foot down. I'm not doing it. So what I did was I looked in the immediate area 
and I found in the mountains surrounding Laughlin was a resort that looked pretty cool that was only $99. It was in the mountains. People said it was very peaceful. It was very nice. It's uh, um, You're kind of out in nature. And it was like 99 bucks. I said, okay, great. So I saved money and I get to stay in like a nice place, not just a stopover. So uh, we went there. It was a weird place. It, there, was, there was all kinds of fail there. It wasn't terrible. Like the room was okay. The room was actually fairly nice. They actually kept it up pretty well. But it had weird problems like the cold water didn't work. Both both of them were like really hot. Uh, the They didn't have the appropriate bedding for the rooms. So like they held that like win, win, winter bedding in the middle of the summer. And even there it gets fairly hot because you know how hot Laughlin is. It gets to like 120 in the summer sometimes. Uh, so even in the mountains it's very hot. So they, they had winter bedding and then – they it does get cool at night. You know how the mountains it's like the nights way cooler than the daytime. Sure. So it does cool down at night, but the dummies didn't leave the windows open. So we get there, I don't know, at uh, 8 p.m. or so, and the place has just been cooked the entire day like an oven and it is so hot in there. It's a, even with the windows open, it was impossible to cool it down. So it was like blazing hot. And you'd think they would think of this, but no. And then when we ate at the, the on-site restaurant there, the, the food was fine. But it was funny because there was some sort of weird uh, – some kind of weird club scene for older people that were like – like everybody there was like 50s and 60s. And they were all dressed like it was the 1970s. It wasn't a themed thing. It was like really people who were doing this in the 70s and then just got older and are wearing the same thing. Basically, it was it was really bizarre, and it was very loud. So we had to like it was, it was super loud there because of that. So we we actually left and just kind of like looked at the stars and drove around the area. And we came back at one a.m. when this whole thing finally closed. So there's a lot of fail there, even though the place itself wasn't bad. But uh, it's it's very. I chose to stay there though, exactly because of this reason. I just will not pay a huge premium for a shitty place. I, in fact, I'd rather pay a, a premium for an okay place. But like a crappy place that that normally goes for twenty nine or thirty nine dollars, I'm not going to pay one eighty nine. I'm just not going to do it out of principle. I, I understand why they charge it, but I'm just not going to pay it. Yeah, I wouldn't do it either. So I always find ways around never it, happen. and that's that's what uh, that's that's the Jew in me speaking. But I just I just have such a hard time doing it. I, I always want to feel like I'm getting at least okay value. Everything doesn't have to be great value, but I want to feel like I'm getting like at least okay value. Uh, and and there was the complete opposite. So. If if you had to, okay, going back to like hypotheticals, if you had no choice and you just had to be here, and your four options were paying two hundred fifty dollars a night for one night, and it came down to the four ones I mentioned: Orleans, Harrah's, Luxor, and what was the fourth one I said? Orleans. There's another one. Uh, let's okay. Let's just say. Orleans, Harrah's, oh, Rio. Orleans, Harrah's, Rio, Luxor. Uh, all 250, which one would you pick? There's no question. I would, pick, pick, I would pick Harrah's. There's no question. What would be second? Second, oh, it wouldn't be, so it's Luxor, Rio, and one of the other, what's the last one? Or Orleans, Orleans. Orleans, okay. So it would be between. Forget Harrah's. Yeah. Let's it, just do those three. Okay, yeah. so it would be between. The Rio and Orleans, um, probably the Rio, just because I know it better. 
That's that's probably why uh, it would it would hurt in either one. But I, there is a, there is something there's some value I take away from knowing the place really well, and I can do things more efficiently even if the rate I'm paying kind of sucks. So. I, like what could you do more efficiently there than you could do at the Orleans? Oh, I could I could pick a better room that that I want that otherwise people wouldn't know how to pick. I would know which restaurants are better. I w- I would uh, there's a lot of things I know my way around the place very easily. So there's there's a lot of advantages like that. Where what restaurants are better? I don't think what 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 is even a good restaurant. I didn't say they're good. Things? I said what's what's not what I under I know all yeah. the restaurants how they taste. Um, what I'm in the mood for, I'm like I, I know everything, so I can make an informed decision. At yeah. Orleans, I'm kind of in the dark, and I'm, I've just got to take guesses. I, take, I don't like uh, it, and I'm different. I would go the opposite. I'd go Orleans. It's close, but I, I, I'm saying that uh, I think I'd go with the Rio. And so I'd, I'd also consider there's more food choices at the Orleans, and uh, just it's a, as bad, funny as it sounds to say this, I think it's a better main pro- pro- property, <laughs> better maintained property. It probably is. But I mean. The, yeah, I mean, the last time I was inside an elevator to Rio, half the buttons don't light up. I no, mean, I know. It's, it's, no, the funny. There's actually holes in the wall. There's actually holes punched in the wall, either intentionally or accidentally, <laughs> in the hallway, and they just don't do anything. Like for years, those same holes stay in the wall. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I still can't believe that guy even called. Like for those that are listening, honest to God, he had. I haven't texted him I, all day. I've been busy. And he's just randomly calling. That's, that's I think he's very stressed out that, that, uh, that he felt like this was so close and it just never closes <laughs> and he just wants to hammer until you finally agree and he just doesn't want to give up. He, he obviously suspects you're never going to do it. He even said something like that, but but he can't quite say, I'm giving up on this one. He just he just wants to continue. Yeah. He's pot committed. He totally is. It's very fitting. Unbelievable. All right, buddy. I got to get some okay. sleep. I only, I've been looking at four and a half hours now. So thank you. I, I didn't think I'd even be on for two hours, but this becomes addicting. Thank you, as always, for your hospitality. Uh, if you do, by chance, play in any home games of any mutual friends soon, very much good luck to you. And try not to uh, – I was also told – this was the last thing I'll share. I was also told – tell me if this is true – that you intimidate people there in the home game because of your World Series bracelet. Have you heard this before? I mean, I haven't tried. I, I, it may have been said. I, I don't wear my bracelet there or announce I have a bracelet. It's possible that one of the people there mentions it, and then mm-hmm. I'm not going to deny having it. But it's, it's possible that uh, that, that happens, and then, uh, you know, that's it's, it's just the way it goes. Sometimes uh, yeah, people get an idea about things. <laughs> All right, so real fast, next week, do you know yet uh, what day we're looking at? For Likely Friday. Likely Friday. Friday again. Yeah. You're going to try to stick to Fridays. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for texting me and giving me the heads up, and I uh, I hope to be back in, in some function uh, a week from today. Okay. Well, thank you, Brandon, for coming on once again. I enjoy having you here. All right. I'll talk to you soon. I, yeah, I don't need to stick around. I'm, I'm hanging up. Okay. So have a good night. Good night. Bye-bye. That was Brandon. I told you, it always extends the show. Always. So, yeah, Friday is the day. Let me turn this down a bit. Heard this before. I did blast this. Friday's the day I'd like to stick to for various reasons. When I do Saturday, which is always an option, but it kind of eats up the whole weekend. I have to make sure to get enough sleep on Friday, or otherwise I won't be awake enough to do the show into the night. I have to spend the entire Saturday doing this, the entire Saturday night, that is, and I have to be careful. I can't go anywhere where I'll be back later than when the show starts when I have to prepare for it. And then 
unless I do it right after the show's over, I gotta edit it on Sunday. So I, I just find myself like all the days of the weekend doing something with radio. And it just seems like Friday is easier. Because I do it Friday, then I don't have to worry about anything on Saturday, then I edit it when I need to edit it, and slap it up, and that's it. But you know, I'm, I'm getting paid the big bucks here, so I can't complain. This is the most lucrative podcast that is out there on the internet, so I, I realize I can't complain. I realize that this is something that I can't reap all these profits and then say, oh, well, this is eating up my weekend. The big money I'm making from this thing. How dare I even voice such concerns? I mean, it's not like there's people doing six to eight hour podcasts and live radio shows which lose money. It's not like there's people out there doing that. You know, I do this short show and make a fortune from it. So I shouldn't complain. Okay, thank you, Brandon, for coming on. I guess this will be a trade risky free week. I'll be honest, if he calls in in the last few seconds here, I'm not letting him on. I'm just going to snap, hang up on him, or just pretend I'm not home. I'm going to ghost him. Not that I don't want him. I'm just done. That is all, folks. And as always, Shalom. <laughs>